Hi. Show hasn't started yet. We're right on time. Show hasn't started yet. Let me just have a little non-Starbucks coffee. That is delicious because it's not Starbucks. Okay. Welcome to the Mop Up for May 26, 2022. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is 62 degrees and partly sunny. The National Rifle Association holds its annual meeting in Houston on Friday, but there have been a few cancellations. Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn, Republican, bowed out. Hmm. I wonder what happened. Did something something happen that I don't know about that? Something happened that would make it a little uncomfortable uh, for a United States senator to go to the NRA's annual convention in Houston, Texas? I don't know. American Pie singer Don McClain, he also canceled his appearance at the NRA convention. That's odd. Don McClain, big supporter of the National Rifle Association. Don McClain was all scheduled to sing Starry Starry Night, American Pie, but said, uh, considering what happened this week, it wouldn't be right to show up at the NRA convention. Hmm. What happened? Did something happen? What could have happened this week that would make NRA, proud NRA member Don McClain, not want to sing at the NRA? Con- oh, right, right. There was another massacre. Uh, the massacre in Buffalo, Don McClain was still all in on the NRA. Suddenly, this week, the NRA is bad. What what took you so long, Don McClain? Don't you love guns? Don't you love violence, Don McClain? Last year, Don McClain's ex-wife went public saying that her marriage was a nightmare of physical and emotional violence. That would be her marriage to NRA devotee Don McClain. Don McClain's ex-wife claims that Don McClain, NRA member, often punched and kicked her and would wrestle her to the ground while placing her head in a vice-like grip. Don McClain's wife said during violent episodes, he would often rape her. That would be Don McClain. In January of 2016, proud NRA member Don McClain was arrested for domestic abuse. Later that year, proud NRA member Don McClain pleaded guilty to domestic violence assault. He pled guilty uh, to domestic violence. That would be proud NRA member Don McClain, who was going to entertain the NRA on Friday, but something happened and he changed his mind. Uh, All those other shootings were okay with uh, Don McClain, but this one, I guess, literally hits too close to home. I guess Houston is a little too close to where that shooting happened. Country and gospel singer Larry Gatlin from the Gatlin Brothers, huge supporter of the National Rifle Association, said today he will not perform tomorrow at the NRA convention, which is odd because Larry Gatlin loves his guns. Isn't there a Gatlin gun? Isn't that he loves firing weapons that Larry Gatlin loves firing weapons, just not for his country. Larry Gatlin was supposed to serve in Vietnam. He could have played with his weapons over there in Vietnam, but instead he quickly enlisted in the University of Houston to play football so he could get a college deferment. But Lee Greenwood, who is proud to be an American, has not canceled because he's also proud to be a member of the National Rifle Association. Plus, he's pushing 80. Who else is going to hire this POS? 
Lee Greenwood will be at the NRA convention Friday. Greenwood is currently on his fourth marriage to a former Miss Tennessee. Ah, four marriages. Hard to believe a lifelong member of the NRA like Lee Greenwood would have problems with women. Well, he does love his guns, doesn't he? Just not enough to fire them overseas for his country. He'll sing to our soldiers on their way to Iraq, but he's not going to go into any foxholes with them. Lee Greenwood was 26 in 1968 and eligible for the draft, but because he had small children, he got himself classified as 3A, so he didn't serve in Vietnam. That's why these cowards hate abortion. Those fetuses are precious. They get you out of serving your country. Lee Greenwood is pro his own life. But you know who will be there? Friday night, asexual Wayne LaPierre. Wayne LaPierre, the asexual chief executive of the National Rifle Association, is going to be there. Never had children. Asexual Wayne LaPierre, chief executive of the National Rifle Association, never fathered any children. According to Vanity Fair, uh, asexual is how one of his co-workers described the asexual Wayne LaPierre. His co-worker told Vanity Fair that asexual Wayne LaPierre is asexual. And he never fathered a child. Asexual Wayne LaPierre, CEO of the National Rifle Association, was draft age during the Vietnam War, but avoided going over there. He loves his guns, but asexual Wayne LaPierre, who's never fathered a child, just couldn't get himself to visit Vietnam during the war. First, he avoided the draft with a student deferment. And then, according to Vanity Fair, he got one of those medical deferments that Donald Trump got. Wayne Anthony Ross, who's a member of the National Rifle Association board, says that asexual Wayne LaPierre, quote, has the backbone of a chocolate eclair. The asexual Wayne LaPierre, according to Vanity Fair and The New Yorker, cannot fire a weapon. The New Yorker last year got its hands on a video of the asexual Wayne LaPierre and his wife, who he's never had children with. They were hunting big game in Africa. And it was essentially a canned hunt. And asexual Wayne LaPierre kept missing the elephant. He was shooting elephants. Isn't that nice? And finally, when the elephant went down, the asexual Wayne LaPierre, this is all on video, uh, Wayne LaPierre, I'm sorry, the asexual Wayne LaPierre nervously fired at the elephant, missing the elephant three times, and they had to shoot do the kill shot for him, and his wife celebrated on the video. She turns out to be a much better shot. Uh, While he hates guns, asexual Wayne LaPierre's wife, Susan, loves guns. Maybe that's because she's never had a child with the asexual Wayne LaPierre. Asexual Wayne LaPierre who runs the National Rifle Association, has never fathered a child, but his wife loves guns. I wonder what that's about. Well, we'll ask the Hershenfelds. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, Freudian psychoanalyst, will explain what his wife's gun 
obsession is all about. Why, if she's never had a child with the asexual Wayne LaPierre, does she love holding on to something stiff, long, and hard that, that shoots something? During testimony in the NRA's bankruptcy case, by the way, the NRA has filed for bankruptcy, uh, not just moral bankruptcy, actual bankruptcy. Uh, he testified during the NRA's bankruptcy case down in Dallas, and the asexual Wayne LaPierre, did I mention he's never fathered a child? He said during the testimony that after these mass shootings, he runs to his millionaire's luxury yacht. The, his friend is a millionaire, and his friend has a luxury yacht. And whenever there's a mass shooting, Wayne LaPierre doesn't feel safe because for some reason, whenever there's a mass shooting, we, I don't know, we look for somebody to blame and it's unfair. We blame the guy who's uh, basically a lobbyist for gun manufacturers. So he gets terrified, sort of feels safe. He goes on his friend's millionaire, his millionaire friend's luxury, luxury yacht. That's the only thing that makes him feel safe. One would think... Uh, a gun would make asexual Wayne LaPierre, who never fathered a child, safe. One would think that would make him safe. Turns out it's luxury yachts are what keeps us safe, America, not guns. You know who's going to be there? The rapist Donald Trump will be at the National Rifle Association annual meeting in Houston Friday night. At least 30 women have come forward claiming to have been sexually assaulted. That would be raped by Donald Trump. He avoided military service in Vietnam by paying a doctor to say he had, was it bone spurs? I think that's what it was. Hmm. I'm surprised Donald Trump is showing up this week for the NRA convention. Not a good week for Trump to be in front of the NRA. There are new reports revealing that on January 6th, Donald Trump was elated that the people storming the Capitol were planning to hang Mike Pence. I want to hear Donald Trump explain to the NRA why he didn't want them to shoot Mike Pence. Well, Joe Biden spoke to the American people to assure us that there's absolutely nothing we can do to pass meaningful gun control because the political will just isn't there. Our funeral director in chief, Joe Biden, said it's okay to be angry but there's nothing we can do about guns. It's beyond our power, so accept it. Like death, he's our funeral director in, in chief. He, you know, he teaches us to just accept death. There's, it's not our fault. There's nothing we can do. The political will just isn't there. The political will just isn't there. A new political morning consult poll out this morning shows 75% of Americans support a national database on every single gun purchase made here in the United States. Yes, President Biden, the political will just isn't there. How can you pass meaningful gun legislation? Only 75% of Americans support a national database on every gun purchase. There's nothing we can do, oh great funeral director in chief. Nearly two thirds of Americans now support an assault weapons ban. 84% of Americans support the police working with mental health professionals to determine who should be allowed to own a gun and who shouldn't. So our funeral director, Joe Biden, our funeral director in chief, he's absolutely right. There's nothing we can do because the political will isn't there. Because, let's face it, American gun violence 
It's just an abstraction. It's just something you see on the TV, but nobody is ever here in America. Nobody here has ever come face to face with the dangers of guns, right? According to the Giffords Law Center, as I'm reading you these stats, I want you to think of the people you know who have suffered from guns, okay? During the past 10 years, more than 1 million Americans have been shot by a gun. More than 45,000 Americans died from gunshots in 2020. That's the highest ever. 2021 is going to be worse. I want you to think of someone you know who's been affected by guns. 25 million Americans have been threatened with a gun or injured with a gun by an intimate partner. Each year, 3 million American children are exposed to some sort of gun violence. They witness, 3 million American children witness some sort of gun violence. As of 2020, more children die from guns than they do from auto accidents. The day after the shooting on Tuesday, that would be Wednesday, shares of Sturm Ruger rose nearly 6%. Smith & Wesson rose 8%. Vista Outdoor rose 10%. Because when there's a shooting, people buy more guns. It's the virtuous cycle. There's a shooting. People fear the government's going to take away our guns. Better buy them now. Or people fear the government isn't going to take away our guns. So you better buy a gun because everybody else has one. And that's why we have 400 million guns that we know of. 400 million guns. That's why here in the United States, more than 8,000 children are shot every year. Guns don't make you safe. They just make the gun manufacturers and their mouthpiece, Wayne LaPierre, rich. Do you know someone who shot themselves to death? Hmm? Do you know anyone who's been shot or threatened to be shot? It's not an abstraction. Gun violence is not something you just see on the television. We all know someone traumatized by gun violence. All Americans have been exposed to gun violence. Give me a break when you tell me the political will is not there. All of us are in some way personal victims of gun violence. Not the trauma of Anderson Cooper talking to a victim. Actual gun violence. All of us have been touched by guns. The only Americans not exposed to gun violence are expats living anywhere other than America. We have a gun problem in America. 60% of suicides in America are performed with a gun. Suicide rates triple when there is easy access to a weapon. So, obviously, I agree with Ted Cruz. I know you're angry, but now is not the time to politicize this. Did you see that interview he gave to the BBC? Ted Cruz telling us now is not the time to politicize this. Not when people are mourning. Let's wait till all these shootings have stopped and everyone has stopped mourning. And then it's time to politicize this. You know, the same way it's wrong to ever criticize a war because that's unfair to the troops serving over there and their family. Well, it's wrong to politicize guns when so many Americans are still grieving. Let's wait till all these shootings have stopped when people are no longer grieving and then we can have a conversation about guns. I agree with Ted Cruz. We're overreacting. 
I agree with Ted Cruz, who gets more money from the NRA than any other senator in Washington. It's important right now for Americans to take a deep breath and don't politicize this. And most importantly, don't do anything about it. Well, here's some, an organization that, that has stepped up. Our friends over at ICE, America's Immigration Customs Enforcement Division, over at Homeland Security, uh, they announced today that considering the recent tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, ICE has decided to issue a moratorium on rounding up the people who live in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, I'm being serious. That's how ICE showed solidarity with the people of Uvalde today by promising not to round them up and put them in for-profit concentration camps. As you all know by now, Uvalde is mostly Hispanic and is a constant target of ISIS. But thanks to the shooting, ICE is giving the people of Uvalde a break. So I guess Tuesday was a mixed blessing. By the way, the shooter was an American citizen. He was born in North Dakota. Well, Republicans are saying we have a mental health problem in the country. And I agree, the mentally ill are writing all our gun laws. That's the problem. Uh, The Republicans, Greg Abbott, they say uh, we need to identify the mentally ill, take away their guns, and put them in psychiatric holds. That's what the Republicans are saying. Identify who the mentally ill are, take away their guns, then put them in psychiatric holds. Because Republicans are all about freedom. Guns are all about freedom, and nothing makes Americans freer than turning in your neighbor because he made a joke about the Lincoln assassination. Officer, my, my, my neighbor trivialized the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. He made a joke about Lincoln being Jewish because Lincoln got shot in the temple. And, and I, that, that joke scared me. I'm afraid he's going to shoot up a temple. You need to arrest my neighbor. And this has nothing to do with his wanting his leaf blower back and my not being able to give it back because I broke it and I can't afford to fix it. That has nothing to do with my turning in my neighbor. He's a threat to the community. And you've been warned, officer. You can't say you haven't been warned now. And if he ends up shooting a movie theater crowd, you can't say you haven't been warned. That's the kind of freedom Republicans want for us. Plenty of guns, right? But to prevent mass shootings, anyone who suggests the slightest pinch of violence, round them up, put them in a psychiatric ward. By the way, that would be everybody who's a Republican. That's an entire party that's just a a swirling miasma of violent thoughts. And that's the America I want to live in. You, you get arrested for saying something that has a, a hint of violence in it. This, by the way, is the same Republican Party that says there's no such thing as hate speech. People should be allowed to say whatever they want without fear of censorship, right? That's what the Republicans say. But, you know, someone says, I hate Sean Hannity, better call the police. You're a threat to the community. That is exactly how Gitmo got filled up down in Cuba. Gitmo is basically a bunch of unlucky Afghanis turned in by their neighbors. This is true. This is true. Get him, Yankee. Over there, there's a terrorist. That guy's sleeping with my wife. He's a terrorist. Lock him up. 
That's that's basically who everybody in Gitmo is. Well, the school shooting on Tuesday, uh, the one on Tuesday down in Texas, do you remember that one? There have been 28 so far this year, 28 school shootings so far this year. How will we get over Tuesday's mass school shooting by grieving the next one? We have a problem. We do. And the NRA and the GOP, they too have a, have a problem. They have a messaging problem. Their messaging is starting, uh, I mean, never made sense, but now it's batshit crazy. The important thing to keep in mind is that the GOP and the NRA love the police. At least they say they love the police, but they also say they fear a police state. The NRA and the GOP, they don't love the police. They pretend to love the police, but they hate the police. Don McLean, Donald Trump, they hate the police because the police try to arrest them for raping their wives and their girlfriends. The people who are proud members of the NRA They don't love the police. They love guns, or at least they love the money from gun manufacturers. And gun manufacturers are terrified of the police because police are terrified of guns. And if the police ever spoke out against guns, then there would be the political will in this country to get rid of guns. But the NRA is showering police unions and police chiefs with money and free training. And they have been co-opted. The police have been co-opted. The police have been co-opted by the NRA. And that's a problem for the NRA right now because they're running out of excuses for these mass shootings. And it's, it's time for the NRA to start blaming the police for all these shootings. That's all who's left. You can't blame the guns. You got to start blaming the police. The NRA, the GOP has a messaging problem. They really do. They have to start blaming the police for these shootings. Go in there, go in there. That's what bystanders reportedly screamed at police officers as they waited nearly 40 minutes for tactical shooters to arrive and take out that 18-year-old kid who massacred 19 elementary school students and two teachers in Texas on Tuesday. There is now video of parents trying to get into the school themselves to stop the shooter while the police stayed back. The police wouldn't go in for 45 minutes. They wouldn't go in. The police have a lot of explaining to do, and so does the NRA. Meanwhile, President Biden is having trouble getting his pick, uh, Steve Dettelback, to run the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. The Senate mysteriously hasn't been able to confirm an ATF nominee for seven years. Hearings for Dettelback were heard Uh, the day after the Texas shooting. They were held by the Senate Judiciary Committee. While parents in Texas were still waiting on news of their children, Republican Tom Cotton said to Dettelbeck, quote, it's very telling that you've been nominated by Joe Biden to lead the ATF and you don't have a definition of an assault weapon. Well, let me tell you something. This is what Cotton said. 
there really is no such thing as assault weapons. That's what Tom Cotton, the Republican, said the day after the shooting. There really is no such thing as assault weapons. Biden's first pick for ATF chief was dead on arrival. Republicans, including Joe Manchin, well, he's a Democrat, they nixed his nomination of ATF agent uh, David Chipman. David Chipman is a, a, an ATF agent, and the Republicans, Joe Manchin, uh, said no go because Chipman called for an assault weapons ban. I don't understand this. Republican Tom Cotton says there's no such thing as assault weapons. So how can you be worried about somebody trying to ban something that doesn't exist? Then again, Tom Cotton wants to ban critical race theory, and that doesn't exist. He also wants to ban people from coming over the border. That problem doesn't exist. So if we're banning things that don't exist, Tom Cotton, why don't we ban assault weapons? They don't exist. Why are you worrying about banning something that doesn't exist? I'll tell you what, Senator Tom Cotton, if assault weapons don't exist, then you should have no problem with banning them, right? Why are you protecting the rights of Americans to buy something that doesn't exist? Then again, Americans buy Tom Cotton's patriotism, which doesn't exist. So forget I even mentioned this. Tom Cotton. Salvador Ramos, the shooter, American citizen, reportedly crashed his truck, grabbed one of his two AR-15s. Two. He has two, had two AR-15s. And... Before going into the school, he shot at two bystanders outside a funeral home. Well, that's efficient. Before he even entered the school, police arrived on the scene, not to mention the police officer already assigned to the school inside the school. Here's what we think we know now. Ramos reportedly headed for the school where he was confronted by an armed police officer assigned whose job it was to protect the school from somebody like Ramos. Shots may have been exchanged between the school's police officer and the shooter. And then he entered the school. Well, well then, why didn't the police officer follow him in? The police officer was a good guy with a gun. Why didn't the police officer follow him in to protect the students? I, I mean, I don't understand this. Shouldn't he have follow Ramos in and taken him out? I thought the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. If Ramos had an AR-15, why wasn't the police officer assigned to that school also carrying uh, three or four AR-15s? See where I'm going with this? You're already there. I'm just articulating what all of you are thinking. Two other police officers arrived on the scene. They, too, exchanged gunfire with Ramos, and Ramos injured both. Then it took 40 minutes to an hour for a team of tactical shooters to arrive. And during that time, Ramos reportedly massacred 19 elementary school students and two teachers. Why did it take a team of specialized shooters close to an hour to arrive? 
See where I'm going with this? The Republicans and the NRA have a messaging problem. Are the NRA and the Republicans willing to blame the good guys with a gun? That has to be their next move. Turns out the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a great guy with a gun. Good guys no longer cut it. And I think the NRA and the Republicans have to start saying this. We have a problem. We don't have enough good guys with guns. We have a problem with the police. That's what the NRA and the Republican Party have to start doing. They need to start blaming the police. That will turn out well for them politically, won't it? On February 14th, 2018, armed with pretty much the identical AR-15 used on Tuesday, 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz shot up Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, massacring 17 people, injuring 17 others. Four years later, this year, former Broward Sheriff's Office Deputy Scott Peterson, he was the armed good guy with a gun, who had been stationed with a gun at the high school that day. He was in uniform with a gun, he is now going on trial facing charges of seven counts of child neglect, three counts of culpable negligence, and one count of perjury. He is facing criminal charges for cowardice. This is a police officer being blamed for the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, on Valentine's Day of 2018. He is being accused of acting like a coward with a gun. In fact, that's his nickname, the Coward of Broward. The official policy is the shooting was all his fault and his fault only. Not the AR-15, the cop not wanting to get killed. It's his fault. He would have been killed. He was outgunned. But they're blaming him, not the guns. That's Florida. CNN reported 10 days after the shooting that four police officers eventually arrived at the scene. Talking about Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, the shooting there. Uh, Four police officers eventually arrived at the scene while the gunman was still in the school shooting. But those four officers, they too did not go in. Hmm, that's five. Then three other officers eventually arrived and they went into the school. But the four officers who arrived first on the scene, they wouldn't go in. They wouldn't join them. And that stunned local police officers who accused those four police officers of cowardice for not going in. That's all according to CNN. During a candlelight vigil for the victims the next day, Coral Springs City Manager Mike Goodrum reportedly got into a heated shouting match with Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel, demanding to know why his officers stood down. There was a good guy with a gun. There were four guys with a gun, police officers, uh, about five, four police officers with guns. They did not follow the shooter into the building. They did not go in there. Why not? What could they have been afraid of? 
During a press conference after the shooting, Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel said he was disappointed by his officer's response, saying, quote, you don't wait for SWAT, you get in there and you push towards the shooter. One of Scott Peterson's, that's the police officer who's on trial now for the shooting in Florida, one of Scott Peterson's supervisors told reporters Peterson was a disgrace. A survivor of the shooting told reporters Officer Peterson was, quote, an awful human being. One of America's police unions issued a statement calling Officer Peterson, quote, a blight on law enforcement. Personally, I think police unions are a blight on law enforcement, but that's for another show. President Donald Trump weighed in and said, quote, when it came time to get in there and do something, Officer Peterson didn't have the courage. And then Trump famously said, had he been there, he would have gone in there without a gun. The Washington Post interviewed Officer Peterson. He said he didn't know where the shots were coming from and, quote, I didn't have time to think. I didn't have time to think. This was all Officer Scott Peterson's fault. Fred Guttenberg lost his daughter in the Parkland shooting when he discovered Scott Peterson. Officer Scott Peterson didn't follow the shooter into the building. Guttenberg said he hopes Peterson rots in hell. According to the New York Times, Guttenberg said of Peterson, he could have saved some of the 17. He could have saved my daughter. He did not, and he deserves the misery coming his way. Ouchie, wouchie. The Washington Post reports that after the shooting, Don, uh, Officer Peterson was sued by the parents of one of the victims. In the lawsuit, it says, quote, Scott Peterson is a coward. Officer Peterson did nothing. Officer Peterson waited and listened to the din of screams of teachers and students, many of whom were dead and dying. He let innocent people die. That's what the lawyers suing Scott Peterson wrote. Florida Department of Law Enforcement conducted a 15-month investigation and concluded that then 56-year-old police officer Scott Peterson, quote, did absolutely nothing to mitigate the shooting. The investigators concluded, quote, there can be no excuse for Officer Peterson's complete inaction and no question that his inaction cost lives. The investigation said when officers arrived on the scene, Officer Scott Peterson instructed them to remain 500 feet away from the school while gunshots were going off inside the school. And they listened to him. They didn't go in. Interesting. Hmm, why was Officer Peter Peterson telling his fellow officers not to go in there? Why was he saying it wasn't safe for them? I wonder what could have been going on inside that school that made them so afraid. Well, after that report came out, Peterson was arrested. Prosecutors were especially mad because Peterson had extensive training on how to deal with an active shooter. So he should have gone in. Peterson said he couldn't, it was happening so fast, he couldn't figure it out. Hmm. See, there's a problem for the NRA and the Republicans because the time has come for them to start blaming the police.
we have a problem. Uh, we either have a problem with AR-15s or we have a problem with the guns. And the NRA gets all its money from gun manufacturers, so they're left with no choice but to start blaming the police for not doing their jobs. Which is odd because whenever there's a mass shooting, the NRA always says we need more armed police. The NRA, which is all about self-defense, can no longer defend their argument. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's now indefensible. In Buffalo, two weeks ago, there was a good guy with a gun, a retired cop. He was working as a security guard inside that supermarket. And when shots were fired, the good guy with a gun fired back. And the bad guy with a gun killed the good guy with a gun. And the good guy with a gun was a cop. You can't do any better than that when it comes to security. Having, having the good guy with a gun being a cop. These are cops on the scene with guns before the massacre even started. Well, we can't say they're outgunned if you're the NRA uh, because we, we want, if you're the NRA, we want to sell more and more guns. So it's got to be the fault of our cops. That's it. I think uh, the NRA has a serious messaging problem because they now have to start attacking the police for not stepping up. According to the CDC, more children were killed this year in school shootings than all the on-duty police officers in America. Clearly, it is more dangerous to be a child going to school than it is to be a police officer. So it is time for Wayne LaPierre to come out of hiding. Did I say, oh, I'm sorry, the asexual Wayne LaPierre. It's time for asexual Wayne LaPierre to come out of hiding and call, do his job. Call American cops cowards. That's all you're left with now, Wayne LaPierre. You have to start calling American cops cowards. That's the only explanation. We keep seeing cops on the scene whenever there's a mass shooting. They don't go in there. They do nothing. Apparently, the good guys with the guns care more about their own lives than those of our precious children. That is the argument the NRA must make. That's all they're left with. Because you can't sell any more guns to the police. They're, they're, they have enough weapons. American police, are, they're holding weapons of war. And I mean that seriously. When, when the troops come home from Iraq, the Pentagon gives their weapons, their tanks, to, to the police. We spare no cost when it comes to spending on the police. You can't say they're, you can't say they don't have enough weapons, Wayne LaPierre. You're going to have to say they're cowards. This is a problem for the NRA because the NRA has been courting the police ever since the assault weapons ban of 1994. The NRA trains our police for free. The NRA spends millions of its own money uh, handing over to 
you know, police benevolent associations, paying unions, hiring police. The NRA has done everything it can to make sure the police buy more weapons and buy into the NRA. Uh, I don't know. Can the NRA and the, and the GOP summon the courage to call cops cowards? We are told that thousands of children getting shot each year is a small price to pay for our Second Amendment freedoms. It then follows that more dead cops would be a small price to pay for our Second Amendment freedoms as well. That should be the NRA's argument. Go in there. Go into the building, copper, and kill the shooter. That's the only thing left for the NRA to say. They need to start saying the problem is not enough cops willing to die. Or maybe they can make the argument that we need better guys with guns. In other words, deputize all the good guys in America, not just the cops. Let's find out who the good guys are and give them guns. We need more good guys with guns. Have the NRA administer a test so you can be a card-carrying good guy who is licensed to carry a gun. Oh, wait, that would be a test to be a good guy. That means it's a license to certify you to get a gun. No, that's the NRA would never be for that. So you know what? Everyone should just have the freedom to decide whether or not they're a good guy. And if they decide they're a good guy, then they should just be issued an assault weapon that's paid for by the state. That, that would work, right? Anyone who decides they're a good guy should be given a standard issue AR-15, and they should self-deputize, patrol our schools, our churches, our streets. Obviously, uh, the police need more Kyle Rittenhouses doing backup for them. Folks, the pro-gun debate has more holes in it than Sonny at the Causeway. I used to write for Dennis Miller, old habits die hard. The pro-gun debate has more holes in it than Sonny at the Causeway. Uh, They have a messaging problem, the NRA. Uh, the, The argument Wayne LaPierre and the GOP make is that government is the enemy. They warn us of a totalitarian regime, and they say the only way to prevent a police state is a well-armed citizenry. Many, if not most, of the nut jobs who are the gun manufacturer's best customers, uh, they they tend to be militia, separatists, right-wing preppers, and they don't want the government taxing them, raising their children, or telling them how to live the lives telling them how to live their lives, right? They don't want a police state, so they buy guns. And uh, the instrument of a police state is the police. You can't have a police state without police. So if you buy guns, if you're the NRA you are diametrically opposed to the police. If you're stockpiling guns to prevent a police state, 
then your natural enemy is the police. And if you're a police officer who doesn't want to get killed, your natural enemy is the NRA and the GOP and everyone else who believes that anyone should be allowed to buy an assault weapon so they can take on the police. But the NRA, as I just said, would hate to lose the support of the police. So the NRA pours millions of dollars into donations to police unions, police benevolent associations. The NRA pours millions into training cops. The NRA has purchased the silence of police chiefs across America. They have purchased the silence. The NRA has purchased the silence of police unions. They did that after the assault weapons ban of 1994 when Bill Clinton announced it while standing in front of a bank of police chiefs who supported an assault weapons ban. Why did they support an assault weapons ban? Because assault weapons kill cops. And so in 1994, the NRA panicked and start pay, they started paying off the cops to oppose an assault weapons ban. And since the assault weapons ban expired in 2004, the, the NRA has forged a, a dangerous alliance with police officers. And it's breeding, we're going almost 20 years now on this, the NRA has bred a new type of cop who is in the thrall of guns, separatists, and of course, the Republican Party. We have cops who vote against their own safety. Cops who support the GOP are voting against their own safety. Every time a cop pulls someone over, they are terrified of getting shot. Every time they see a black or a Mexican kid holding a water pistol, they are terrified of getting shot. That means, thanks to the NRA, during the past 20 years, the wrong people are becoming cops. Uh, the wrong people are becoming cops because of this dangerous alliance with the NRA. Uh, it's insanity. The NRA is forcing cops to keep two opposing thoughts inside their heads. I'm terrified of getting shot. There are too many guns out there. That's because gun manufacturers and the NRA are selling weapons, convincing Americans the only thing that prevents a police state is a heavily armed citizenry. Everyone is buying guns because they fear the police. But I'm a police officer, and yet I can't stand up to the NRA because they claim to be on my side. I guess I should just side with the NRA and fear the police as well even though I'm a police officer. I guess I should be a white separatist or a prepper. This is insanity. You, this, this drives police officers insane. Gun manufacturers are driving our police insane, forcing them to keep two opposing thoughts in their heads. The same forces that cause someone to, the same forces that cause someone to shoot up an elementary school are the same exact forces that cause someone to become a Republican in Texas insanity. We must stop the mentally ill from getting their hands on guns. And the only way to achieve that is to stop the mentally ill from becoming governor of Texas. There is no difference between the kid who shot up Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, and Governor Greg Abbott. 
Robb Elementary School is in a border town. You all know that. It's primarily Mexican-American. Most of the families there speak Spanish, and that means some of those kids were undocumented. Governor Greg Abbott last month proposed denying schooling to undocumented children. In other words, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, wants children to present their papers And if they can't prove they're American citizens, they would be thrown out of Robb Elementary School. He could have probably saved some lives had he started doing that. So if we had a real press in America, a a real political debate, the question that should be asked of Greg Abbott today is, Governor, the 19 elementary school children who were shot to death, shouldn't you be finding out if they were American citizens? Because I'd like to know if we, you know, shouldn't we mourn the deaths of children who are citizens differently than those of who you call illegals? I would like Greg Abbott to answer that question. On May 14th, Governor Greg Abbott said the federal government should not be providing baby formula to, quote, illegal immigrants in American holding facilities. Illegal babies. He, he's saying, this is Greg Abbott, saying illegal babies should not be uh, provided uh, baby formula. That's who Greg Abbott is, right? There's a shortage of baby formula, so make sure the illegal babies starve to death. You are dealing with a special kind of insanity. I've talked about Greg Abbott before. Most people don't know this, but in the early 80s, he went for a jog. A tree branch snapped, landed on him, and snapped his back. He's been in a wheelchair since his early 20s, and instead of helping the disabled, Greg Abbott passes legislation in Texas that makes it harder for the disabled to vote. As Attorney General of Texas, Greg Abbott challenged the Americans with Disability Act repeatedly. He's opposed. He's, he's a paraplegic, and he opposes the Americans with Disability Act. Greg Abbott is insane. As governor, he calls for tort reform, demanding a cap on lawsuits, even though he himself is the beneficiary of tort law, having collected more than $6 million in damages from the owner of that tree, as well as the person who inspected it. Greg Abbott is insane, and he's angry. And like the kid who shot up that classroom in Evalde this week, Greg Abbott lashes out. The shooter on Tuesday was crippled inside. Governor Greg Abbott is crippled on the inside and on the outside, and he's taking it all out on migrant children, poor women who can't afford to travel out of state for an abortion, and anyone who wasn't born into wealth. Governor Greg Abbott came to Valde on Wednesday and said evil has passed through this town. Well, evil has passed through all of Texas, and that evil is Greg Abbott. According to the CDC, when Greg Abbott became governor in 2015, 54 Texas schoolchildren were shot to death. By 2020, it doubled to 146. The statistics for 2021 are coming in, and they are significantly higher. The only difference between the Texas shooter on Tuesday and Governor Greg Abbott is that Abbott has much, much more blood on his hands. Every time a child is shot to death in Texas, every time a cop is shot to death in Texas, every time someone picks up a gun and shoots themselves, that's Greg Abbott's fault. I... 
I like Beto O'Rourke interrupting that press conference. And, uh, you know, the, the Republicans are the party of scapegoats. They never expect our side to hit back. You know, when they go low, we need to go lower. Now, granted, Beto O'Rourke is a fraud. His father-in-law is a wealthy Republican, but I do hope he beats Abbott in the general. Beto is a poser. He, he, you know, one day he says, get rid of the AR-15s. Then the next day he's saying he has no interest in taking anybody's assault weapons away. Uh, But my advice to Beto is go into the gutter and ask the questions of your opponent that the media is too chicken shit to ask. Ask Greg Abbott about his Christianity. He brought it up. Ask him about it. Ask him how Jesus would feel about taking baby formula away from undocumented babies. Ask Greg Abbott how Jesus would feel about detaining women and children in his for-profit concentration camps. Here's a question I want answered. Ask this question, Beto, and you'll win. Ask this question. As a Christian, Governor Abbott, do you believe Jews or Muslims can make it into heaven if they don't convert? Let's get all these candidates who are taking money from APAC going on record answering that question. APAC is dumping millions into campaigns supporting candidates who refuse to certify the 2020 elections, who call this a Christian nation. I think somebody should ask these Christians on behalf of APAC if they believe the people who give them money from APAC will make it to heaven if they don't convert. I'd like to know if Muslims will make it into heaven if they don't convert. And don't tell me that's a rude question. I didn't bring Jesus into this. Greg Abbott did. Uh, Greg Abbott is constantly tweeting and saying, uh, uh, praise to be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a governor of Texas shouting, in his great mercy, Jesus has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what Greg Abbott says over and over again. Uh, He invokes the name of Jesus. Not Allah, not Moses, not Muhammad, not Confucius, Jesus. So I want to know, Greg Abbott... If Jews, Muslims, Confucians, I want to know if they must convert to get into heaven. You brought it up. I can't think of a more important question. Uh, then ask him uh, why, he, if he's a paraplegic, he opposes the Americans with Disability Act. Is that a rude question? Ask him why a guy in a wheelchair is making it harder, not easier, for people in wheelchairs to vote. And then ask Greg Abbott, which one is it? Are you insane or are you just plain evil? I think that's the closing question, Beto. You want to showboat and interrupt those press conference? Ask the right questions. Which one is it, Texas Governor Greg Abbott? Are you insane or just plain evil? The answer is both. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every Friday. It's a recap of the shows, and it includes with it an invitation to office hours, which we have every Friday night at 8 p.m. We will be back. 
neoliberal nightmare that cares more for Wall Street than anybody's health care. We've been bruised, battered, defunded, and dismantled. We've been diminished, infiltrated, manipulated, and manhandled. The sovereignty of citizenship, the bulwark of democracy, is under full attack by the cult of meritocracy. We're living every day. Yeah. We're living every night. Here we go. Oh, oh, right. That's the USA of Distraction. Now you can hear me. The USA of Distraction. That's Professor Mike Steinel. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Please friend me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. We have a YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. That's the best way to share episodes. Uh, through our YouTube channel because we slice them and dice them and they're delicious, digestible morsels. Please sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every Friday. It contains the invitation for office hours and it also uh, is a recap of every segment on this show with time code so you can watch the show or listen to the show when and how you want to. For example, I would listen to our next guest first, and I'm hoping he's going to be coming back all the time. Greg Barrick joins us. He is the co-founder and North American editor of the Journal of White Collar and Corporate Crime. He is Emeritus Professor of Criminology and Criminal Justice at Eastern Michigan University. And I'm going to give you the long intro because... Uh, people should know who you are. I'm, I want my listeners to know who you are. And then if you... Thank you. Yeah, and then when you come back, we'll do the, the short in, intro. Right now, go buy Criminology on Trump. Go buy Criminology on Trump. It's published by Rutledge. And if you don't love this book, I will reimburse you. Go buy Criminology on Trump. This is one of many books that Professor Barack has written. He's the author and editor of 20 books on crime, justice, media, violence, criminal law, homelessness, and human rights. These are all the subjects I care about. Some of these uh, titles include Violence and Nonviolence, Pathways to Understanding, 
Give Me Shelter, Social History of Homelessness in Contemporary America, and Theft of a Nation, Wall Street Looting and Federal Regulatory Colluding. And as I said, his newest book is Criminology on Trump. And he has a new opinion piece that I read today about America's culture of violence. Welcome, Professor Greg Barak. David, thank you for having me. If you could lean forward so we can hear you. Is that better? Yes. Tuesday, is it America's culture of violence or is it just we have to get rid of these AR-15s? Well, we could get rid of the AR-15s, but it has a lot more to do with America's culture of violence. We're a violent culture. You you uh, texted yes. me what what is what is that stat you texted me? You make up four well, percent. Which which I texted you uh, America view, makes an opinion piece with a lot of data. So which and which data are you referring to? America's four percent of the world's population. Ah, uh, okay, that's not in the opinion piece, but four percent of the population with forty percent of the world's guns. So get, what do we do? Get rid of Americans or get rid of guns or will the guns do that for us? Um, well, I mean, from common sense uh, point of view, gun control measures like background checks, licensing, certification, red flags, the burning, uh, the banning of military style, uh, semi-automatic weapons, assault rifles, and high-capacity magazines. We need to, you know, do away with all of those. Um, These measures might have had a marginal effect uh, on the 274 mass shootings in the United States since 2009, which resulted in 1,536 people shot dead and another 983 people uh, shot and wounded. However, these victims of military violence represent only a drop in the ocean of gun violence in America. In other words, these legal efforts, even if successful, are not nearly enough to confront America's deeply ingrained culture of violence that cuts across all societal institutions, differentiating once again American exceptionalism. For example, more than 50,000 persons are killed annually with guns in the United States. Comparatively, our homicide rates are from three to 10 times higher than the rest of the civilized nations on Earth. With respect to school-aged children, 12 die daily, 365 days a year from gun violence. That means that the vast majority of the 4,400 youth dying annually from gun violence were not related to schools, had nothing whatsoever to do with schools. With respect to, uh, uh, yeah, so for example, since Columbine in 1989 and through 2021, 
more than th- th- 311,000 children at eight at 332 schools across America have experienced gun violence. This includes at least 554 shooting victims and 185 children, educators, and staff members who have been killed in these assaults. In sum, when we combine all the mass shooting murders on and off campus in the United States, the amount that they account for less than 1% of all the annual gun deaths in the United States. Got to keep that in perspective. All the mass shootings on and off campus throughout the country amount to 1% of all the gun deaths in America. So while we may address that, and while these may affect those killings, and when you have as many uh, weapons of mass destruction in, in out there at large, you can stop 18-year-olds for buying it. But keep in mind, those 18-year-olds that went to Buffalo and, and went to uh, Uvalde, they had enough you know, premeditation to put it together. They would have found those weapons without going into the store and purchasing them because there are just too many of them. So if you wanted me to go a step further, and I know I'd be shot for saying this, We need to have those people turn those guns in and we should pay them. We should get rid of all the assault rifles in America, but that's not going to happen. Um, Okay. Now in the, where we're going with this, which I'm thinking of is reframing this discussion. What needs to be understood is that gun violence and other forms of violence in America are symptomatic of what uh, H. Rapp Brown articulated when he retorted to a reporter's questioning at a press conference in 1967. Quote, violence is a part of American culture. It is as American as cherry pie. In other words, the cultural and social problem of violence in America, which is exemplified by gun violence, also includes annually 150,000 drug overdoses, more than 10 million victims of domestic violence, more than 500,000 persons living in a state of homelessness, and 31 million without Healthcare. There's your picture of violence in America. And when you look at it that way, unless you're addressing those aspects of violence, you're not touching the deaths from violence in this country. Think where have you, where have you been? It, where have you been? Why haven't where you I been? Why haven't you been on the show before? Where have you been well, on? Well, I that? have been on this show once before. I well, know, that's but, a good question. I mean, if you want me to address that. You have to ask yourself all the violence and crime in America. We hear from everyone. Why don't we hear from criminologists? I'm not the only criminologist out there. There's about 3,500 in the United States that could handle these problems and could talk about this in the same way in which I'm doing it. And yet you don't hear from criminologists like Rodney Dangerfield says 
you know, we get no respect. What is a crim- um, what is a criminologist? What is a criminologist? Is a person who studies crime and crime control, studies you know where these crimes came from in terms of becoming against the law, and why do certain harms become criminal, others civil? Some are torts, some are administrative. Why do we break them up into those categories? You know, why is most of the harm and injury civilly held accountable or through torts when corporate crime is responsible for millions of deaths annually around the world, but nobody's being prosecuted for murder? They might be held accountable, you know, for a wrongful death, but they're only going to pay some money. They're well, not I, going to. This is interesting because I was just going to ask you how you felt about the shooting. That's how it feels as a. But you're going to we're going to have to deal with facts instead uh, of feelings. Oh, how, how do I feel? About I'm this? joking. I'm, so I'm making fun. Off. I'm making no, fun. No, okay. I'm making a but, joke. No, but. Oh, well, I, I mean, you're you're a very funny man. We know that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. what what but, role okay. what role does spending a trillion dollars a year on an imaginary enemy play in all this? Who is who is making the AR-15s, the Bushmasters? The government can't crack down on assault weapons because we need to make assault weapons to aid our military for these imaginary enemies. So what is the connection between the industrial, uh, military industrial complex and the NRA? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on that subject, but the obvious relationships are the, uh, the National Rifle Association is a front, a voice right. for the producers of weapons or the military industrial complex as, 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 as you've defined it. I mean, let's say we do need these weapons for real or imaginary uh, enemies outside of the, you know, the United States, we don't need those weapons in internally. We don't have to sell them, but Hey, we're the biggest producers and distributors of weapons of all kinds throughout the world. We're number one. So are we, what you told me was terrifying. You're right. I mean, I I never, I've been in denial about how violent Americans are. Are we violent or are we made to be violent because it's in the best interests of the ruling class? Um, I'm you not make, even you so make sure money off violence, right? Okay, uh, we're, we're we're not born we're not born violence. We're made. Okay, we're 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 made violent. Um, and I'm not. I wouldn't argue that it's necessarily on behalf of the ruling class. I don't know that this is all that good for the ruling and the ruled. Either way, I, I don't think. Oh, it, but don't it, you it, think it, they it, want us killing each other instead of them? Um, yeah, in terms of classic uh, class warfare, uh, may, maybe that's the case. But um, but I, I don't think they're that malicious or I don't think it's, it's that kind of intent. I don't think that they're 
that that's what they're necessarily about. But to your to your question about, you know, are we born this way or is our cultural produced this way? The answer is is that, you know, the latter. We have produced the the, the violence that we're reaping. I mean, think about it. What does it mean culturally to have a president of the United States and other high-ranking Republican officials celebrating a white teenager who fatally shot two demonstrators and injured a third in Wisconsin? And what does it tell you about U.S. culture when 40 million Americans learned that the seditionist in chief not only wanted to know why the National Guard could not shoot the Black Lives Matter demonstrators after the police killed George Floyd, but who was also endorsing hang Mike Pence chants after the vice president had been briskly escorted by security out of the Capitol building, and these Republicans are still all in, that's freaking insane. Yes. Okay? And these guys are a bunch of schmucks and gals. (laughs) Finally, if you want to unpack violence in America, this is what you have to address. If you don't address patriarchy, if you don't address domestic abuse, if you don't address bullying, if you don't address gun culture, if you don't address white supremacy, you don't address racism, and ultimately you don't address the militarization of law enforcement in America, you ain't got a chance. All of those things reproduce more and more violence. You have to address all of those. That's the root of violence in America. Wow. We are progressively more violent, right? We've gotten more- You mean in the United States? The United States. Gun deaths are at record highs. Drug overdoses, as you say, are at record highs. Drug overdoses certainly at record high. Uh, gun killings are uh, moving uh, upward clearly, and the the the, um, the purchasing of weapons are going through the roof since Sandy Hook. Right, just going through the roof. Forty million in two years since the pandemic. I mean, you know, this is crazy. It's like. Texas's response, hey, we need more cops. We need teachers to be cops, as you just said. I mean, my God, what morons. At, at CSPAC or t- tomorrow or Saturday, whenever they're getting together, they're not going to allow any guns. How come? They're not going to allow guns in the room. How come they're just not all coming with their guns to take care of it? I mean, you know, they're so full of crap. They are full of crap. And the media doesn't there's there are no debates there are no debates bernie by the way is going to be debating lindsey graham on fox fox's really? stage yeah i just read so that, that'll interesting. be yeah that that that'll be interesting uh on violence on guns on I, i'm not what sure going to debate I, i'm not sure but oh, okay i will say this when bernie's on fox 
or Ralph Nader's on Fox. They give them all the time they want. They they get to say whatever they want. Well, that, that, that that's interesting because when you asked earlier, you know, I made all the, the, the podcast shows, but I haven't made it up to cable and I certainly haven't made it into prime time. Um, but my publicist is now working on a new pitch to Fox and Tucker for the same reasons that you just said. I, I mean, I thought that was, you know, that's where I want to go. I didn't think so, but she said, what do you think? I said, all right, let me hear the pitch. She's working on it. I can imagine, I hate to say this, Tucker Carlson agreeing with you that we are a violent culture, that we are the most violent culture uh, in the world by by the numbers per capita, the violence we do to each other, not just with guns, as you say, health care, the way we are willing to just sit back and watch our neighbors die because they don't have a safety net. Uh, and it makes you crueler. You, you think that there is this, at some point we wake up, but that doesn't seem to happen in history, does it? People don't wake up and go, you know what? We're wrong. The myth of Roosevelt, the myth that Americans woke up after the stock market crash and Hoover ushered in the Great Depression. The, the myth that I was raised on was, yeah, Americans learned the, you know, it's wrong to be greedy and unregulated banking is dangerous. And Roosevelt came in and saved the nation. And then you go study this and you realize, no, they fought him tooth and nail, that there was no lesson learned. There was no lesson learned. And when they could unravel that, they did with Ronald Reagan and company. They totally dismantled that. And that's what we're living with today, the consequences in each Republican generation. And even uh, the Democrats in the 90s, you know, did one better in terms of law and order and in terms of making, you know, welfare recipients work for their meals, et cetera, et cetera. So we have Joe Thompson coming up. They are 19. They are a Starbucks organizer. They successfully organized several union. Starbucks shops have gone union because of them. They are running for state assembly, representing uh, the, the Santa Cruz district in California. I am listening to a lot of people under the age of 30. They have ideas. They know we're full of shit, that we destroyed everything for them. They don't show us the respect we don't deserve. When you were watching Joe Biden speak about the gun, I call him our funeral director in chief. He was pretty much saying, I understand your pain. I know what it's like to suffer. And... You'll be hearing this speech a few more times before I'm thrown out of office because there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about these guns. When you're pushing 80, you're done. You're out of ideas. He should not be president. And everyone in, in the Senate and Congress is a victim of their own expertise. They could tell Joe Thompson a million reasons why Starbucks will never go union. 
what are the fresh ideas? What is an original idea coming down uh, that will solve this this gun problem? I don't I don't hear original ideas. I see some civil lawsuits. I've noticed that some of the gun manufacturers are being sued, but I have a feeling the Supreme Court is going to overturn any ruling, any civil ruling against the the gun manufacturers because they're exempt by law from paying out civil damages, aren't they? Um, I, I, I thought they have. I, I thought there have been cases recently where the gun manufacturers have been held liable, sort of analogous to if you, you know, are a bartender and you give somebody right. or tobacco. I, yeah. I, I thought that 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 part of the law was evolving, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm not sure either, but that sure seems like something we should be doing is just suing suing the gun Remington and Smith and Wesson Smith and Wesson. Yeah, they, should, a- they shouldn't have an exemption. <laughs> this yeah. is true. Corporations shouldn't be persons either. Right. What, what is the best solution that, that you've heard for the gun violence? Um, to stop people from getting these powerful military weapons and accessories uh, and to, you know, collect those back. But ultimately, I don't think that will significantly matter because as I tried to present here, the vast, vast majority of killings, 99%, don't have anything to do with these weapons of mass destruction. They're handguns, typically. So... So you're, but you're you know, saying we, we, we need to at least lock those handguns up, or parents need to at least lock their handguns up. At least right. that might do something because most of the killings are by, um, you know, family members either doing suicide or getting into a fight and doing out each other. It's all you know, domestic for the most part. So, I, I think what you're saying, and I agree with you. As, as horrible as Tuesday's shooting is, it's an, it's an act of terrorism. An act of terrorism is more about the show and terrifying people than it is about uh, the numbers of people who die. And more people are dying, you're saying, uh, every day. How many ki- 100 kids die per day from gun violence? Uh, 12 kids die every day. 365 days a year or some 4,400 deaths. The the number one killing factor isn't automobiles, isn't health, right. it's guns. That's the number one killer, killer of youth in America. So we have to, not to, I mean, my God, but what happened in Buffalo and what happened on Tuesday and what's going to happen next week you, you see it on television. It cloud, not, I mean, it's so upsetting, but in a way, hearing you, it does cloud our judgment. It clouds our thinking. We're not seeing the bigger problem. And Although th- th- they're, they're all, they're interconnected. They're right. not, they're not really separate problems. They're part of the, lar- the, the same problem, but people, you know, are, you know, zeroing in on, 
really the, the, the out of bounds area of violence. The most of the other violence is pretty well accepted and not even considered so that, you know, how many of the people who are talking about this are pointing out all of the violence in the streets? Many people are don't, don't misunderstand me, but the, but the, the political focus um, is not on the day to day violence of guns. It is with something that is horrifying and, 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 you know, I'm not, you know, it's, it's significant, but it's significant and it will continue for the same reasons that we have those other problems. It is far more structural and institutional than it is personal. Okay. You know, we got, you know, 40 crazy kids that did this. There'll be 4,000 crazy kids to replace them tomorrow. Right. Right. As a, as a criminologist, how would you advise the media to cover these events what it, should we be covering joe biden flying down there and being our funeral director in chief that's not news that doesn't move the needle that's not important should we be covering well, the grieving or should we be cover focusing more on i think the grieving is is an, an important not so much joe flying down i mean he doesn't have to go we all know his 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 routine i mean and he's sincere uh and it you know it's nice that he does that and i'm not saying that it's not important it is i think it's much more important and i will give you know a shout out to many of the media stations that are doing these personal profiles of all of the children and their family i think that is a meaningful response but would you be better but, but wouldn't this country and wouldn't those children be better served if they did profiles on wayne lapierre and all the republicans who take money from the nra and what the polling shows that most americans want meaningful gun control yeah 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 i think that isn't would be that, the, that I, I think that would be I, I think that would be you know just desserts as they say isn't there something offensive uh to anderson cooper putting a grieving parent on national television and kind of treating them like uh exploiting them that's a, that's exploitation do they do they I mean, belong on I mean, television i mean there's a fine line there i mean i i i know the exact scene that you're referring to where he touched and stroked the man a few times as he was speaking i thought the man was you know amazing did he belong uh, on te- did that man belong on television seems to me ted cruz belonged on television yeah, the, the but man. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get, I get what you're saying. You know, just if we can throw darts at Ted, but that man, I, I suspect, chose to be there. I don't think that Anderson dragged him on. I think he was a willing person to be there, and I didn't think. You know, I mean, I understand what you're you you should be Anderson. on. I, the the we would be better off hearing from you than a perpetual loop of grief because they're making money. This is exploitation. Anderson Cooper is making 
millions a year. And he was I, the uh, Wednesday, no, it was Tuesday. Anderson Cooper had one of the um, uh, Parkland kids on, not David Hogg, another kid. And it was right after Biden's speech. And this kid, and I mean kid, I, I think he was like 20, comes out fire, pardon the, came out of the gate and just started going after Joe Biden's speech. And, and, and he says, Anderson, there are several executive orders that Joe Biden has t- that he could issue right now to, to make these schools safer, but he won't do it with a stroke of a pen. And Anderson listens and his response is, how does it feel today? Were you brought back to that day in 2018 when you were running did it bring back your emotions? And I was watching with my mother and my mother, I won't tell you the word she used to describe Anderson Cooper. I mean, she went that mf her. You know, talk about the executive orders. Tell us what Joe Biden could do today. Right, right, right. Well, let, let, let's face it. He's a nice, he's a pretty boy, but he, you know, doesn't have a lot of, you know, upstairs in, in serious news journalism. Okay, but. Uh, you know, I like that's, that's why he's on CNN. Well, we, we have to wrap it up. I'm going to ask my audience to do me a favor. And uh, we want Professor Barack to keep coming back. Uh, you said some things today that I just thank you. Uh, please go buy Professor Barack's latest book, Criminology on Trump. We have the January 6th hearings coming up in a couple of weeks, big hearings. So I'd like to cover them with you. Yeah, I would like that. I would, I, I'd love you to come back every week. Go to gregbarack.com. And please, one of the ways I get people to come back is if you go and buy 10 copies of Criminology on Trump and give them to your friends and libraries. Give the books to libraries That's the best way to support this show is by going to gregbarack.com or wherever they sell criminology on Trump and buy 10 copies of this, read it, and then we can get to have them come back. My listeners do buy books. They don't read them, but they buy books. Well, that's like a lot of us. (laughs) You know, there's a Japanese word. I have to look it up. There's a condition that the Japanese have a word for of people right. who buy books, but don't read them. They just, they, a book comes out and they have to, and uh, it's kind of uh, a problem I have. Well, if you let me do a plug. Yes. Yeah. There, there's the book. Cause David hasn't shown you the book. And when they tell you, you know, usually you can judge a book by its cover. Uh, right. So here you go. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Professor Barack, how do people contact you? How do people go to gregbarack.com? Uh, you, you, you can contact me at gregbarack.com at Yahoo. Okay. No, I mean gregbarack at yahoo.com. That would be the, an easy way to do it. And people on Twitter, do you, do you still tweet? Do you tweet? Yes, you do. Yeah, you contacted I, I, I me. Do, I do some tweeting. Yeah, Greg Barack on Twitter. I follow you. G-R-E-G-G. B-A-R-A-K. Thank you, Professor. I hope to see you you real soon. Thank you. Great conversation. A lot to chew over. The idea that we're 
more violent than we realize. Hmm. Great. Well, you're listening to The David Feldman Show, davidfeldmanshow.com. Go to my website after you go to Greg Barack. Barrack. Is it Barack or Barack? Uh, you just said, is it Barack or Barack? Um, okay. it's, it's Barack or Barack, you know, however you like it. It's both. Okay. If you married Ehud Barack, you would be Greg Barack. That's a Well, choice. that's another story, but there is a relationship there. Oh, really? Okay, but for another day. For another, yeah. re- yes, thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Professor. Go to the David Feldman Show website. It's back up. It's working. And if you would bye like, bye-bye, thank you. I think if you would like to join us in the Zoom room, I'm not sure. Let me test it before we bring in Joe. Dan, do we have that link up now? Yep, it's all set. It is set. Okay. If you're watching us live right now, you can join us in the Zoom room by going to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit pay-per-view. We do pay-per-views every now and then. But right now, if you hit pay-per-view, it'll take you to the the virtual studio audience link and you can join us in the Zoom room. And maybe you'll want to be a part of our community. So go to davidfeldmanshow.com right now. If you're watching us live on YouTube and hit the pay-per-view menu, it'll give you the link to join us in the Zoom room. And when we take questions, uh, maybe we'll call on you. Office hours every Friday night at 8 p.m. when you're over at the David Feldman Show website, hit office hours. That'll take you to the link to attend office hours. It starts 8 p.m. Eastern every Friday night. I'm there for the first 90 minutes. I talk about whatever you want to complain to me about or suggest. Uh, And then it's turned over to the community. And I'll tell you what's going to be happening at office hours, what's on the schedule later in the show. And please sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every Friday. And it's great. It has all the reading material, all the guests, and how to listen to the show. And you can, it's, it's a great way to navigate these baton death marches of a show that go on and on. And rightfully so, because the guests are so fantastic. Joining us once again is the incredible Joe Thompson. They are joining us from Santa Cruz. Joe Thompson is a 19-year-old non-binary UC Santa Cruz student, a Starbucks union organizer, and a progressive candidate for California State Assembly District 28 in the nonpartisan primary election on Tuesday, June 7th. Joe uses they-them pronouns, and if elected, they would be the first non-binary official elected to statewide office in California. You should check him out at two websites. Well, just one, joeforassembly.org, joeforassembly.org. I said this the last time Joe was on the show. If you don't donate to Joe, if you have $5 lying around and you don't give it to Joe. Why are you listening to this show? There's no point if you don't go to joeforassembly.org and give Joe $5. There's no point in, in, 
in being here. If you have $5, welcome, Joe. Let's unmute ourselves and let's brag about your success. You have yeah. actually, you are successful. Brag away. <laughs> yeah, so last time, last time I was here, we were in the process of unionizing. Now, now we've officially unionized. And we were the first two stores in all of California, um, the two stores in Santa Cruz. And, you know, we won by, you know, overwhelming margins. And now there was an article play yesterday or the day before um, with the Associated Press. You know, we're taking on bargaining and, and I'm, you know, I'm hoping that we can directly attack Howard Schultz for his union busting tactics and how he has been terrible to his workers. Right, we're talking about Starbucks. Now. We're talking about Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You worked at Starbucks for how long? Been about two and a half years now. I started in November 2019. And when did you become a union organizer? We started organizing in November. Kind of, we were watching watching Buffalo, um, and you know, wanted to support our fellow coworkers. You know, all the way across from Buffalo, from California. And you contacted whom? Who did you contact for assistance? The Starbucks Workers United. The, the first people who helped us out was our local DSA chapter in Santa Cruz. What is so DSA? Helped, like, what is DSA? Uh, Democratic Socialists of America. So they, they helped us out at the beginning. And then once we were kind of ready, then we reached out to the national team. I spoke with um, uh, Casey Moore in, in Buffalo and a lot of the union organizers there. And also Richard Bensinger with Workers United. And how much help? I want my listeners to hear this because... Everybody should be organizing. The answer is labor. The answer, the answer is unions. This is, it's the, on, the only answer. So tell us your success story. This is, you're an inspiration. So you reach out. The advice you're given is what? Well, so the, the national team doesn't do a lot of the organizing. They just tell you kind of, they give you some materials to organize, but you have to do all the work yourself. Um, so I started talking to my coworkers, having one-on-one conversations, and that's where you kind of really start to build that that bond of the union is talking with your coworkers about issues and problems they're facing, and showing them that a union can help you fight against that and you know against your boss. Right. So let's go through the the steps for you. Was your store the only location that had a union vote in Northern Ca- in Northern California? It was the first. How are the votes going? Yeah, so so far we have won our two stores in Santa Cruz, right? The Ocean and Water store that I'm at, and the Mission Dufour store right next to us. Right. Um, additionally, there's been two other stores, and I believe it's Long Beach and LA County. They've put all. Both of those that unionized as well, one of them was unanimous. All of them have been overwhelming majorities. I think they're, you know, in total, it's like three no votes at all the stores. Um, so workers are really fed up and, and they're angry. And, you know, there's another vote happened too. So now we're, we're total of five unionized Starbucks across the state. And we have about 20 more, um, about 20 more elections to be had as well. We, we crap on the Democrats. We crap on Joe Biden. The fact is the NLRB under Joe Biden helped you, is, is juicing this, this movement, aren't they? 
They're they're doing a lot better than Trump, um, and you know, it's obvious. Um, What's going on in they, Buffalo? Did, did, wasn't there a vote that went Starbucks way and the NLRB? There's made, been a few times when they've they've made some of the wrong decisions. But um, the NLRB most, said, "No, you're going union. You lost the vote, but this is a union shop now." Yeah, it's because Starbucks has so meticulously work to hurt workers. It's it, that's what it's doing. It's it's pulling them down. And and you know, at our store, the NLRB just issued a complaint against Starbucks for team investing. And it directly said that, you know, they're harassing, threatening, coercing, and, you know, in some places firing people for union organizing. Yeah. Yeah. And LA went union. Now that you've won uh the union uh votes in Starbucks. Are you negotiating? Has Starbucks recognized the the union? Are they willing to, because they're not doing it with Christian, Amazon isn't doing it with Christian Smalls. They're stalling and stalling and stalling and breaking the law, by the way. Mm-hmm. Is Starbucks, well, so, is, is Howard Schultz obeying the law? So they, they haven't officially started negotiations, but there were in talks of setting up bargaining dates. So they're, they're, they're stalling like always, but they aren't like where, you know, Amazon, for example, where they're just ignoring the union and saying, you know, they're delegitimizing it. What can we do as listeners to support you? Should we contact Starbucks? Should we make our voice heard? How do we do that? I think it's great because my, my, my old grandma, she always writes letters, like handwritten letters. Right. And if you fill up their, their mailbox with those handwritten letters and they have to open every single one and they'll read it. And that, that takes time. So, I mean, those handwritten letters usually work. And, to you know, Howard you Schultz, email, would, would you agree to Howard Schultz? He's vain, self-serving. <clears throat> he would take it personally, I sense. Yep. And he's, he's a bully. He's a union buster. He's, you know, every, everything that we don't need in in this time period, but he's woke. <laughs> Isn't he woke? I, I don't think so. He's, he's the, um, the epitome of the democratic wokeness, right. which is, which is not truly, um, you know, beneficial for anyone. You're uh, 19 years old. You're going to a great University, UC Santa Cruz, that is ground zero of wokeness. <laughs> define, and your DSA, so define, what is your definition of woke? Because among Democrats, woke is anything that doesn't cost me money. So what is your definition of woke? I mean, to me, there there's a lot of, of things, especially in Santa Cruz, you know, like the our it's like a Republican, you know, group of people on campus who say we're oh, the most liberal university ever. And, you know, it's, it's true. A lot of the activism in Santa Cruz even is still it's it's woke, but it is, it's very performative. And I think that we need to get past that that woke performative activism and go back to like in, in 2020 where we're, you know, in San Santa Cruz, at least, you know, we're having these cola strikes and we're we're really fighting back against the university. We're taking over buildings. And we're, we're building a movement. And that's, that's you know, where we need to get the back call to. The cola strikes, you explained, are the cost of living adjustments for whom? Mm-hmm. Those are for the grad students. So they, they went on a strike two years ago, um, you know, right as the pandemic was kind of enraging up. 
And unfortunately they you know, had to end because of the pandemic, but now we're, we're hoping that next fall um, we're going to restart those and we're going to be causing a lot of havoc at the university because they're, they're raising our rents and they're decreasing our meal plan as well. How are you able to organize, hold down a job at Starbucks, run for state assembly and go to college? Um, you so must be Starbucks. Right now, you must be Starbucks' best customer. Yeah, I, I always have my coffee. <laughs> um, it's it's tough. I mean, it really is, and it's like no person should have to do this. You know, like I'm I'm 19, and I just want you know people to have a better life, and you know want to improve. You know, Santa Cruz, and of course, you know my community. And the way to do that is, yeah, like I have to make sacrifices. Like I don't have much for personal life, unfortunately, um, wish I did, but, um, and I mean, to me, it's important and it's important to, to stand up and fight for what I believe in. And that's something, you know, my parents even taught me from a very young age. So we can donate by going to act blue, right. Mm-hmm. Or we can go to joeforassembly.org to donate and people, if, if you have money for a big Mac, but not for Joe for assembly. I don't know if you, I I don't know if this is the show for you. I I really, I don't understand how you could poison your body with a big Mac uh, instead of make this country better by giving to Joe for assembly.org. The election is June 7th. That's what, two weeks away. Yep. Two weeks out, less than two weeks. Who are you up against? How's it, how is it going? It's been, it's been more rough than I would like to say, you know, it's my first time running. Um, but we had a debate last night. Um, only, only one of the other Democrats came. So it, it looks pretty well. And at this point, you know, it's a top two primary. I said to be in the top two. So our main, you know, our main goal is to really take out Rob Rennie. Um, he's pretty conservative. He voted against marijuana dispensaries in California. Is he a Republican and or a Democrat? He's a Democrat. And you know, he's this type of Democrat where you could just slap on Republican and it'd basically be the same. And that's the thing about Did California. he show up? Did he show up? Didn't even show up. <laughs> the other two called in. I was the only one in the station. Um, There's like a radio forum for the, the 20th assembly. And the other two called in. He didn't show up. Um, and, you know, it's just like we need to get, you know, people aware of our campaign because he's fundraised $238,000. So he's and half of that's his own money. He's sending that, you know, all these fancy mailers and all this kind of stuff. And they're basically trying to buy the seats. And I think, you know, our democracy needs people who actually care and who are doing the work in their communities to actually better them. Can students vote? We've been actively registering students at UC Santa Cruz, at San Jose State University, at Cabrillo College, getting them all to be aware of the fact that they can vote in this election and that they need to vote for a student to really start changing the landscape of politics in Santa Cruz. Right. I was watching the Henry Cuellar election and you only need like 15,000 votes to to get, uh, get the nomination for Congress. What, how many votes are we looking at? How many do you need? So for our, our estimate is up, more closer to 27,000. 27,000? That's a. You that's need more. Yeah, I was, I was looking at that. And that, to me, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, I'm, it's a seat assembly district, but because it's in California, 
it's essentially a congressional size race. Um, and is it the same size as a congressional district? Is that really that big? I want to say it's a, it's a little bit smaller. It's about 200,000 constituents, which is still a lot. Um, Anything in Silicon Valley or is it mostly? Mostly Santa Cruz. It goes up to some parts of San Jose, um, Morgan Hill, Los Gatos. Well, you got um, some rich, you got some rich people living up there. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, luckily with our, our campaign, you know, we're, working class and you know, progressive. So we've been getting a lot of that support and Bernie Sanders won our district in 2016 and 2020. So we've been trying to get as much support based off of that as possible. Everybody do me a favor, go to joeforassembly.org, give him money. And if you don't have any money or if you do have money, get, you know, give it to him and then do the following call anyone, you know, who lives in Lower San Jose, uh, Los Gatos, Santa Cruz, and tell them to check out joeforassembly.org and vote for him because we're out of ideas. We are. What is your solution when you see what went on Tuesday in Texas or what happened two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago in Buffalo. It feels like my generation, Biden's generation, everybody uh, over the age of, I'd say, 35 is uh, an expert on why nothing can get done. How do you solve this problem? Because we're done. My generation, the generations that came before me, we're done. We're out of ideas. How do you solve the gun problem? Well, this is this is interesting for me because I, I actually grew up around guns and shooting all the time. And, you know, I, I my uncle actually led the charge in Texas to arm staff. And I went to a, went to a school where staff was armed and, you know, there was a lot of issues with that. Um, and of course I was on the left side of that, but to me, you went to a school in Texas where the teachers had guns. Yep. So you, so the way it works is you would, you know, teachers would have to volunteer and sign up for that. They go through like a psychological evaluation and all this stuff. And only the best are all, you're only going to get the good guys with the guns, not the bad guys. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. That's, that's, that's you want but, the shop teacher with no index finger trying to fire. But yeah, no, that's it's it to me that that's not the right solution. And I think that a better solution is prevention. You know, obviously this starts with, um, you know, making sure they can't have access to the gun, making sure that they have mental health care, making sure, you know, they, they want to live. The reason why people, you know, go on these rampages and everything is because they have no will to live. You know, they, they see, they look around, you know, it, it's, it's devastating. There's nothing good anymore in this country. Everything is gone to complete another, sh- other shit, to be honest. Right. And young people are, are reacting to that. It's a reaction. And I think that if we want, if we want to get down to the, the you know, the, the real problem is we have to make this country better period, just across the board. You know, we need things like Medicare for all. We need mental health care for all students, you know, 14 million students. I just read this 14 million students go to school 
where they have police officers, but no counselors, no mental health wow. professionals. Wow. And it, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I think that if, if we're having police in schools, but not mental health professionals, the only response to an active shooter is by force. When you could have prevented that active shooter from ever becoming a shooter in the first place. Yeah. You, how old were you 10 years ago? You were nine. New time. I'm one of the only candidates who had to practice those shooter drills while in school. And it's, that's what my generation has had to deal with. Is I've been told that people your age uh, have a feeling of inevitability. Like we're going to get shot. It's going to happen. Is that true? Is that a, a feeling that American children have? Even so at, at my previous high school, the one non Texas where I grew up in Northern California, we actually had a bomb threat at my, at my high school. How quaint. And that's quaint. That's old. That's old school. That's what I grew up with. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I was like, you know, like what's happening. And, um, it was, you know, obviously it was, you know, a prank or whatever. And there's been a few, a few threats of school shootings, but I, I, I doubt if you ask a kid in anywhere in America, if you ask a kid if there's ever been a threat of a school shooting at their school, they would probably say yes. And and that's the start of the problem. And it, it really is an issue. Of, and it puts ideas in the heads of a lunatic. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no system of sharing that information. So for example, like if you go to a school in California, you get suspended for threatening to shoot up a school, then you go to school in Texas, they're not going to have any idea that, you know, you threatened to shoot up a school. They're not going to know. And there's, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, there's not enough information sharing where we can keep track of that. And, you know, there's some companies that have been trying to keep track of software, you know, kids' computers that's working somewhat, but there needs to be more broad information sharing and, and really getting down to the issue. And then a lot of these shootings are, you know, because of white supremacy, especially in Buffalo, it's, it's clear and people are denying that. How many Starbucks have gone union so far? I would say we're up to like 80 now. I know that it's representing about 8,000 workers across the entire country. Well, you're amazing. We, on, on the Ralph Nader radio hour this week, we had Dawn Sia on the show. I think she is a little older than you. She's running student PERGs and absolutely brilliant. These are student-led organizations that are infiltrating the halls of Congress and state assemblies and state legislatures. She reminded me of you. And I don't know if this got cut out of the show, but I talked about you because watching Joe Thompson and uh, Don Sia talk, I thought, you know, in professional sports, you turn 40, you're done. I hear you, Don, a lot of, a lot of these uh, people from the Sunrise Movement, Parkland, your facility with words, you're at the top of your game. And we need to hear more from the same way when you watch baseball, we only watch people at the top of their game, people in their 20s, 
30s, uh, not too many in their 40s. Uh, the same applies to solving our country's problems. We need to start. We're out of ideas. The older people are out of ideas. The only ideas we have is how to make things worse. And so uh, let me introduce you to Dr. Philip Hershenfeld, who is a Freudian psychiatrist, one of our beloved guests, and Ethan Hershenfeld, Thug Thug Jew, go stream it right now on YouTube. Brilliant, brilliant comedian. Dr. Um, Hershenfeld. Hey, I, I was listening. You got, you're awesome, Joe. I'm a fan. I just donated. I just went Thank on you. and it was like five minutes ago and donated. $18. 18 as you know, is high. It, 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 numerologically, it's life. And we're wishing you success and a long life and a lot of votes in favor of the union. How much high do you get? If you give them $1,800, that's a lot of high, right? That's a little too much. (laughs) You don't want to overdo it. (laughs) So the right amount of high is what, 18? High, 18. Just give 18. You don't want to overdo it. You can give 18 tomorrow. If you have another 18, (laughs) give it tomorrow. You don't have to give it all in one day. The election's not for two weeks. I've been listening. And also, by the way, if it's a Starbucks, it's not high, it's chai. It's a chai latte. You can give a high latte. That's eighteen. It's eighteen ounces. I love your laugh, David. <laughs> yeah, he has a he has an epic laugh. Yeah, it, it spoils comedians like me. You think, oh my god, I'm amazing. <laughs> I have pretty great taste when it comes to comedy. I do. All right, let me do some business here, folks. Non-alcoholic, by the way, non-alcoholic. I'm teetotaling. I recommend it. All you 19-year-olds, it's all weekends. It's just booze and booze. Knock it off with the booze. You have important work to do. Yes. Especially at a big... Yes. All right. Oh, Dad, you're, Dad, you're, you're muted. Well, I, I, let me take care of some business here for one second. This is serious stuff. If you're a fan of this show, if you believe in America, if you And love, if you don't want me to come down there and kick your... Yes. This is what you have to do, and I mean this. You have to go to joeforassembly.org and donate. Go to joeforassembly.org. We need him in the California State Assembly. And if you know anybody who lives in Santa Cruz, Los Gatos, the San Jose, southern San Jose, give out the cities because we have people... All over the like, world. There's yeah. There's there's Almaden. There's um, Alameda County as well. There's Los Gatos, Scotts Valley, Santa Cruz, Ben Loman, um, Bonnie Dune. There's there's a lot of areas that it covers. Morgan Hill especially too. There's there's a lot. Okay, those last two that you mentioned were actually menswear's brands. <laughs> those are not. You say Lorna Dune, that's a cookie. And then what are you, na- you're just naming foods and equations? <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie Dune, Bonnie and Ben Loman. And ben Loman, I'm telling you, I bought slacks from that guy. <laughs> ben Loman. That's a city? <laughs> that's a, you're absolutely right. Ben Loman sounds yeah. like one of the yeah, ties on Street. Yeah. that I inherited from my father. If I, like the ties that I got. Yeah, say Ben Lomond on it. You're absolutely. I actually Ben Lomond is one of the most beautiful spots in the world. I had uh, my friend Fred Reese and Lori 
lived up there, and it it was an, another world. So, Joe, you'll be back next week. We're going to get you yeah. elected. <laughs> we are. And even uh, come back after the election. Thank you, can I Joe. Ask Joe, can I ask him one more question? Sure. You talked about writing, like, actual handwritten letters. To whom, where should we write this? To start, to, like, address it to Schultz or... or and yeah, say, Howard, say Howard what? Howard Schultz at Starbucks, and where's that office? And is that in Seattle or? Let me, let me. I can put this in the chat. I'll look it up because we we wrote officially like a letter to him for the union, and people can write letters there to Kevin Johnson just because it's like it's his office. We just are like you're, you know, you're a piece of right. shit. You need to, you need to hear this from people. And what? And you would just say unionize, like stop fighting the unions. That's the whole message. Yep. Just right. directly, directly hit Starbucks where, where it hurts and say you're not going to support them if they keep you in busting. Right. Joe, I'll see you next week. Thank well, you. Thank you again for having me, David. Thank you for doing all the work you do. Uh, oh, there. wait a second. There are two questions. I apologize. Hang on. We have questions for you. Uh, hang on. How large does a Starbucks have to be to unionize? In other words, can smaller stores simply link up with the unions of larger ones instead of forging their own union? Thank you. I can answer that. It's it has to be a venti. A venti. Well, let me do. uh, uh, Ethan, the the question ends with "Thank you for your service, Joe." So you must have waited on this person at Starbucks if they're thanking you for your service. I, I, maybe <laughs> um, they don't have to be any particular size. You can they can join Starbucks Workers United. You can have two people, five people, ten, whatever. There's some sorts of fifty. So okay, fantastic. And the next question is: if you bought. I, I feel I, like I, you're censoring. I, I, Rodrigo has a question about AR. It's just too disturbing. Uh, thank you, Joe. <laughs> Joining us, I'll care. see you next week, I hope. Joining us is Dr. Philip Hershenfeld. If you don't mind leaning forward so we can hear you and Ethan Hershenfeld. Obviously, I want to talk to you about Tuesday and, and the idea of red flags and identifying the mentally ill and grabbing them before they, the lunacy of thinking we can identify uh, people who are about to shoot up a school. But when you look at somebody, I, I wanted to ask Dr. Hershenfeld this question about the mind. When you look at young baseball players, they're just in their prime. Doesn't the same apply to... Uh, politicians and union organizers that we have this idea that I see you shaking your head that the old your old people are like a fine wine they get better with age up to a point I think we're like a I, I think we're like a fine cheese we, we to stay, hit a curveball I'm sorry you, you to hit a curveball you can be 18 years old and knock it out of the park because your reflexes and your strength 
they're not at the maximum. That's probably a 26 to 28, but they're pretty damn good. I wouldn't want 18 or 26-year-old politicians. Uh, did you uh, listen to this guy, Joe? He's brilliant. He No, no I'm not kidding. No, I'm not let, kidding. Let, listen, children I, I should be heard but not seen. So hang I, on. Don't, I, I don't mean... I'm going to ask really, you to lean in so we could hear you, if you don't mind. I don't mean really old people. But I, I think it takes a while to develop judgment. You have to be around. You have to see various situations in life, some that failed, some that worked. And therefore, I'm not in favor of the octogenarians that are leading us these days. But people, you know, in their 50s, 60s, even 70s, maybe. I'm, I'm just, this is, maybe this is my bias. But that's who I'm more comfortable with. Ethan. Well, I think I just, I heard the point you were making, and I felt like it was a great point. You said to Joe, our generation is done. We're out of ideas here. We, we clearly have failed. I'll put myself in your group also. Dad, you have to agree. We have failed completely in dealing with this horror that in our country... People get shot every day in droves. We have no ability to deal with it. Now, will people in their 20s or 19-year-old Joe or someone in their 30s be able to fix it? Maybe, but we can. We know for sure that the people who are in power now will do nothing. End of story. Nothing. And kids will continue to get killed. They will get continue to get killed. So... So I mean, what what are what are we gaining from the experience? I mean, really, it's 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 such it's such an emergency. There that should part I, that part I agree with. The only young emergency, <laughs> and that we're not going to do anything about it. The only young. But who's the we? Could some younger folks maybe do some of that? I saw an op-ed, I, I, not even an op-ed, a letter to the editor in the Times that caught my eye, and I, I just stuck it verbatim right onto, onto Facebook. There's a woman in Minnesota who wrote it, and she said, enough is enough, every school teacher in the States has to go on strike right, right now. Close down the schools till we get some rational gun laws. Period. End of story. That's it. Who's going to do a strike like that? Not the 70-year-old teachers. Although maybe, but it, it's just, I, I mean, I thought that woman really nailed it. So early... Yeah. Go ahead, Dr. Hirschenfeld. I think that's a great idea. We have uh, Professor Greg Barak on the show. He's a criminologist. I wish he were here right now. The thing that he said that I'd like Dr. Hirschenfeld to respond to is the, the school shootings, as horrifying as they are, are really a drop in the bucket compared to the violence children witness every day from guns. And he said, this is an incredibly violent country, that we are the most violent country on the planet. We treat each other violently through rape, through denying health care, by denying money. This is a violent, violent country. Can we, is the first step to acknowledge that we're a violent country or do you, Disagree. Do you think we're not a violent country? I think we are. 
Uh, we're not as violent as Afghanistan, for example. So I wouldn't say we're the most violent. But among the, you know, advanced countries, yeah, we probably are. I think uh, Ethan, Ethan's I'm not going to interrupt. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold my hold my tongue. But I'm going to. I mean, yeah. I'm putting a pin in that. I think you're speaking of the well. You're talking about the Taliban's treatment of women specifically, and for example, that's, yeah, that's pretty violent. Yeah, I, I that that's a fair statement. Although we um, have been pretty violent to Afghanistan. You want a psychoanalytic? Yes. Uh, spin okay. On this? Okay, I'm ready. I, I will give you that. Yeah. Thank you. I wrote oh, this. Oh, you wanted you wanted to do that. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I have Jackie the Joke Man in, in on the bench if we want to bring him in for that. Go ahead, Doctor. I I wrote this today on the American Psychoanalytic Association list serve. And I immediately trolled it because I found it just <laughs> No no. Go ahead. And I got a surprising amount of responses who were more or less in agreement with my statement. And here was my statement, and this is the bare bones, and it needs to be fleshed out. Um, child sacrifice did not end with the Incas. It did not end with the Canaanites who sacrificed to Moloch. It came from a deep need, a psychological need, to appease the gods, to ensure a crop, to ensure rain. But and the- and to get and to get school closed a little early because everyone hates school. <laughs> yeah, that too, and um, it's. I mean, God. I hope your audience doesn't get um, bent out of shape from this statement, but God does not exist. God is a projection of human feelings and fantasies and, and thoughts. So, for example, human beings are very envious of people who have more than they have. So they assume God is going to be envious if they have too much. And he's going to punish them for having too much. So let's, you know, calm down God a little bit by sacrificing a couple of our children. Wow. So that so that we don't risk the hubris and pissing God off by having too much. So among the things we have too much of is happy families. So get rid of a few. Okay, that's interesting. I I would say that allowing our children to be murdered like this. Is that why I'm sorry to get personal here, but is that why you uh, you and mom sacrificed my little brother? (laughs) Ixnay. Come on. That was. Uh, oh, we're always oh, this. Is this public? No, no, yeah. Don't Well, I, I, I don't think. In, the, in your father's defense, 
God yeah. told him to stop, but he spoke into your father's bad ear. Right. So also, we, tuitions were so out of their <laughs> tuitions were insane. So a fourth was just that was that was crazy. Your 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 so baby brother Isaac. Say, yeah, go ahead. Yes, yeah. please. I let's let's say for example, those dreaded Mexicans were crossing the border every night and killing American children. We'd, we'd go crazy. We'd wipe them off the face of the map. We'd do anything we can to stop that. But we don't do everything we can to stop this kind of thing. And I don't think this is the whole reason. It's a complicated set of issues. Or it's, it's politics, it's power, it's whatever. But I think... We have not given it an all-out college try because that's what, in, in a deep psychology, this is what it represents. It, it, it's sort of an insurance policy that we continue to have spacious skies and amber waves of grain. So, so I understand this. When we're watching Anderson Cooper and the grieving parents, and the pictures of the children. As tragic as that is, it, it, it fills a need of sacrifice. An unconscious need that very few people are aware of, but it is there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that there's another need that it, that this whole drama that gets replayed over and over and over again on repeat, there's another need that it f fulfills. And I, I saw it loud and clear in that moment when, when O'Rourke interrupted the governor in that, that press conference. And the governor interrupted him back and said, how dare you talk politics right now? What we need to do right now is we need to console these suffering people. We need to console these suffering people. So for me, what what that evinces is that a lot of the politicians, they're happy to think of themselves somehow as healers or therapists or preachers they don't give a damn about preventing the next one they really want to sit there in this role as consoler in chief right it's pathetic it's useless it's disgusting and beto o'rourke was speaking the truth there those kids are dead already those 19 are dead what are you going to do about the next 19 that are definitely right. about to get shot that's right. the horrible thing. There are 19 and more. There are 1,900. There are 19,000 who are just next in line to get shot in our country. What are you going to do about that, Governor Abbott, you jerk? We don't care about your how big your heart is. It doesn't matter. You're a nobody because you can't fix this problem. Talking about his heart makes him feel like a good person. Right, but I'm, I'm saying it's not just that it makes him feel like a good person in reaction to his impotence to fix this, that in some ways it's like it, it's why he has the job. These people, it's like, a, uh, it's like a, a deluded state where you get to feel like, oh, I'm going to console, I'm going to take care of. Meanwhile, you're not taking care of them. They're dying under your watch. But it, it, I just think and, it's And pray. And they're asking, pray for these kids. Pray right. for their families. Right. Yeah. Pray right. for How about the next family? Yeah, yeah. So it's 
Uh, and there's also, I think, it makes some people feel alive, that they feel something. Most people are isolated. They don't have anyone to cry for or cry for them. So they turn on the TV and they feel something. Well, that's where it's entertainment. I mean, that, it, it serves that function. You're absolutely right. You couldn't pay me to watch one of these coverages. I didn't. I, I don't want. But the idea that Anderson Cooper then goes down there and we have to hear, we have to see someone crying. But it's it's just uh, that's pornography. Morally, go ahead, yeah. Doctor Hirschfeld. No, I was just going to use the same word. It's a form of pornography. If you were to go into a conference room at any news network and talk about morality or if any rabbi with the Talmud or any priest or Jesuit or whomever uh, uh, I'm him, uh, to talk about the morality of putting the parents on TV is it moral in your estimation for a, a, a news network to put grieving parents on television. I think it's moral if it's done with the intent to, if, if they're parents who, who can use that grief to prevent the next one, to push their politicians and to push the people watching to wake them up. But to just show grieving parents and to show photos of the kid at baseball, it's grotesque. And then, and then the, the parents, you know what's interesting in America? We can see the parents grieving over their children being shot dead in a public school. We're not allowed to talk to the parents of our soldiers who died. We're not allowed to see the flag-draped coffins. We're not allowed to speak to the parents. It's considered unseemly. But we're, we're allowed to talk... They move, they, they move the line for their own special special needs. What is... It's going to get worse, isn't it, Dr. Hershenfeld? We don't have any way to get Joe Manchin, anybody in the Democratic Party, to pass any legislation to rein in the gun manufacturers. Because they're, they're only interested in their own power, their own survival, their own contributions. It is pretty repulsive, and and it's extremely discouraging. What about this idea of the teacher strike? That that I love it. Look, I think, what about the? I mean, what about logistically? It definitely is scary. But how many of how many teachers would you need to do that to make that work? I don't think you'd need. 100% or even 70% or even 50%. I think you get 25, 30% then schools can't function. 25 to 30%. That's, I think they would be understaffed. They would be running around and kids would have to stay home. That well, would be pressure. It, yeah. The unions should organize this. The teachers unions right. are, are right. somewhat have some power. Guilt. These people are incapable of guilt. Greg Abbott, Ted Cruz, they sleep well at night? Yes. Yes, they do. D during the height of COVID, didn't some 
nurses or emergency room physicians or somebody try that we're going on strike until we have better protection yeah yeah i think i think that worked yeah you've said to me if i i you've said in the past and it's it, it it i keep remembering i said i'm having trouble sleeping and you said you're punishing yourself you feel guilty you don't know you feel guilty you don't know you're punishing yourself. Is it fair to, to think that Greg Abbott and the lieutenant governor and, and Wayne LaPierre punish themselves in ways they don't know they're punishing themselves or they're not capable of even feeling guilty? I, I think that's a hope you have, but I, I don't think we have any evidence that that is the case. I also want to say that, David, it could be something much simpler than guilt and you punishing yourself. Let's talk about your bed for a moment. Box spring? Is there a box spring? I, or is it just a mattress? Uh, I don't know. You, you'd have to ask the, the bugs. Okay. Because a lot of people are, I think, losing sleep because they have they have all this other stuff. You just need a mattress. All you need is a floor and a mattress. This whole box spring or slats or all of that stuff, then it's just a lot of nonsense. That's what I believe. So I think it could be your bed. Just I a little am, bit I am sleeping this is I am sleeping much better because I don't drink coffee after twelve o'clock. There it is. See it's another simple go. solution. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, how is the comedy? What are you doing this week? Something is just, oh, I have two things to plug that are very interesting. Three things, but I'll, I'll, I'll make the, only, the first one. Is, only? Okay, Slow four. week? Okay, four. Okay, first of all, I wrote a book, and it's coming out next week. Yeah. It is fabulous. <laughs> I was laughing out loud. You oh, wrote a come, book? That, that undermined, Dad, I Come on, you're my dad. It's clearly not objective. It's under. It, just let me let me plug it. I'm a trained objectivist. That's true. You're, yeah, you're, 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 he's you're he's iron <laughs> Um No, so I, it's going to be out uh, next week. You can look it up now. It's it's there on Kindle already, but it's not a. Uh, it turns out the something with the formatting on Kindle wasn't quite right. So don't buy the Kindle, but buy it next week. I'll be plugging it again. The title is. Today is now, exclamation point. Today is now. And it's, it's written by my alter ego, uh, Dr. Samuel Benjamin, mm. who is a, a guru, a coach, a therapist, uh, uh, a visionary. Well, you know, people call him all sorts of things. And um, it's, uh, it's 100 pages, well, 108 pages of, of real wisdom. And uh, I give him a lot of I credit. I guarantee you it's fantastic. I agree with you. How could it not be great? Seriously, how could it not be absolutely brilliant? So that's, I'm going to be plugging the hell out of that uh, going forward. We're going to have some book signing events. We have a... Uh, oh, you so there's a hard copy as well? Yes, there's a hard copy coming out. In fact, there's going to be an audio book. Don't get the Kindle, but look up, look up the title. Today is now, exclamation point, and uh, that's happening. Now, I'll talk that's more about that, about that, but if I may. Sunday night, if you're in Queens or if you're near Queens, come out. I am 
narrating with the Queen's Symphony Orchestra. One of the numbers they're doing is the Aaron Copland piece called Lincoln Portrait, which is an orchestral piece with a narrator who speaks the words of Abraham Lincoln. So I am the narrator Sunday afternoon um, in uh, You're doing in Abraham Lincoln. Um, yeah, it's not like you're playing the guy because uh, it's in the third person, like Abraham Lincoln said. So, so it's not like you're. Um, it's not like I'm going to be putting on the big hat or whatever. But speaking the words of Lincoln, it's called uh, Lincoln Portrait. It's by Aaron Copland. It's from 1942, I believe, and you can see it live outdoors. Uh, Aaron Copland, uh, Lincoln Portrait, uh, this Sunday, and then Sunday in Queens. Well, and in Queens with the Queen Symphony Orchestra. Look them up, Queen Symphony Orchestra. Outside. Hey, outside. Should be very nice. Yeah. Great. Um, and uh, then June 18th, I just wanted to plug this show with Joe DeVito, who's incredible, and Becky Viduccio and Marsha Blaustein. Just great comedians. We have a show in Rosendale, New York, if anyone's upstate New York. 7.30 p.m. show on June 18th at the Rosendale Theater, a beautiful historic theater. And wow. I think uh, the good doctor will be there because he's up Is there he on performing? the weekend. It's a great, oh. it's a great theater. It's worth. Pat, are you going to do five minutes? Or are you going to do a set? If you want to interview me, maybe. Okay, all right, <laughs> we'll work something out. Right. That sounds fantastic. Any and uh, did you book any new movies or TV shows? I did. I did. I am playing the role of Murat. Murat is a building super, and he's also a confidant and a source of emotional support and some wisdom to the protagonist in a movie called Daughter of the Bride. Daughter of the Bride, we're shooting in a few weeks. And uh, I wear a uh, tank top, uh, boxers, and uh, sandals with socks. <laughs> That's fantastic. Dr. Philip Hershenfeld is a Freudian psychoanalyst, and we're very grateful to have you here. You got it right this time, David. I'm sorry? You got it right this time. This time. But this time. There's yeah. always next week for me to get it yes, wrong. There is. And Ethan Hershenfeld is a brilliant comedian. Go right now to YouTube and watch Thug Thug Jew, a brilliant thing. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the support. And in addition to Thug Thug Jew, please do Google the book. It's called Today Is Now by Dr. Samuel Benjamin. Today is now, exclamation point. And uh, you can buy it uh, next week. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, it will, it will change your life. There we go. Now we're talking. There we go. Now that's a blurb. Wow, there is a blurb. That's yeah. a blurb. That's a quote from the blurb by Dr. Samuel Benjamin of his own book. <laughs> Did you? Who blurbed your book? Uh, there's a whole blurb list. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that. There's some good ones. Okay. Including the ghost of Carl Jung. He, mm. he yeah. Yeah. He said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. thank you, Ethan. Thank you, doctor. You're listening to the David Feldman show, David Feldman show.com. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Liam McEnany, who makes his return to the show. It's been a while. And if you would like to join us in the Zoom room, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the pay-per-view. It's free. We're just, it's the pay-per-view button on the website. And it'll take you right to the, the sign-up sheet to get into our Zoom room. And while you're over there, uh, you, you'll be able to join the conversation in our Zoom room. We will take calls from our listeners. Let me go over to the chat room in 
YouTube and say hello to the listeners who are watching us live on YouTube. I'm reading, uh, let's see, uh, Maz Art writes, sun's out, gun's out. That's nice. Uh, Sun Green says she loves Ethan. Uh, Dr. Mordecai Cassius Marcellus Jones, I believe from the Planet of the Apes, says Germans wear sandals with socks. Yes, they do. Just Give Me the Truth says, can an author really say he is doctor when they are not scary? All right. If you have any questions in the chat room on Zoom as we await the arrival of uh, Liam McEnany, and I have a feeling he's not showing up. That is uh, a distinct possibility that Liam won't be there. Dan, are you there? Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't think you want to turn your video on. I don't think Liam's showing up. Oh, boy. Yeah. So we can, you can quiz me if you want. Uh, I've got a quiz. What, what, is the, what is the subject? Well, in uh, 1922, Walt Disney incorporated his first film company called Laugh-O-Gram Films, and today's mm. quiz is on Disney animations. Oh, okay. I know nothing about that. Uh, why is your video off? Oh, there you are. Uh, Gran Udismo in YouTube says, I'm one of David's bed bugs, and I can confirm he sleeps better since he stopped drinking coffee. You know, I asked the bed bugs not to... Uh, Watch the show. So, uh, where is Jim Earl? I don't know. Where is Jim Earl? Have you heard from Jim or Martha? I have not. Somebody. Probably a Kenny Bunk. At Kenny Bunk. And let's see what the chat room in Zoom is asking. Uh, okay, fucking Liam. <laughs> I, it, yeah, I, uh, the show was going, I was really looking forward to seeing Liam. Why don't we do this? Why don't we play some Professor Mike Steinel? I will go get some beans, curse Liam McEnany. I will find out what happened to Liam McEnany. And when we come back, we'll, we'll find somebody in the Zoom room who wants to go up against me on uh, Disney animation. If they dare. If they dare. We'll be That's right. right. We'll be right back. Traveling light, got everything I need. Got a little bottle of wool light and a little bag of weed. Got to saw bellum novel, cause I really like to read. I'm traveling light. I'm a creature of the road, got no regrets. Gave up my postal code and cigarettes. I'm doing much better with a touch of Tourette's. I'm traveling light. Just need a clean room in a Motel 6. Not too close to downtown, but not out in the sticks. I need my pen and teller. Magic kit So I can do my tricks Got my favorite pillow 
which I call Mr. Fluffy. Four kinds of allergy pills in case I get stuffy. A pound of Epsom salts, cause my ankles get puffy. I'm traveling light. Two pairs of socks and shorts in my little valise. A couple of passports and my sex doll Denise. I'm staying real quiet so they don't call the police. I'm traveling light. sedatives and my antipsychotics a high speed parallax motor cause I'm into robotics and my little red speedo I like to do aquatics I'm traveling late got my CPAP machine and my George Foreman grill a copy of Lolita and my little blue pills a Navajo blanket in case I get a chill I'm traveling late got my margarita mix and my rusty old blender a 50 tequila in case I go on a bender my attorney's number in case I want to change my gender I'm traveling late In case I have some visitors For breeze if I'm really stinky A Polaroid in case I get kinky My Jesus bobblehead And my Star Wars bed spread I'm traveling light I got my rabbi costume And my portable dark room My hair plug lotion And my expensive wrinkle cream My Emmy statue For my self-esteem I'm traveling light my podcast mixer and a fancy microphone, my exercise bike so I have a place to hang my pants, my very valuable Hummel collection, a menorah made of fish heads, a Christmas tree, I like to keep my options open, don't you know, a shoe shine kit, a skill saw, a crossword book, a large supply of mechanical pencils, a year's worth of New York magazines I've been trying to get around to read, some scripts that I've been tweaking for those people in L.A., and my enemies list. Don't forget about my enemies list. Thank you so much, Professor Mike Steinel. Brilliant song, as always. Well, Liam McEnany was supposed to be here, and he's not showing up. But who cares when you have Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom? That's all we need. Hello there, Dan. Hello, uh, I suspect Liam might be on the uh, California time situation. Yeah, he might show up yeah, at ten. But, he, he'll know, show up at ten thirty. Yeah. He'll, oh, I oh I forgot that you do the show out of New York. He's done that before. Mm-hmm. I should just. I mean, he knows we do this live, and because he's a friend of mine, he tries to screw me over. Liam McEnany, brilliant comedian. <laughs> 
Who's at uh, office hours? We I know we have Professor John doing the, uh, the the Twilight Zone. Who else do we have? Do we know? Yep. Let's take a look here. Um, so this upcoming office hours is going to be number one hundred and twelve. Is it really? Yep. That's amazing. One hundred and twelve office hours. I can't imagine what life was like before office hours. I don't remember what the show was like. I don't remember how we did the show without people who I've met from office hours. Interesting. I, I remember doing the podcast. One of the first um, introductions where you're using Zoom for the podcast was we did like a one o'clock with, I think it was um, Dr. Jen. Right. It was just one segment and you grabbed it and then it grew and grew from there. Hey, I owe an apology to our crew. I screwed up. So we have a one sheet that everybody has access to so they can communicate with me during the show. Let me thank the people who put this show together. Dan Frankenberger, Joe in Norway, the Invisible Ninja, Grace Jackson, Hannah Feldman, Sarah Bush, Andy Brown, and Professor Jonathan Bick. Did I get them all? I think so. And we had a big meeting yesterday, and we have this shared one sheet where you can communicate with me during the show. And I insisted, don't worry, don't worry. I The, the best way to communicate with me is on the one sheet. <clears throat> and I didn't see the question for Professor Barack. I apologize. And I didn't see... The question for Dr. Hirschenfeld from Harsh. So I screwed up. I apologize. I we thought I was two or three more monitors. That's all. No, I, I thought I was. I thought I had been checking the one sheet, but apparently it got away from me. All right. So who do we have for office hours Friday night? Well, I'm at eight o'clock. You're going to hold court for a while and take some questions and criticisms and you can come complain to David. Right. And then at 930, we have the fast lane. With everyone's a favorite, uh, Lane Hewitt. Never heard Lane's. of him. Who, who's this Lane <laughs> Hewitt you speak of? From, from Britain. Yes, he is from Britain, from Seam. I've seen him, but I don't believe him. At uh, 10 o'clock, we have... Uh, why should the Feldman community care about Pacifica Radio? And this is with uh, Myla and special guest who is a historian, alternative ener energy visionary, and election integrity activist, Professor Harvey Wasserman. Right. Okay. Somebody just wrote, it would be excellent if Feldo phoned Al Franken. He mm. wouldn't come on this show. I love Al Franken for his comedy, but not for his cowardice. Uh, he wouldn't come on the show because I read the list of women who have accused him of sexual assault. And he wouldn't be able to rewrite his history. But that's a good idea. Uh, Chris Tarugo writes, Dead Air on this show is better than live interviews on some others. Thank you. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, who else? So we're, we're going to be talking about Pacifica Radio and the, the, the problems they've been having for the past 30 years, right? 
Right. And that is an, it's another great reason to come to office hours. If that is a, a topic you have of interest, because Milo has been enlightening us and, and shedding some uh, inside baseball information and some knowledge that she has a, a long history and knows people. Uh, and yeah. she's been telling us about it the last, the last few weeks. It's right. It's really right. interesting and concerning and all that. Um, at 11, we have a guided tour of the twilight zone with yes. professor John, which you mentioned. Do we know what episode? Um, nope. It's not in the description, so I'm not sure. I think sometimes Professor John isn't really sure until a day or two before, mm-hmm. so it, it might not be chosen yet. Right. And then uh, at midnight, we have uh, the listener, Harsh. He's got uh, investigative journalism in North Korea. He's doing a discussion about um, North Korea and uh, from a non-U.S. perspective, because he's not from here. Okay. And then from uh, there out, we have witching hours for the rest of the night, which is a name we uh, we gave just kind of an open forum where you talk to each other and shoot the shit. There's no real format. So that's cool. Good. And then in the morning, we have Professor Adnan at 830 in the morning, um, moving forward with his course, Jewish and Muslim Parables and Philosophical Fictions. Okay. And then at one in the afternoon, we have Professor John uh, with a classic Star Trek episode. Sounds so great. He's, yeah, he's doing he's doing uh, the Twilight Zone Friday night, and then uh, at one on Saturday, a Star Trek presentation. And then on a different channel, uh, Valley Vox is doing uh, Showgirls with special guest Professor Nathan Skoll. Okay. Then uh, we got some going into, we always say office hours is Friday night, but basically it rolls all weekend on and off. Right. All you need is Zoom. You just need Zoom. Go to my website, hit office hours. It'll take you right in there. You don't need a password and you can keep your video off. You can lurk. You don't even have to show your face. Shall we start the quiz, my friend? Let me do two more things for for Sunday. Uh, Hammer and Sickle with Andy, DPA, uh, Falco, and Sarah. That's at 2.30. And then at 4.30, the Weekly Marks Reading Group. Okay. So we wanted to do the quiz. Are we going to pick a victim? If anybody in the Zoom room would like to lose to me, because you will lose, raise your hand. I'm not going to... Rodrigo, I... I'm going to not call on, oh, Tech Zimmerman. Tech Zimmerman is here. Well, I think Rodrigo has a helium balloon tied to his wrist. And St. Christopher of, well, here's what I'm going to do. Let me call on Tech Zimmerman. Tex? These, people are, these people are brave. Yeah. Tex? You have to unmute Tex. Yes, David. Hey, Tex, you, you want to go up against me? Oh, you checked. In the first day, big goodbye. Tex, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, we can, Tex. I want to go up against you in the worst way. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know who this is. Uh, and going up against me would be the worst way. Uh, you, could, you could do a lot better. Than, than, and why don't we bring in, I don't know who Saint... Christopher Hitchens is. I think I have an idea. Are you coming to us from Great Britain? 
I'm coming f- uh, from heaven. Oh, uh, okay. Um, sadly, I died, and uh, I was proved wrong. <laughs> oh, this is Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you're up in heaven. Thank you for that uh, terse and uh, grudging introduction. Uh, what he got right yeah. and what he got wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Not right. only did I get um, uh, the whole thing wrong, I was made a saint. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. For my services in keeping people from bothering God and my services to atheism. Uh, sorry, uh, anti-theism. <laughs> so, Christopher, you are St. Christopher of Hitchens. Hitchens, yes. So you're now a they saint. spelled Hitchens wrong. They, uh, God is not good with the old admin. <laughs> my name is Hitchens with an E. And uh, Hitchens is a place in um, Hertfordshire with an I. So, uh, but I'll take it. You know, it's, I like a car, so I'll take it, man, yeah. All right, so let's put some money in the kitty. Where's my... Here we go. We're going to put some money in the kitty. Meow. And it's going to be Tech Zimmerman, St. Christopher of Hitchens, losing to me, David Feldman. And the subject is Walt Disney. Is that correct? It is Disney Animations. And this is, uh, okay. I have uh, five questions and a bonus question if we need it. Now I would like to ask uh, St. Chris to please not look at the answers from beyond. Don't lo- don't look at the answers from beyond and don't look at the chat room. I suspect. Text- I, feel, I feel if anybody's going to be an expert on a craven anti-Semite, it's going to be Mr. Feldman. So uh, okay. I let him have a go at it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> question number one. Who's first? Um, good question. Um, let's go with St. Chris's first. Out of respect for the dead. Yes. <clears throat> Yep, St. Chris, then Tex, and then David. Question number one. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves was Disney's first American animated feature, but what was the second? Was it Bambi, Dumbo, Pinocchio, or Brainwashed Asshole? (laughs) (laughs) That was from Monday's show. That was Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) That was Rudy Giuliani. I couldn't stay awake. Okay. I'm going to eliminate brainwashed assholes because I am aware that went straight to DVDs. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stick with, I'm going to go Dumbo. It seems a similar um, type of animation. Merely a guess. Dumbo. Check. Mr. Zimmerman. <clears throat> I believe, I'm just guessing, I think it's Pinocchio. Oh, give me the choice. By the way, uh, a Craven Anti-Semite is my new indie band. <laughs> how, how could you miss with that? <laughs> what, what are the choices again? The choices are Bambi, Dumbo, Pinocchio, or Brainwashed Asshole. Bambi. I'm going to say... Pinocchio. The correct answer is Pinocchio. (laughs) 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 
So I a get little, a hundred. little backstory. Uh, released in 1940, Pinocchio won an Academy Award for Best Score and Best Song for When You Wish Upon a Star. That's a good one. And so who got it right? Uh, Texan David. So Christopher, St. Christopher is losing. Okay. Next give question. you a head start, I think. <clears throat> All right, question number two. Uh, Texas first this time. Okay. How many times does Cinderella lose her shoe? Is it one, two, three, or she always brings her shoes so she has them? <laughs> From the Jerky Boys. <laughs> Mr. Rosenberg, should I bring my shoes? Three different times. Hmm. Tex hmm. says three. So it's on David. I'm going to say, I have no idea. I'm going to say, although in, this is true, in first grade, I was, I was supposed to be Prince Charming in Cinderella. And I, I, had a, I had a kisser and I wouldn't do it. I dropped out. In first because grade. of the kiss? Because of the kiss. I would not kiss a girl in first grade. Wow. I had my purity ring. And I, <laughs> Siri, I remember that it was traumatic because I wanted to be Prince Charming, but they, they, they tortured me. They said, no, you must kiss Cinderella. Was it going to be like a deep a throat swabbing affair? <laughs> they, they just wanted a, a peck on the cheek and that's not Just a peck I, on the cheek? I said, how about I just have sex with her? No. Shake, <laughs> shake hands. Shake hands. Uh, I'm going to say two. I have no idea. St. Christopher. Given as there is a preponderance for um, conspiracy theories regarding sex and Disney, I'm going to say she lost it once, like her virginity. The correct answer is three. Now, was Geppetto grooming Pinocchio? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Uh, yeah. Here comes question number three. And well, who gets first. the points there? Who gets points? Tex. Just, just, just Tex. Just Tex. You're actually writing this down? I am. Tex <laughs> is winning. How's your sister code? Okay. How's All your right. sister code, Tex? <laughs> That's a good one, David. Thank you. Uh, your mind is always working. <laughs> always working. Who's up? Uh, uh, David, you are first this time with question number three. Who sang Once Upon a Time in New York City? the opening song in Oliver and Company. Was it Huey Lewis, Elton John, Billy Joel, or Two Life Crew? <laughs> who sang... Read that question again, please. Who, who sang Once Upon a Time in New York City? Uh, that was the opening song in Oliver and Company. Oh, was it okay. Huey Lewis... Elton John, Billy Joel, or Two Live Crew? I happen to know the answer to this question. Well, you're first. Billy Joel. Okay. 
Up next is uh, St. Christopher. In the pathetic oh. attempt to at least get one point on the board, I'm going to agree with the certitude that was me predict, projected by David just now. Oh, I changed my mind. I, was it Elton John? Maybe it was Elton John. Let me go. Hang on. Now. Was it Elton John or Two Life Crew? Oh. Two Life Crew might be a... I don't know. You go first. I'd like to think it was True Life too, but I, I don't think it is. I, I'm going to go with Billy Joel. He's a New York type, isn't he? Yes. New York frame of mind and all that tosh. Yes. It's St. Christopher. All right, Dex. I think it might be Huey Lewis. The correct answer is Huey Lewis. What? All right. <laughs> no way. I knew that. No, 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 no. I knew the answer. Listen to this. Although Billy Joel was the voice of Dodger and did sing in the movie, the opening song was left to the great Huey Lewis. That's news to me. I. That's an unfair question. It's that is culturally biased because I didn't know that. So I don't a lot get of a point. Don't, don't know this, but Huey Lewis's first band was Huey Lewis and the Anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing with a theme, <laughs> Huey Lewis and, yeah. and the Anti-Semite yeah. news. Yeah. Very oh, popular newspaper in uh, the Midwest. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I, I was, was a columnist. I wrote right it. along there with grit. You ever, you ever buy grit? I, Remember grit? I think I, my my grandparents bought grit. Came once a week. It was very right wing. Anyway, were your were your were your grandparents right wing? No, they were they were they were Roosevelt uh, Democrats. Very much so. Yeah, they loved Kennedy. You know. Okay. Anyway, um, question number four. Uh, number four. Who's, who's next? Number Who went four. first? I think St. Christopher went first. Okay, question number four. What is the love bug? Is it a cute little animated bug, a dance, a car, or a reason for a shot of penicillin? <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, anti-Semites, it's a Volkswagen <laughs> car uh, made by the Nazis, uh, the Porsche company. So yes, yes, I know that one. Yes, right at Bolt um, Avenue. St. <laughs> Chris says a car. Texas on you. It is definitely a bug. It's a uh, Volkswagen bug, and I believe Walt Disney was an anti-Semite which is why he wanted to make a movie about Hitler's favorite car, a Volkswagen. (laughs) The correct Uh, answer is a car. All right, we all do. Everybody everybody gets a car. Question number five. What's the score, David? The score is Tex Zimmerman. Unfortunately, I'm not happy to say this, Tex Zimmerman has one, two, three, four points. Uh, Christopher, St. Christopher of Hitchens has two points. And David Feldman is in the lead with 150 points. 
<laughs> I'm tied with St. Christopher of Hitchens. Okay. Question number five. Here we go. <clears throat> Fill Who's in up? the blank Who's up? from Who's up? Um, Tex. Tex is up. <clears throat> okay. But so why don't we do blank. this? Is this the last question? This is the last question. I had one bonus in case we need well, it. Why don't we do a thing where you have to wager your points now? Because Tex has four, and he can, he can. I'm all in, David. I'm all in. I'm all in. Don't so worry about you me. You could I'm either have eight points or zero. And if I wager my two, it I'm would a be Disney tied. aficionado. Okay. So uh, you have to tell us how much you're going to wager. Go ahead. Who's, who's up first? Tex is up first. How much are you going to wager on this? All four points, David. All, all four, four points. So you'll either have eight points or go yes. home empty. Empty-handed. Yeah. Empty-hearted. Mm-hmm. David, how many are you going to wager, and how many is St. Christopher going to wager? Well, I can't hear the question. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it all. I'm going all. All in. You got you to gotta go all in. Yeah. I have no option but to do the same. Okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. Here comes question number five. Fill in the blank from Disney's Pocahontas song, Colors no. of the Wind. God. Who, who's, 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 who, 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 you, uh, Texas first. Texas, Texas first. Texas first. Fill in the blank from Disney's Pocahontas song, Colors of the Wind. Come taste the sunsweet berries of the blank. Come oh taste the sunsweet berries of my <laughs> of the blank not your blank <laughs> the, here's the options this is a kids, um, mo- this is a kids movie text is um, it earth <laughs> bush garden or forbidden crack <laughs> wow uh, um i'm gonna say garden Okay, and David is next. What, 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 read the question to me one more time, please. Fill in the blank from Disney's Pocahontas song, Colors of the Wind. Come taste the sunsweet berries of the blank. Come taste the sunsweet berries of my... Not my, the. the. <laughs> my kids, Earth? this was something, this is something I heard and my kids would sing this. In the back seat. In the back seat. <laughs> um, the options are earth, bush, garden, or forbidden crack. Well, my kids sang forbidden crack, but that's, <laughs> I, they were 30 at the time. Come, what is it? What's the opening line? Come taste the sunsweet berries of the blank. Come taste the sunsweet berries of. If I say garden. <clears throat> I'll say Earth. I'm wrong, but Saint Christopher. So it's not the Dingle. No, it's not. It's, it's not from the Dingle. No, no. It's definitely not from your Dingle either. No, no, no. no. Um, I'm uh, Earth. Earth. Yes. Okay. This is going to be the cor- interesting. The correct answer is Earth. Wow. Wow. So Tech Zimmerman goes went down, down to zero. I went down to Chinatown. Yeah. And now <laughs> I have four, and St. Christopher has four. 
and mm. it's a a tiebreaker. Mm. Well, I have prepared a bonus question. Okay, it is once again for um, Cinderella, but David is first this time. So, are you going to do a wager situation again? Well, I, I believe uh, Tech Zimmerman. I have nothing to wager. Has nothing to wager. It, it's just, amazing. Just, you went. You were at the top, and you just top fell. of my game. Top and, of my and game. Now you yeah. got nothing. The uh, it's amazing how they fall. It's amazing how when I change the rules, how quickly they fall. <laughs> you <laughs> the were winning. Are, the harder until, they fall. If I didn't introduce the wager at the last minute, I'd still be. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll let you play anyway, but. Okay, all right. But, but you lost. But you lost. You're so you're so magnanimous. I'll play for nothing. I'll just play like I come on the show. <laughs> play for nothing. <laughs> you shoved it all in. Now you got nothing to show for it. <laughs> I got nothing, honey. Nothing. nothing. All right. Let's. Okay. Here we go. What's well, the David, bonus? are you wagering all your points? And is Saint Christopher, or are you going to do some strategic betting? Can I keep my wager secret and then tell you what it is depending on? <laughs> can we do the honor system? You're the one making up the rules as we go. We can do uh, whatever you want. All right. I'm going to wager. I'm going to wager two points out of my four. I'm gonna, uh, I want to go home with two points. All right. All in. St. Christopher's going all in. All Ooh. in, all in, all in. Up to the hilt, as I say. And, and <laughs> Professor, how much are you waging? I don't have anything to wager. I'm just here for the, I'm just playing as a, uh, how would you say it? I'm just. Uh, You're auditing. I'm auditing the course. There you yes. go. Okay. I will, I will give an answer. Okay. Okay. Who's up? Who is up? Um, David, you are first. Okay. It's kind of question number six and you were last. Um, this one, again, is about Cinderella. So the bonus question is. In Cinderella, the fairy tale, how many times does she go to the balls? <laughs> Is it one, two? You know, with that question, you could take one way, by the way. Oh, you could take it one way? <laughs> you could take it one way. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> yeah. Is it one, two, three, or every time? <laughs> well, I don't know the answer to that question. But I'm going to say, since it's balls, and Prince Charming probably had three balls, because he's a man. <clears throat> Men have three balls, right? He is a royal, yes. Yes. <laughs> the uh, way I count, yeah. All right. I have no idea. I remember Cinderfella. I'm going to go with three balls. Oh, no, no, I was just making, I'm, I was ordering a man. I'm sorry. We're, 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 I'm filling out a menu here. Uh, I'll, I'll also go with three balls on that as well. Every Saint, single one. St. Christopher goes with every time. Yes. Tex, what, what is your answer on this one going to be? Trace or base. Three balls. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is three. Oh. All right. Ah, I took ah, a wild ah, guess. Ah, so, how, many, how, many, how much were they in the? Three. 
I'm, I'm dropping I'm dropping Chris here, right? If there were three if there were three balls in the film, then she went to every one of them, didn't she? I don't know. Ah. I, I never oh, know. Yeah. I guess I think, I think uh-huh. Christopher has one points also. I think he had he yeah. pulled ahead of you. Because he wagered more. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a good point. I think no, I I think I won. I think I won. Uh, Christopher, you wagered all of it, so you're down to zero. Right? Yes, 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 yes. And I wagered two, so that gives me six. And how much did uh, Professor to t- Tech Zimmerman wager? I had nothing, nothing, honey. So, so I, I believe I started with nothing. I ended with nothing. So who who won? Everybody, I think it, Herr Feldman. David won. Yes, David, David won. Herr Feldman. Well, well done, you. Well done, you. Let that be a lesson to you. Well done. Thank you, Dan well done, Frankenberger. Man. Field Good evening Marshall. and uh, God be less. Thank you, Sam guys. Thank you, Tech Zimmerman. Thank you, Thank you, St. Christopher of Hitchens. Coming up, Professor Barry Lynn, not Professor, the Reverend Barry <laughs> W. Lynn will be joining us. But I'd like to hear some, some music from Professor Mike Steinell. Oh, I did it again. I did it again. Oh, no. Walking 13 miles on every shift. Can you hear that? a chair in sight. Lifting 20,000 pounds yes, a day. Yes, we go. I uh, don't seem right. What am I doing? Saving I plastic bottles to have a place to pee. Injuries in this place are the highest in the industry. Don't believe those TV ads. Things ain't what they seem. Don't tell me this sweatshop has become... Come the American dream. All right, that wasn't fair. I screwed up. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. When we come back, we will be joined by the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. But first, here's some music from Professor Mike Steinell. Porcine hysteria in the Greater Bay Area. We heard about it on CNN.com. I guess they're calling it a swine ball. We've been infested by feral hogs. They messed up my lawn and they ate my dogs. They're taking over and they're out of control. Gonna organize a swine patrol. We got a swine bomb. We're doing the swine bomb boogie. These hogs 
are smelly and they make nasty sounds. Some of them weigh close to 800 pounds. Now you tell me if you think I'm mistaken. I think that sounds like an awful lot of bacon. These critters are mean, they can tear into you. Here's what they say you're supposed to do. Get on your car, climb up a tree. Cause pigs can't climb, at least that's what they tell me. We're in a swine bomb. Pigs can't climb. Doing the swine bomb boogie. Pigs can't climb. Folks are getting guns and shooting them on sight. I doubt if Peter thinks that's all right. All my life I've been for gun control Now they done put me on swine patrol Pigs can't climb and white men can't jump All we can do is a bumpity-bump Can we chill these pigs out with some smooth and metal jazz? Round them all up and send them to Alcatraz We're doing the swine bomb boogie Pigs can't climb. We got a swine bomb We're doing a swine bomb We got a swine bomb We're doing a swine bomb We got a swine bomb We got swine hogs all over the place We're doing a swine bomb I don't know what we're gonna do If I knew I would tell you Seems like we're gonna do Jake's cat That would be, uh, what's going on here? What is going on? Whoa, wow. Can you see that, Professor? Uh, Reverend Barry W. Lynn? I'm having a... Uh, I think we're going to have to switch cameras here. I'm having one of those days. Just three of you. There we go. Now it's fixed, right? Well, unless you wanted to have people see all three of you, which would be a good thing if you really want to go through with the church of Feldman. More Feldman. Because, yeah, more Feldman. Then you can be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right. I like the yeah. way you think. Yeah, I'm glad you do. Right. The Reverend. Hey, I was. Um, can I give you an introduction? No, I don't think you did. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn joins us. Go to barrywlynn.com for a treasure trove of this man's appearances on television shows and radio shows, Crossfire, Firing Line. Uh, and you are, just to remind you, a, a barrister. You're a lawyer, ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And for nearly a quarter of a century, you ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Go ahead. I interrupted you, sir. No, I was just a little upset about some of the questions in the Disney contest. I watched the whole thing. 
I got two questions. I don't want to play this game, but I just want you, David Feldman, to answer the question. About 20 years ago, there was a, a movie, an animated version of The Lion King. Yes. According to the American Life League, which is a conservative group, what is the word that you can see in the clouds as the lion in this very iconic scene is roaring while standing on the edge of a cliff? What is the word in the cloud? Surrender Dorothy? <laughs> Those are two words. No, oh. this is a very simple word. Uh, I don't know. St. Christopher of Hitchens knows. He put it up in the chat. The word is sex, S-E-X. And that is so ridiculous because the implication that the American Life League has is that people are going to see it and then go around and just have sex. And I can tell you, I used to rent a video back in the days of renting videos in stores every Friday night. And I was still drinking then. And I'd buy a bottle of wine and go home every week. It had no influence on me. Wait a second. You drank? I did. But I, I gave it up about 30 years ago. Did you surrender to a lower since you're against <laughs> yeah, a lower no power? higher powers? Right. No, I just, I just, um, I, I had been drinking with a journalist and uh, I was driving home and I said to myself, you can't do this. You cannot drink and drive ever. And so I stopped. I do, however, occasionally when I'm out of the country, it's a little bit like Bill Buckley used to say, he'd smoke marijuana, but only when he was outside the territorial limits of the United States. But if, I, um, if I'm in another country and there's you, a Guinness. You right, drink and drive. I, I can drink and have Joanne drive. But I don't really think that Guinness Stout is a drink so much as a food. <laughs> so that's how I, that's how I parse. But here's the other well, question. On, this is a much on, more serious just, question. I have a question. Okay. Do you yeah, miss, go ahead. it's been 30 years. Do you yeah. miss drinking and driving? Cause I haven't <laughs> drunk, drink, drunk and drives in about 30 years. A day doesn't go by that. I don't wish I could drink and drive. Do you miss drinking? And driving? No, I really don't. I truly don't, because then what you see for people who are watching that looks like it's space, it would be heaven. I'd be dead by now. Yeah, yeah. It's not It's not a good thing. Now, you want to know the other question. This, yes, I, You know, I've been writing this book, and I had a reference in it to members of Congress jumping off a cliff like lemmings. What was the famous Academy Award-winning Walt Disney nature film in which Lemmings jumped off a cliff? And then what was the scandal involved in the filming of that scene? Bob Carroll, Ted, and Alice? <laughs> well, that wasn't, yeah, that, that, that wasn't Disney. No, no, no. no. The Groomer? No, that wasn't Disney. No, no. Nature film. A nature, well, that... Oh, that's two, an unnatural. That's an unnatural film. Two words. It's a nature film. When did it come out? 
about 1954. I have no idea. White wilderness. White, White wilderness about the Arctic. And what or was the about scandal? The, or about Disney's corporate suite at the time. <laughs> exactly. Okay, but what was the The lemmings do not jump off the cliff. That people filming it forced these little rodents off the cliff. They don't commit suicide. That is a total myth, and it's all derived from the movie White Wilderness, where some of the camera crew forced a whole collection of these little animals to jump off the cliff. Lemming, that was the big National Lampoon, Chevy Chase show that they did, Lemmings attacking Americans for being lemmings. Lemmings don't commit suicide. They don't follow. No, they, they do not. They do not. That's how powerful Walt Disney is, was. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, very few people do. But I, I better cancel all those life insurance policies I've taken out of <laughs> my lemmings. Exactly. Well, well, should we try to show the re- religious nut of the week? Let's do that. Okay. It's a good segue into what I'd like to start talking about, which, of course, is the massacre in Texas just two days ago. Yes. So let me we're having a we're having technical problems tonight. I will have to do this manually. Let me get to it. I apologize. So here we go. You're going to have to forgive me. And I think you can do that. You are a reverend. Yes, I can. I can sue you also. Okay. All right. This is not going to look great, but that's never stopped me from before. Uh, hopefully I can do this. Who are we looking at? This would yeah, be we're Brian looking Babin. At Brian Babin. Here we go. Uh, All right, Tenny in studio moments ago, um, and, and she yes. represents uh, uh, Conklin, New York. Uh, that was the hometown of the Buffalo shooter, um, that racist supermarket shooting 10 days ago. Uh, and, and she brought up an interesting point. And as investigators here in Texas start combing through this 18 year old shooter's social media, um, if there are red flags that were missed, like we saw in Buffalo, very clear red flags that were somehow missed, do we need to look at Congress and the Senate reforming the way social media identifies red flags? Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because we have we have such a double standard on social media. They can shut down President Trump, and yet uh, the Ayatollah Khamenei gets to you know from Iran gets right. to, gets to Trump. Uh, we we've got total double standards. Uh, we hear the president and many other the vice president, many of these Democrats. Uh, are talking about gun control now. You know, the United States of America has always had guns. It's our history. Uh, we were built on on the Judeo-Christian foundation and with with guns. This is this is what Americans have always had. We believe in self, uh, you know, self protection, protecting our property, our our families, our independence, and our freedom. Uh, so. 
it's awful strange that Democrats can ignore hundreds and hundreds of shootings in Chicago and New York and various places. And then all of a sudden, bizarrely, uh, they pick out uh, something else that, that happens in, a, in possibly like a red state uh, like Texas and then start calling for all that to disarm everyone. That would be yep. Brian Babin. Yes. Little known. He's he's literally as crazy as uh, the better known people like Lauren Boebert. But um, yes, so he managed to make a mistake about uh, both the First Amendment, because, of course, this wasn't founded in any way as a uh, a kind of Christian nation. And also the second the Second Amendment was never intended to cover, notwithstanding that five members of the Supreme Court did vote for this position in a case called Heller. Um, It was about allowing states to have militias, well-regulated militias. They were talking about regulating militias that generally had muskets at the time. They did not have semi-automatic rifles or machine guns. And This was a big conflict at the time of the Constitution because so many of these states said, if you're going to have a national army and a national navy, which are both, you know, created by the Constitution, we're a little nervous because we, the states, we got to make sure that we have some independent control over a militia. So that's why the Second Amendment is there. It has nothing to do with private ownership of handguns, private ownership of AK-15s, AR-15s at all. But this guy, like so many others, the only thing that Republicans have been able to say for the past two and a half days is hopes and prayers and then even more ridiculous things like uh, this bizarre character that won the Georgia Senate nomination for the Republicans in Georgia just this week, Herschel Walker, college football player, and he was a star. And then he went into the professional uh, National Football League and didn't do so well. And he is a person who, by no stretch of the imagination, ought to be considered qualified to serve in any legislative body whatsoever. Let me just read you one thing he said in an interview on Fox. This is from Herschel Walker. He said, we need to get into what happened to him. Why? Uh, by putting money in mental health. Have people thought about that? They have. We got to get back into prayer People think now praying is bad. No, it's not bad. We need to pray for things like that. We need to continue to go out and fight those people who would take your constitutional rights away. I think we can't let them do that. Then he went on and said that Cain killed Abel. And that's a little historical perspective. As he said, Cain killed Abel. And that's a problem that we have. So in other words, he wants to figure out some way to deal with the fact that historically Cain killed Abel. So he had an idea that what we should do is set up an entire department in government that would scrutinize the social media of boys and girls. I'm not sure how old. 
take a look at the boys and girls, set up an entire new department of surveillance characters in order to examine every young person. To keep us free. To keep us free. To keep us free. But can you imagine if Joe Biden had ever said anything about without warrants going in and just checking on every young person's Twitter feed, Facebook feed? Can you imagine what people would go crazy about that and they ought to go crazy about what Herschel Walker says I did clean up the language because frankly if you look at the clip from Fox it's almost incomprehensible what the guy is even saying and a lot of people um, in social media today have suggested that maybe he had too many concussions but I think you know that he that he had an, an injury traumatic brain injury but I got to tell you, um, I don't think we need to go there. I think we just need to look at this guy who never had, during the primaries in Georgia, never had a debate. If he went up and had a debate with Pastor Warnock, who he's running against, I mean, I don't think he, I, first of all, I don't think he will ever agree to do that because he is literally incapable of putting two sentences together. Warnock is He's a good preacher. He's a good speaker. And he did very well in uh, in the debates two years ago. So, um, but that's all they got. Jimmy Kimmel, the other night, before the audience got there for his show, he taped a little thing about these shootings. And Jimmy Kimmel was just about in tears. And so much of what he said and some videos he showed were incredibly powerful. But the one thing he said that I think I I do disagree with, he said that even with Ted Cruz, he said, I don't think Ted Cruz um, wasn't moved by this. And, And he hoped he didn't think it would happen, but he hoped that Ted Cruz would see the light. I don't think that Ted Cruz or Mitch McConnell or any of these other outspoken Republicans who have nothing to offer, nothing to offer about guns in this country, care one whit. They don't lose one minute of sleep over the fact that 19 little kids were killed in Texas two days ago. They don't care. If they cared one whit about it, they would be doing something about it. And I understand that, you know, Chuck Schumer... Is going to have votes on various uh, uh, possible ways in which to deal with guns in this country. Uh, he may start the votes tomorrow, but I'd like him to do that. But I would like him not to just take um, kind of big picture items like let's let's ban uh, assault rifles. Let's let's do more. Let let's put them on the record against things like a national requirement that you cannot purchase more than 10 firearms in the same month. Seems reasonable. Yeah, but if that came up, they would not allow it to be debated. And then I think what Schumer needs to do, which he didn't do when it came to voting rights, he should say a vote not to start debate. You have to start debate. You'd still need 60 votes is a vote on the merits and if they don't want to discuss it, then you can assume that they do, in fact, oppose it. And then go down the line and ask other questions like that. They'd go to the things that a normal human being, 
80% of Americans want to do something better about background checks. And I'll tell you, when I did radio with Ollie North and Pat Buchanan, I was skeptical about what background checks would do because they're, they're always straw buyers. If you have your brother go in and buy and he doesn't have a criminal record or your girlfriend goes in to buy because she doesn't have a criminal record, I thought, you know, you'd have to be a really stupid criminal not to try to use somebody else to go in to buy on your behalf. But in fact, we find hundreds and hundreds, some years, thousands of people who have criminal records who do not are not permitted to own a firearm, who go in, try to evade the background check, get caught, and then are not allowed to buy a gun. We need to do that at gun shows. If you've ever gone to a gun show, you, you literally you cannot believe it. Could not. We, I, Robert Smigel yeah. and, and a group of, uh, for Triumph the Insult Comic Drug, we went to a gun show in Iowa. They're selling more than just guns. They're selling murder weapons, explosives. This is yes. not just, this is, they're selling ways yeah. to kill people. Yes, they are. And with no background checks at all. So you can go, there's a, a big one uh, every month or so out in Virginia, where else? And um, you, you, you can't, there, you, you could, I used to say, unless you were wearing a diaper, they would sell you a gun. And that's still the case. They would sell a gun to anyone. They don't ask any questions. But if you walked up, they did a survey, uh, one newspaper, where they said uh, they went to a gun show and the people said, I'd like to buy a gun. I'd like to buy a handgun. Well, what are you going to do with it? And you go, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I just need a gun. And no one person out of 10 said, you better calm down. The other nine said, here's the gun. Give me your $200. Wow. They're, they're unconscionable. It is, a, it is worse than any other industry, worse even than the health insurance industry, because these people directly kill you and don't care about it at all. Yeah. Yeah. We're out of ideas, aren't we? Because there's a fatalism, a nihilism that's set in. We all know why we can't get rid of the guns and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, that's but because we don't have, but we also have a Supreme of, court. We have a Supreme court who won't allow us to get rid of the guns. So it's not just the NRA, is it? We have Supreme court justices who I'd like to think are not taking money from the NRA. Although this court, you never know. Right. They are making Rulings that protect the Second Amendment. Yeah, and they're they're going to be issuing a decision in the next few weeks about whether those of you in New York uh, can open carry without even requiring you to explain why you need to carry a gun with you at all times. I, That's I, I how live, crazy I live it in, is. I live in New York, not the nicest people in the world. Whenever I take the subways, I always think, you know what's missing from this? Guns. We need guns. Guns. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Guns and a little more crack being smoked. Yeah. 
But other countries have looked at these mass shootings and have done extraordinary things. And I, I was just the other day looking at just some of these very famous shootings. Like um, there was one in uh, in New Zealand, 50 Muslims in a mosque were killed by a single gunman using a high-capacity magazine and a semi-automatic weapon. You know, it took them seven days to pass legislation that outlawed semi-automatic weapons and those high-capacity magazines. Seven days. And I thought, well, what about Australia? Because Australia does have a a gun culture not dissimilar to that in the United States. 1996, in Port Arthur, a place I I think I was in in once, 35 people killed. Um, What they decided to do was have a mandatory buyback of weapons. And over the next year, the estimates are that 1 million people turned in weapons and li- literally they, they were melted down. So people with a gun culture very similar to that in the United States managed to turn in their guns, get paid to do so. And the number of, uh, of deaths is uh, infinitesimal in comparison to what's here. And they didn't. That, that, well, here, here's what they did. After the, certain weapons you had to turn in, a lot of people turned in weapons that didn't even have to turn in. If you want to get a gun in Australia today, you, you have to agree that it will be registered. They register all guns. You have to have a 28-day period before you can get the gun, and you need to provide a reason why you have to own a gun in the first place. That's a trifecta of good ideas, which the Congress is unwilling to even consider. And you're right about the Supreme Court, but, you know, it's a strong signal that if the Congress were to enact any of these things, um, let somebody take it to the Supreme Court. Um, they're going to, I'm certain this will not have any effect. This shooting in Texas will not have any effect on what the Supreme Court says about your right to carry guns in New York City. But um, pass them anyway. Make it clear that the government itself knows that guns are insane. We have 120 guns for every 100 people in this country. That means statistically, every person owns 1.2 guns. And that is unlike any, any other place on earth, even places where there's civil wars like Yemen. Um, that Ted Cruz the other day was asked about this and he said, well, of course, we don't want to politicize this as if saying we're not going to do anything is, is not politicizing it. But he... Right. Um, not doing, excuse me for one second, not doing anything about it is politicizing gun violence. You're absolutely Of right. course it is. Of course it is. Uh, but a British journalist kept asking him about this, and uh, he eventually just walked away. This video that you can see on the Internet about him just walking away from this. But the thing that he said that I found 
so preposterous is this. Again, I want to quote him. I, I won't even have to clean his language up because uh, he was speaking in sentences. We know from past experience that the most effective tool for keeping kids safe is armed law enforcement on the campus. There is not one shred of evidence that suggests that that is true. And of course, there was there were early reports that in Texas, there was actually a police officer in the school that turned out to be wrong. But once the police uh, arrived, it took them 30 minutes to decide to go into the school to try to see what was going on. And the parents down there, a lot of them have now spoken out. And some of them even said, we told the cops, go in or we're going in ourselves. Because we've got babies in there. We have third and fourth graders. They don't know how to deal with this guy. We're going in. And, of course, the cops said, oh, no. And then they waited for the SWAT team. And the SWAT team shows up in 30, 35 minutes, goes in uh, and kills this uh, 18-year-old who wanted to get AR-15s, one on his birth, the day after his birthday, and a second one two days later. No questions asked. He could legally buy it in the state of Texas. Thank you, Greg Abbott. Yep. Greg Abbott said a couple hours ago, it could have been much worse. What does he, what does he mean? It could have been much worse. It could have been me is what he meant. It could have been me. And and Greg Abbott, of course, couldn't even stand it when Beto O'Rourke showed up at a press conference of his and challenged him, just verbally challenged him. And Abbott had him uh, (laughs) thrown out of the room, called away by security. That's what a coward Greg Abbott is. And evil. Can't take the heat of even one person daring to challenge the fact that he is a total idiot. Idiot and evil. And evil. It's it's like I said in the last election cycle, that evil is a good word. We need to get back to using it, and we need to use it to describe the people that are involved in covering up the possibility of any serious gun control legislation passing in this country. Apparently, um, I've heard that uh, Mitch McConnell uh, talked to uh, uh, Senator John Cornyn of Texas and said, you know, you you really ought to work with the Democrats on on getting some kind of gun legislation. I don't believe that for one minute. John Cornyn is not going to work with Democrats of any kind on any gun legislation. Yeah. Never. He's not going to the NRA convention Friday. Is that going to be televised? I would think that C-SPAN will want to televise it. I don't know that they'll be allowed to do so, but I'm certainly tuning in. Several of the musicians, including Don McLean, who we've talked about on this show, who, you know, wrote one iconic song, did a couple of other songs, and then probably abused his wife. So he's not exactly an upstanding person, but he dropped out. And then Larry Gatlin of the Gatlin brothers just dropped out a few hours ago. So they're losing some, I'm I'm sure they can get Kid Rock to come in and replace them or or perhaps um, uh, one of their, one of their great actors like Scott bio. Yeah. Maybe he could sing too, but it's, it is a scandal. It's, it's so shocking. They expect 50 
55,000 people to show up at the NRA convention, 55,000 gun nuts in Texas, fewer than five days after a shooting of 19 little kids and a great teacher. The teacher who was shot, by the way, had a husband who went to the memorial just earlier today and had a heart attack and died. Yep. So, um, Mm. 79% of the households in this country have guns. 79%. But they're not all nuts. A lot of these people inherited guns. I mean, I own, I, my wife and I had a gun for a while that was something in her family and uh, we, we had it locked in a closet and uh, eventually got rid of it. But a lot of people remember even gun owners support these common sense regulations. Three out of four NRA members, three out of four NRA members. Particularly in questions like the, uh, the background checks at gun shows, because they go, they buy guns there. NRA members go there and they see the nuts that are walking around. I mean, I'm sure when uh, when Triumph and, and you and, and Bob went to the one in Iowa, you saw people who you you just you look at them and you go, I I wouldn't trust this person for five minutes. I remember the first time I was in some there there is an open carry. Uh, open carry in the state of Pennsylvania is permissible county by county. And we were in Western Pennsylvania one night and I stopped at the Seven Eleven store to get a soda and waiting to pay. There were two people in the line in front of me. The line was four or five people. Two of them had a gun that was visible. And to be honest, I wouldn't trusted those people to, to do anything. I wouldn't trust them no matter what they said because they looked so strange, absolutely strange. I People will criticize that, but I think you can tell if somebody is so far off the deep end that they should barely be allowed to have a pen knife, much less a handgun that they're wearing right outside their coat. That is insane. That is crazy. You can, I think last year, Greg Abbott passed uh, concealed carry, right? In, in Correct. Yep. And he also, although he, he said a few things about mental health, um, he, the budget, the, the last budget that he proposed cut 200, over $200 million for mental health work in the state of Texas, making Texas the least spends the least per capita on mental illness on reservations mental ill illness uh, uh, in any state in the country so he cuts mental health and to the extent that you know mental health I mean with all due respect to mental health providers it's very very difficult to predict what is going to happen? I mean, 
if you're a criminologist and you somebody's been in jail and then you, you assess whether the guy's going to commit another crime, criminologists will tell you it's almost impossible to give an answer that's that's right. valid to that. The and, Buffalo um, shooter was put under a psychiatric hold for a day and a half. They knew he was trouble. There are yeah. laws that make it impossible to to lock somebody up for long stretches of time and label them a criminal threat without committing a crime. Talk about a loss of freedom. We don't that's how the gulags work. The psychiatrists in Russia sure. working for Stalin said he's crazy, put him away. This is where we're getting. This is what the Republicans who preach freedom, this is their America where a group of experts decide who's crazy, who's a threat. There are too many guns. We can't allow this person mm-hmm. to, to walk the streets, lock him up. What's the crime? He didn't commit a crime, but he could commit one. He could commit one. Yeah, Freedom. Very, very difficult to, to figure that out. This, and You know, you, you cannot put people in jail for a drawing that they make. You know, they sketch some somebody with a gun and then you say, well, that kid's drawing people with guns. He must right. be planning. A, you can't do that in this country. Especially the, the of, Republicans are the big ones about f- free speech. And there's no such thing as hate speech. And <laughs> why course. are you trying to censor us? But Exactly. But they, you know, it's I. um on a on another issue, but do you remember a guy named Peter King who was a member of Congress from upstate New York, a Republican? Yeah, ter- he was on the terrorist subcommittee, I believe. The Homeland yes, Security. He was. And um, there was a, a funding of a nation of Islam security force in a housing project in Baltimore. And I remember being on a, I think on Bill O'Reilly's show with Peter King and Peter King said, you know, this religious group, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't allow women to have any uh, a role in the, in the religious faith. It, uh, they, they have no business being given money as a religious group to take care of security. They're armed people. And I agreed with them. And so then... George Bush comes up with his faith-based initiative, which basically is giving money to religious groups to do everything, not just security, feed people, uh, help them get housing. And and I I was at a a party, Peter King was there, and I said, hey, Congressman, since you wanted to keep the money away from the nation of Islam, rightly so, I'm sure you're going to join me in opposing President Bush's faith-based initiative where they just give money to everything. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Barry, (laughs) that would assume that members of Congress um, are consistent (laughs) <laughs> and we're not. <laughs> I thought well, that's a perfect example of uh, of how completely ridiculous uh, this is, and the idea that you're going to find principled people who serve in the House and Senate. Uh, the number of principled people that you can count, um, uh, maybe a dozen, right? Maybe a dozen. And so this is exactly what the authoritarians in America want. 
where people like you and me give up on democracy. We just say nothing, our government can't do anything. There's no point. Uh, this is what they want. They've kind of, when you look at, when you look at Congress right now, what have they done for anybody other than themselves? The bipartisan infrastructure bill was for themselves. The yep. paycheck protection program was for themselves. Didn't go to the right people. That's why art sales, are, huh. you know, people are buying Andy Warhols for $100 million and there's all this money is being dumped into cryptocurrency because all the stimulus money went to the wrong people. Uh, we, do they do we anything know. for us? Is there anything they do for us? Well, I mean, there there are things that they do. For example, they do continue the food stamp program. Right. They do. They do in, include That's, some, but not as much as they should. Right. Student loan money. So there are real people who get something that they deserve. But when they dump all this, and I know that I talked about this on this and other shows all during the the time of giving those those loans that became grants, if you spent them on your staff, that this was going to be abused because there were no guidelines in the statute. And then the Trump administration, they didn't want to write any. So now we see that even a lot of the people that, David, you, you hang around with and I hang around with traveling comedians and traveling musicians. They were supposed to get some of this money. But we just found out earlier this week that these organizations and venues connected to Live Nation, right. uh, in fact, were getting tens of millions of dollars that were supposed to go to some little, you know, coffee house who, you know, Right. Pays $100 for somebody to play a guitar. And Live it's Nation. Absolute scandal. Yeah. Live Nation buys up all these venues and, and booking agents, and they own a 50% interest in all these companies. So as long as the paycheck protection money is going to the half of the corporation <laughs> they don't own, they can claim they're not getting any of that money. That's right. That's right. <laughs> a right-wing company, what, by the way, Live Nation. Yeah, it's, um, I've had nothing but bad experiences dealing with them over the years. Um, the question, you know, I talked a little about this last week. Of course, in the 28th Congressional District in Texas, where we have an incumbent anti-choice pro-gun member of Congress, running against Jessica Cisneros, Democrat, who Democrat, uh, Nancy Pelosi endorsed the incumbent. Jessica Cisneros, the last time I checked, was only 145 votes behind. And Bernie and other people are looking very hard at making sure that she has enough money to have a serious recount in that district. There are some outstanding votes, but Nancy Pelosi, she says she's pro-choice. She's all upset that they won't give her communion in San Francisco. 
But when she had a chance to do something to get rid of the one anti-choice Democrat, she was more interested in making sure that he would vote for her if, in the unlikely event that she has an opportunity to run again for Speaker of the House. And the Jessica Cisneros would not because she was dutifully ticked off that Nancy Pelosi would get into the middle of this fight. And it is inexcusable. If you have the power to do things and you don't do them, that is a greater sin, if I can use the word, than if you simply do the wrong thing without any power. You vote the wrong way. That's bad. If you have extraordinary power like Nancy Pelosi does to shape an election and you turn to the evil side for your own best interests or what you think are your own best interests, that is just inexcusable, inexcusable. Well, we're hoping Jessica Cisneros wins and people should donate money to Jessica Cisneros. 28, Correct. 28, 29-year-old union organizer, immigration yep. attorney, and uh, wants to abolish ICE, by the way. Yes, she does. And Yes, uh, she does. Did you read that ICE has given... The city, how do you pronounce the name of the, the, the town in Texas? Uh, uh, the, what? the town where, where the, the school was. Uvalde. Yeah. It, yeah the, right. It, it's primarily uh, Hispanic. And it's a it certainly looks that way. And it's a frequent target of ICE. ICE is constantly raiding that town and deporting people, ICE, out of the goodness of their hearts, said, because of the shooting, they will take a break from unnecessarily rounding up undocumented Americans and, and sending them home. Uh, not home. They are home. I apologize for their home. Of course, home. they are They're home. They are home. The, the questions that have to be asked are, Governor Abbott, you want to deny uh, what you call illegal babies uh, formula. Last week, he said, why are we giving uh, baby formula to illegal babies when uh, American babies uh, need them? He also wants to pass legislation that would force babies uh, kids in schools to show their papers. And if they can't prove they're American citizens, throw them out. They don't get an education. That's right. That's right. I'd like to ask Greg Abbott about these 19 elementary school kids. Shouldn't we find out if all of them are American citizens? Shouldn't we more? Shouldn't we? These are questions that are considered rude, but if we had a media that... Ask, like that BBC reporter who cornered Ted Cruz. Right, who, right. Who did his job, doesn't worry about access. I'd like Greg Abbott to answer the question, should we be mourning the, the illegal children equally? Hmm. Well, you know what his answer would be. Of course we should. Right. But do, does he mean it? There's no evidence that he means it because of everything you've just talked about. He does not 
like anyone coming into Texas from Mexico, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua. He doesn't like any of those people. He's a hater of immigrants, a hater of immigrants. But will will Texas, will they repudiate him? I'd like to think it's a possibility. Beto O'Rourke may not be the perfect candidate, but he's sure light years ahead of Greg Abbott. And he gave Ted Cruz a run for the money in 2018. He almost became. That's right. That's uh, right. Not much there in terms of Beto. He's a bit of a showboater. Hmm. Took on Greg Abbott, but I don't know. Has he introduced uh, what he would do to take on gun violence in Texas? Or is he just showboating? I, well, he. He actually did have some policies when he was running in 2018, but I don't know what he's. He walked them back. Well, he's talking about going door to door to get your semi-automatic weapons, which he did walk back. And, you know, that may have been a kind of over the top recommendation. What, what else is on your mind, Reverend? Well, I am, I, you know, I will not be here next Thursday, but I will be here on Monday and I have a wonderful guest and I'd just like to mention her for a minute. Okay. Um, I'll be on on Monday and um, her name is Monica Miller. And I first met Monica Miller because she was a great church state separationist lawyer. She worked for the American Humanist Association. But then over the last year or so, I discovered that she's also very active in the non-human rights movement. This is an area of the law to give non-human beings like elephants and monkeys um, more of a right a right to avoid cruelty. And just last week, she argued before the top court in the state of New York on behalf of an elephant in a zoo in New York, an elephant named Happy. And uh, the decision is not yet out, but she's going to talk about it. Uh, she's going to talk about the ramifications of this uh, for um, for people who like animals, uh, who want to find ways to treat them more humanely. And um, I think plenty of uh, plenty of people, uh, Monica is uh, an extremely good lawyer. And I, I think Happy the Elephant um, <clears throat> couldn't have a better advocate than Monica Miller. I was reading about elephants over the weekend, how they grieve, they hold each other's trunks, certain types of elephants uh, when, when they're playing, we'll hold each other's trunks and uh, they have funerals. They touch the bones and when they're traveling and they see elephant bones, they stop and touch the bones and pay homage to, to uh, they're, they're remarkable. And Wayne LaPierre, the CEO of the NRA hunted an elephant. Yeah. That was his big trip to hunt an elephant. Yeah. Uh, Wayne LaPierre used to have a radio show on Sirius XM. And I was a guest on it a couple of times because he wanted to try to sh show that there's a kind of a seamlessness to the Constitution. That you really, if you protect one amendment, you really ought to protect all of them. And I remember... 
he was kind of a, a church-state separationist. And during one of the breaks, he said, you know, Barry, that you do the same thing about the First Amendment that I do about the Second Amendment. You, you, you go to the edges and you say, we're not going to allow a single intrusion into this right you're the same as I am. And I said to him, no, I'm not actually, because if I'm wrong, the only thing that happens is maybe somebody, you know, gets to hear a prayer. They don't want to pray. <laughs> they, they didn't want right. to hear. If right. you're wrong, people are going to get killed. So don't tell me I'm the same as you are when right. it comes to the preservation of the constitution. I've been reading you know, about, there's some books out. I was reading about him, uh, Last night, he has he's mentally ill. He he suffers from he's a hoarder. He has a, a tremendous OCD. He doesn't know how to look people in the eyes. He's had failed marriages that seem to be asexual. Surprise! There's something obviously. Uh, he's a mental deficient who is. A pushover. He hates confrontation. Doesn't question anybody. Right. If if there's a bill, just pay it. He doesn't doesn't want to get anybody mad at him. He's truly a coward, and doesn't know how to fire a weapon. You you know that right? Uh, well. He did remember he's the guy who went after Oliver North, who was the chairman of the board of the NRA and forced Ollie North out. And Ollie North, of course, is somebody I, I used to do weekly radio with for years. And um, but North, um, he found the way not, McQueen. I think it's McQueen. There was an advertising agency working with the correct. NRA who was they were had some deal with. Uh, uh, Wayne LaPierre and the wife, they were, money was going back and forth. The wife was getting this incredible salary to do absolutely nothing. They live off the donations, you know, multi-million dollars a year. First class travel, the NRA purchases a compound for him for his own safety. They're flying uh, relatives on private jets to go to weddings. The LaPierre's have a good thing going. And this is really about working for the gun manufacturers and not the, the rank and file members of the National Rifle Association who have made it clear that they want meaningful gun control in this country. Yep. And they've declared well, bankruptcy, by the way. The NRA, to I think to escape Letitia James in the state of New York. In the state of New York. They've declared I believe that they've re- I don't know the details. I think they reorganized as a Texas of all places, uh, nonprofit, but you know, whatever is wrong with Wayne LaPierre, um, and, and every, every time I had any encounter, I mean, it was on panels with him. He, he was an odd person, but I don't, he was, I an think odd he, person. yeah, he, he was, yeah. but, he, um, I don't know. I don't know if he's mentally ill. I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't like to do long distance diagnosis about him, but well, certainly his behavior financially was so horrible that even someone like Ollie North understood that this was not a responsible way to run an organization. 
the Wayne LaPierre did have the votes, did get North kicked out, and North, to my knowledge, has nothing to do with the National Rifle Association um, anymore. But um, North was a very interesting. Someday we talk about North because he's a very he's a very very interesting character, and uh, he's in my book. Uh, yeah. Paid to piss people off. It's going to be in three volumes, and I'm going to put up a little picture of my mock-ups of the covers of those three books. But North's in it in a number of places. Excellent. The Reverend Barry W. It's good to talk to you. Your guests, I mean, you've, it's been amazing, the interviews you've been doing. It's good to catch up with you. I miss these conversations. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn is a lawyer an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And for nearly a quarter of a century, he ran Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Go to barrywlynn.com for his sermons, his speeches, his appearances. Follow him on Twitter at Barry W. Lynn. Thank you, Reverend. Stay out of trouble. Only good trouble. Thank you. Thank you. Good to talk to you again. It's been a Good while. to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Say hello to your significant other. I shall. I shall. Uh, let's do the professors and Marianne. Professor Marianne Cummings, I'm turning your video on. Professor Adnan Hussein is here. Professor Jonathan Bick is here. And Professor Ann Lee is here. And Joe in Norway on the noodle cam Let's talk to Joe in Norway on the noodle cam because uh, that's what we want to know. What are you cooking there, Joe? Good evening, David. Yeah, tonight I thought I would make a, uh, a nice summery dish in anticipation of summer. Uh, Chinese mung bean noodle, glass jelly noodle salad with uh, cucumber and a spicy... Sichuan pepper and chili uh, dressing sauce. So I'm going to make almost from scratch. We have the the mung, mung beans. I don't have the the tools to uh, to grind and reduce these to their powder form. But we've got it here. So I'm going to make the uh, noodle mass and then uh, cut it up, and uh, it should be fun. And it's uh, a bit uh, a bit runny, like a runny nose. Little snot noodles, I call them. Snot noodles. It's <laughs> not something I've ever eaten before. Well, looking at these ingredients, they're fresh, they're wholesome, they're clean, they're inexpensive, and they will keep you alive forever. And it reminds me of Rahima.org. Go to R A. H-I-M-A dot org, R-A-H-I-M-A dot org, and donate $5, whatever you can afford. All the money goes towards a food pantry for Afghan refugees, and that's growing. The problem is growing. We're welcoming more into America, and this is a tough country for refugees, Rahima.org makes it easier for them. So go to R-A-H-I-M-A.org. 
look at the website, see the kind of food that they provide, and you'll want to give. And I know you should give because this was set up by Professor Adnan Hussein's parents. So if you like this show, the way to thank us is by going to rahima.org and donating money. Uh, we, you know, we're pretty, I, the guests are pretty smart and they're, you can trust rahima.org. So sometimes you're not sure where to donate. We're pretty good on this show about telling you how to donate. Well, Professor Jonathan Bick uh, wanted to get your thoughts. I know that, unless you don't want to talk about it, but uh, we can move on. Would you like to no, talk no. about it? Yeah, David, that is what I wanted to talk about, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, because we have um, so many gun deaths in this country, uh, I, I don't want to reduce the newest victims to simply numbers. And I'd like to read a short, uh, a few short descriptions of the victims from today's New York Times. And uh, while you're doing, while I'm doing that, if, if you could allow me to share my screen, um, I'd also like to show pictures and the names of, of the victims from the Texas elementary school shooting. Okay. Is that possible? Yeah, I think you should be able to do it now. All right, let me bring that up. While you're doing that, everybody should read Professor Ann Lee over at the Daily Co's. That would be under the name Annie Lee. And, oh boy. We can see. You can see it? Okay. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Oh, my God. I don't know if. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so I wanted to start with one of the teachers first, Irma, Irma Garcia, a teacher of more than two decades, was known as a steadfast optimist in her family. She would crack jokes at family gatherings, sing her favorite classic rock tunes during parties, and help her nephew, John Martinez, with homework. She always, she's always been optimistic about everything and just so loving with the people in her life, said Mr. Martinez, 21, a student at Texas State University. When the authorities went inside the classroom moments after the shooting, he said they had found her body there embracing in her arms children much until her last breath. She had treated her students as if they were her own children, he said. So it had been easy for loved ones to possibly picture her putting her life on the line. She was like a second mom to her nephews and students, he said. She brings a joy and a light to the room. Her husband of 24 years, Joe Garcia, died two days after the shooting of a heart attack. He had gone to her memorial on Thursday morning to drop off flowers. 
ruptured by the grief of losing the love of his life. Alexandria Lexi Rubio, 10, was an honor student at Robb Elementary School who loved TikTok, dreamed of being a lawyer, and was that student that every teacher wants, said her mother, Kimberly Rubio. On Thursday morning, on Tuesday morning, Lexi, a fourth grader, had just received a good citizenship award and an honor roll award for getting all A's. Later that day, all of her family's joy was ripped away. Lexi was among the 21 people killed, 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School in Texas in the, counties, in the country's deadliest school shooting in a decade. Lexi's parents said they had waited until the last moment to name her, deciding on something that would stand out when called at high school graduation. She was my baby, Mr. Rubio said. I don't want anyone else to go through this. Layla Salazar was an energetic girl who had just won three first place ribbons for athletics in school and was already planning summer sleepovers with her friends at her grandparents' house. Her grandfather, Vincent Salazar, said, My granddaughter was loved, was one that was loved, uh, that loved everything about life, and they took it away from her. They took away her from us. How do you mend a broken heart from a family as close as we had? Jackie Cazares and Annabelle Rodriguez were cousins in the same classroom at, La, at Rob Elementary School. Jackie, who had her first communion two weeks ago, was the social one, said Polly Flores, who was Jackie's aunt and Annabelle's great aunt. She was outgoing. She always had to be the center of attention. Annabelle, an honor student, was quieter, and she and her cousin were close, so close that Annabelle's twin sister, who was homeschooled, was always jealous, Miss Flores said. We are a very tight family, she said. It's just devastating. <clears throat> so I'd like you and your listeners to try to put yourself in the minds of the children in that classroom, David. I want you to try to imagine the terror that gripped those children as they watched their classmates being murdered. Are you able to grasp a fraction of the emotions that those kids were experiencing while they watched the bodies of their friends being ripped apart by an assault rifle, waiting for the barrel to be turned on them? Are people who oppose meaningful gun control terrorists? I'll let your audience decide that question for themselves. But I don't have to imagine the kind of terror that these people experienced because I saw it in the face of my neighbors who lost their child in Sandy Hook Elementary School under similar circumstances in 2012. A mother of a five-year-old victim in that massacre held an open casket funeral so that people could see what an assault rifle does to a child's body. They had to reattach his jaw with a wire because one of the bullets that hit him ripped away his jaw from his skull. 
Some say that other countries that have high gun ownership, like Canada and Switzerland, don't have the high death rates from guns that we have. And this is supposed to be an argument as to why guns are are not dangerous here. Well, you know, the numbers have shown that uh, Americans cannot handle gun ownership. We have the highest number of gun deaths per capita of any developed country. The numbers speak for themselves. Tens of thousands of Americans die because of guns. America, as currently constructed, is unable to exercise reasonable gun ownership. Handguns and semi-automatic weapons should be banned. The government should buy them back and prohibit the sale, importation, manufacture, and possession of these weapons. This is just one of the things we, we should do, but I think it's an important one. That's all I have on that. Um, well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, you know, uh, when I was, I was visiting my mother on Tuesday, and she she watches, you know, the news. It's going, and uh, it was spectacle, and uh, and then when it became real, when I began to think about those pictures that you just showed, uh, I wouldn't go there. And uh, looking at the pictures, because I asked this question earlier of criminologist Professor Greg Barak, and I think you answered the question for me. I asked... uh, why do we have to see the parents grieving? Shouldn't we be uh, just bringing Wayne LaPierre on the news and going after Ted Cruz? Why do we have to uh, grieve when we we should be acting on this? Uh, And uh, I'm wrong because people have to... I, I <clears throat> look that, that I didn't look at the pictures. I, I couldn't. I, I did tonight, but I didn't think about the kids because it was too painful. I thought about what we need to do, but I now understand why we have to name the names of each victim. Yeah, I think it is important to yeah. to recognize that these are children, that these are people that were robbed of their lives, that uh, will never get to experience, uh, you know, what it's like to live and uh, as an adult. And it's, uh, 
I, I, yeah, I, I think it's important that people, I know it's difficult and uh, I didn't know if I wanted to do this tonight um, because it's extremely painful for me to think about these things. But, um, you know, I'm at a loss uh, as to how this can be tolerated, how people can sit back and allow children to be slaughtered, allow tens of thousands of Americans every year to be victims of guns. And, and you look at gun ownership, it tracks very well the amount of uh, gun violence when you look at other countries. It's, it's not a mystery as to why uh, we are different, why America is exceptional in this sense. Illinois, uh, when Greg Abbott attacks Illinois' gun control laws, he fails to mention that Illinois has one of the lowest suicide rates in the country because of those uh, gun control laws. Uh, Professor Adnan Hussein? Yeah, I just wanted to... um say that it's just so endemic we've had this conversation before actually you know uh you know i've been participating on the show for a couple of years now almost coming up to you know two years um and i think we've had many more than one similar conversation it's become so routine and part of the fabric of american life which is why we had uh, Dr. David Schmid uh, come and talk to us about violence and popular culture in America. He'll be coming on. He teaches at University of Buffalo, and he'll be coming on on Monday's show to talk ab- about this again. Um, but I guess two things. Um, one is Republicans or at least people who want to defend uh, gun rights always try and pivot the discussion away from restrictions on firearms to the topic of mental health. Uh, So this is a problem of mental health. And yet they never propose doing anything about the mental health suffering that is taking place. Uh, Perhaps if we had Medicare for all that included, you know, mental health counseling, therapy, and so on, and considered it part of everybody's universal right to live a healthy and dignified life, uh, then you could talk about that as one of the uh, primary issues rather than just the regulation. I mean, I think we need both, but the attempt to pivot only reveals that uh, we have other, you know, we have a myriad of problems. Uh, these are all connected. And, um, you know, if we want to just turn this into some partisan uh, kind of uh, game, which is what it seems like our political leaders simply try and, and do, uh, we're not going to get anywhere because the uh, Democrats are, you know, not taking the opportunities they have to put things on the agenda. Their rejoinder should be, well, let's have mental health. Uh, and let's talk about gun control once we're all, you know, getting full, you know, universal health care and we have mental health, then we can see, you know, what are the other steps we should take. But first, let's take care of that. Uh, and that's not happening. And I guess the second thing I just wanted to mention in relation to this story is that, um, 
there was a shooting today in Canada, in Toronto, um, because there was a young man in his late teens or early 20s who was seen on the streets of Scarborough in the rough vicinity of about four or five schools in the area with a rifle. And uh, the police um, shot this person. Um, you know, it was reported at 1 p.m. that he was cited. 2 p.m., this uh, person was was killed. We don't really know exactly the circumstances or the person's intentions. But the whole community is so on edge because of, you know, copycat, you know, possibilities of the violence uh, in our shared kind of North American sort of culture. Even Canada is not immune to it, even though we do have some stronger and stricter control. So we haven't had the same kinds of um, you know, dramatic school shootings, thankfully, because of those restrictions, and it is better uh, policed. Um, but, you know, this is just a kind of anxiety that has become perpetuated, because these are almost like an infectious disease of their own, is that you have a, a shooting, and then you have a rash of shootings. And it's because it is, uh, you know, somehow, um you know, almost like a communicable suggestion to people who are suffering, you know, all kinds of problems and issues that there is a tension. There is some way that you can enter the stage of history. You know, I don't know what exactly it is, but there is clearly this um, kind of uh, performance. And I think that's something that uh, Professor David Schmidt has, has talked about as well is the way in which these are are portrayed in the news and the way that they're talked about, they're kind of like staged performances of reaction to them that have become a a feature of our culture uh, now. Like there's something recognizable as the mass shooting and how that is all going to be processed. And we've got these roles being played. The Republicans will come up and they'll say, oh, it's, you know, they'll say their their usual lines. They've got their script and it comes straight from the NRA and so on. They will perform those in public and there'll be the crocodile tears and outrage by the Democrats who have really done nothing when they had the opportunities to put in place legislation. And we got this kind of performance process. And, you know, if it's a hit one day, then, you know, next week, somebody else decides that they also want to, you know, uh, participate in this grand ritual of our culture. And it's just very depressing. I wish we could break this cycle with some genuinely decisive action. Uh, Professor Ann Lee, at the Daily Kos, you wrote about our democracy and the mayor of Uvalde. Tell us about the mayor of Uvalde and what that tells us about democracy here in America. Well, um, Mayor Don McLaughlin is the mayor of Uvalde. Uh, the, uh, the city is moderately close to the border. Uh, it's west of, uh, uh, of San Antonio. Uh, the more interesting thing is that he's a uh, Anglo, a white uh, mayor of a town that's 80% uh, Latino. And that alone is an interesting figure. 40% of the municipal budget goes to the police. It would seem to me that a, 
a town that is quite aware of those kinds of things. The mayor himself is quite anti-immigrant in a variety of ways. And he's the guy who called uh, Beto um, O'Rourke the sixth son of a bitch uh, when Beto intervened in in the uh, uh, Greg Abbott press conference. So it, it just seems to me that all the things were there. He reacted with uh, great anger. Um you know, accusing Beto of making it political. Well, it was all damn political. I mean, that was, uh, it was a spectacle. It was meant to front end uh, uh, a media interpretation of what McLaughlin insisted on in the uh, meetings that he had with uh, Greg Abbott was that, well, we're, we're underfunded in mental health coverage. Um, you know, and, and uh, uh, we have no you know, psychiatrist uh, for the county, et cetera. There's a whole variety of other th- other things that were more about budgets than they were about care. And uh, the reality, of course, is that uh, Greg Abbott said, made an explicit statement about uh, their, mental health was not an issue, which was the incredible contradiction in, in, in that presser. I mean, I think that's probably off was that there were so many contradictions it was what but mental health had nothing to do with the shooters uh reasons uh that mental health that the uh the shooter did not have a a mental health record or uh but the reality is of course that i think there was when you look at the shooter's history it's incredibly uh messed up at least in some of the accounts uh um you know, background, a variety of, uh, of issues with his mother, uh, the reason why he was living with his grandmother. Um, and the reason, of course, why he shot his grandmother in the face. Um, the, uh, the mayor, Don McLaughlin, is just uh, a, an interesting character because his, his front-end statements to the press were about, well, it's, it's mental health. It, it, it is just a standard... Uh, GOP, unfortunately, GOP excuse for shootings. They're not structurally connected to something that's more social or cultural or the guns themselves. And I, that's where Beto sort of got triggered was that guns were never mentioned in, in the presser. Right. I mean, it, it, it's just in, incredible to see that. And, and it is a kind of manufacturing consent, as Chomsky talks about. This is a way in which... All of the structures are, were set in place. The, the GOP had standard answers to avoid the gun question. They just went through them as a litany and even tried to enforce the role of the state that they had actually engaged, quote unquote, the shooter. Well, the reality is now that CNN has gotten hold of more video, they didn't do jack. The guy got in through an open door. None of this, this, all of this blather about post-Columbine measures being put in. The, the fact is, and these are facts, that resource officers and cops with guns have not stopped shooters in these situations. These are incredibly problematic statistics. And even in the specific case, without overgeneralizing, it appears as if this particular school was not well prepared in all kinds of ways. I mean, just the back, the damn back door seems to be the problem right here. But it's not about doors, as Ted Cruz says. It 
It's clearly about everything else that's interconnected here. There were, there were signs. There was enough there for a red flag. Uh, uh, the fact, and then some real questions. The kid goes in. I mean, it's not a kid. The adult turned eighteen. Goes in, buys a two thousand um, dollar AR fifteen pattern rifle one day. Comes in and buys a second damn one. Walks out with three hundred and seventy five rounds of ammunition, seven magazines, which he's I think procured elsewhere, and. And, and the cops, incredible, incredible framing of this. They said, well, he had body armor. No, he had a, he had a tactical vest with no plates in it. That, that these third, and that was not a late report. That was an early report. All of this disinformation is just incredibly annoying in, in this story. Now, to contrast that, the mainstream media was sort of interesting. Literally, uh, if you watch too much MSNBC like I do, it 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 just uh, you know it, every per, on-air person had a had something emotive to say. Uh, the women who have kids in school would talk about how uh, several of them, in fact, have cried when they dropped their kids off. You know, they had, there's incredible empathy. But the fact is, all of these are manufactured. These are incredibly problematic constructions relative to the larger political issues. Now, I, I'm glad that, that uh, my U.S. senator, uh, you know, he, he, he did some things that were incredibly important for at least moving the discourse forward. But, but these are all things that are now going to get incredibly tied up in all the usual reasons why... People hate government and why people need to take action. Fortunately, we have some people who have at least expressed their anger, uh, a kind of righteous anger, and, and we see what, what that brings. I think that, that Beto getting angry was incredibly important. Um, most on the left think that that's, this is what's going to define his ability to win this election. But uh, I don't know, because I think the forces of reaction are incredibly strong in Texas. And it, it, it's just uh, uh, it, and you can just see that in the discourse. You can just see that in the composition of all those people he put up there on stage. Anyway, I digress. No, no. And uh, not this is inappropriate, but uh, you're you sound the micro. Everybody could hear you, right? Well, I guess. You need, uh, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear you. I'm begging you. We, I'm so glad you. You want fit. me to yell, yell into the. <laughs> yeah. That's the best as I can do. I've got is, no, no, it was great. It, it's great when we can hear you. It's like, oh my, you know, uh, I need to hear you. Uh, thank you. That uh, it was, uh, Professor Marianne Cummings, you're the only government official here. Yeah. Mm. Sorry. Uh, I just got a diagnosis. I'm down with COVID. So what? I'm stuck here. All. Yeah. Felt like crap last night. So I went, there's a free uh, COVID testing place just down the block. And I've got it. And so. How do you feel? Oh, I felt like crap last night, but I feel better. Kind of tired, 
I, I went out to my garden uh, plot and did some hoeing and planting, and boy, that was, uh, that kind of wiped me out. Do you mind, I, I, uh, do you mind if I ask you some personal questions about your shots since you brought it up? Mm-hmm. Unless you don't want to answer them. No, that's all right. Do you have a booster shot? Yep, I have the first booster. I can't take the second booster until after the 20th of June. Then you hear, because it's six months out. So okay. that's, the, <laughs> that's the way they do it. Um, and I've, you know, I've, uh, the only thing I haven't done is I haven't been wearing a mask. I'm going back to wearing a mask. I mean, it's just, maybe I picked it up. I had choir practice. That's possibly, I'm mostly by think? myself. You know, we yeah. have uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour this week. Oh, you did? Oh, I love that yeah. guy. Yeah. And masks, masks, masks. The KN95, mm-hmm. he, he goes after our leaders, especially President Biden, for not wearing a mask at his age. Everybody should be wearing masks. The yeah. masks work. Yes. Well, I think so. But, you know, it's just everybody, again, you know, getting back to this issues of guns. Yes. Like, the Republicans are horrible, but at least they sort of have the courage of their horrible convictions. The Democrats yeah. are just cowards. You know, the kids dying. One hundred to three hundred thousand people dying of COVID for lack of health care. You know, there's always an excuse. The Democrats have never pushed their recalcitrant members to like, you know, to toe the line or you get cut off. So people like John Tester, Heidi Heitkamp, she's no longer there. People like Max Baucus, even Joe Manchin. I mean, they just they. They supported these guys, and it was the, these are the guys that basically you know take the money. They either need the money, or they desperately need the A A plus rating from the NRA. And you know, I don't know why the Democrats, somebody can't just get, you know become a Second Amendment purist. Whenever we get, in, I get into these discussions, I ask people, Second Amendment. Can you tell me what the Second Amendment is? And then they'll start the right to bear arms. I'm going, no, 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 that's not the Second Amendment. <laughs> the Second Amendment is a well-regulated militia, you know, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma. I'm really tired that these guys, like, ignore the first frickin' half of the sentence, which was kind of, like, positive. I mean, this is basically the second half follows from the first half. The right of the people, not persons, the people to bear arms, you know, individual states. And we know exactly what a real, what they meant by well-regulated militia. The, I think it was the first or second law that George Washington signed from the Congress was the Militia Act. And in the Militia Act, you can go to Wikipedia and that'll just show you in gory detail what the Militia Act was. But basically, people had to show they know how to use their weapons, that they kept their weapons in good functioning order, that they had to go and practice and, you know, that they anywhere in, in some that you showed that you were a responsible person. So, um, you know, I have no problem being a Second Amendment purist with these people. But, you know, um, we're not going to change 
the, the money kind of, you know, this, okay, Beto O'Rourke had a nice little, you know, campaign moment today when he was asked by status crew outside, you know, well, can, what do you think of Chuck Schumer basically not bringing this up or not even fighting for this right now? And Beto just decided, you know, he basically kind of ignored the question. He was Beto. So, so I'm saying that, you know, this is, Seems to you've got two parties doing this, you know, the one party backcrack crazy and another party just enabling all this kind of like an abusive, abused spouse. And, you know, no one even thinks, why would we, I mean, we can't drink now in most states. You can't drink until you're 21. We've got scientific proof that people are not, most people, their brains aren't completely developed until after age 20 in terms of judgment a well-regulated militia. What is the problem? But um, the other thing, too, is that I would like to see a, a graph of gun ownership, like the number of people over the last 20 years who own guns. Um, I actually went, uh, I think Barry was, uh, the, the Reverend Lynn was a little, I think it, he overstated the case, 32% of the people in this country actually own guns. And it's 44% of the people live in households or on properties where guns are present. So that's not necessarily just a household. It's somewhere in the building. Um, you know, like, I think this is my father had guns. I think my brother had a hunting rifle. But on the whole, gun culture is just kind of the more and more the province of a dwindling few people. And if there was some, some courage from the Democrats and a little imagination. They could, you know, make this a big issue. You want to preserve gun rights. You want to preserve when you're a dwindling minority in this country, then with it comes the first half of the goddamn amendment <laughs> and some freaking responsibility, right? There is no right that doesn't have a corresponding responsibility, even free speech. So, you know, I, but you know, when it's money, when money has saturated our politics, um, the calculation is, you know, we can just stand on our high horse and, you know, shake our finger at the Democrats, but we're not going to force anybody. We're not going to force Manchin. The Democratic leadership is not going to extract a price from people who, in the face of this lunacy, you know, basically won't, won't be helpful. Well, the, you're living in Illinois. We constantly hear the Republicans say gun control doesn't work. Look at Chicago. Oh, I wanted to say something about that. You know, it, yes, it is true that um, Chicago has very strict gun laws. However, just a few miles outside of Chicago is the state of Indiana. <laughs> and they are very, very small L liberal in the application of their gun laws. So, and what the funny thing was, is that many, many years ago, um, there was a police raid on what used to be Cabrini Green, the infamous, world infamous Cabrini Green uh, housing complex in the near north side. That just is no longer there. I mean, the real estate, the gentrification was just too much. But the police would go in and very unconstitutionally search and, you know, and seize people's property. And they seized guns. I mean, there's generationally older people had guns. It became harder and harder to get a gun. Interestingly enough, members of city council 
can not only have guns, they can like, they can open carry. So it's like nuts. But this was, uh, and of course, most of these people are poor. Almost all are black, few Hispanic. And um, did the NRA intervene for those people in getting back their property, particularly their guns back from the police that illegally seized them? No, it was the ACLU who did that. So, you know, I don't, it's not hard to like shout these people down, but you know, it's like everything else. The Democrats are just so timid. They, you know, they, it's always the next election and then we'll do something good. The next we got, but nothing ever changes. Nothing fundamentally, no structural change, no nothing. So well, that's what he promised. Saying, that's what Biden promised. Biden doesn't know who's president half the days. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, it is elder abuse, but you know, here's a man who, if you were a real leader, you could start, you know, flexing presidential muscle, making it a, (laughs) declaring an emergency, doing some executive orders. And then, you know, just basically daring people to, to justify that 18 year old having a gun that murdered all those young kids. He could he could say he he could say with the CDC we have mm-hmm. a state of emergency fifty five thousand Americans are killed each year by guns we have a state yeah. of emergency and I've drawn up this plan to make it harder for people to get guns uh, boy. They would storm the Capitol, wouldn't they, Professor Hussein? If you were sitting in the White House and the president said, you know, why don't I just write a couple of executive orders and start taking away these AK-47s? His advisors would say, you can't do that. Would there be a civil war? Who can say? But clearly uh, the people who are very wedded to their guns um, uh, believe that they need them to defend themselves against the tyranny of the government, uh, the tyranny to protect uh, uh, children, as we recall from Professor John's um, initial presentation. I do think that um, there's just a very creepy alignment here between the gun culture, um, this anti-abortion uh, movement, um, the citizen sovereignist movements, the um, the whole politics—it's it's just very creepy. That it's it's clear you can see that there are a set of fears and anxieties and a sense of victimhood uh, of a certain population that is just unwilling to recognize that it is no longer 1950. The country has changed. Um, Democracy is accepted now. Uh, You can't just routinely. I mean, they're attempting to suppress the votes of, of black people and poor people wherever they can, but it's not considered legitimate. Um, and it just seems like we're seeing a reaction in a various ways um, at multiple levels to um, protect something that um, 
I'm not sure it ever even existed in the way that they imagine it did, um, but the kinds of power and privilege of being able to say, we are the people who matter, other people count less, and um, it's just tearing this country apart on a, you know, day by day, these kinds of, you know, this kind of violence, what happened in Buffalo, what's happening, uh, what just happened a couple of days ago. Um, so I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, it could be a dangerous move. I mean, you already have people who consider uh, Joe Biden some kind of satanic communist, you know, as if, you know, we wish well, they're half uh, he right. was. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't know what it would take. You know, it doesn't seem like it would take much for at least some substantial portion of the population to be radicalized into, you know, violent insurrection. Um, what I guess is, you know, what I don't understand is um, what to do in these circumstances. We have no outlet of politics that is representing what I would consider a sane view, you know, a sane approach and set of policies uh, where the courage of one's principles are, you know, being enacted. So, you know, we're, we're in a really terrible situation. It seems to me just the democratic party just plays the game of the right. They, they, you know, the agenda is set by the right. They respond in this kind of knee jerk way without trying to reframe the issues on actual, you know, terms of, of that would make sense, you know, for people. Uh, so, you know, it just reminds me, um, they're all, bo- all on board for $40 billion to Ukraine. And when right wingers cynically say, oh, we've got this, how can we be sending $40 billion to Ukraine when we've got a baby, you know, uh, uh, formula shortage? Um, and they plan to do nothing about the baby formula shortage <laughs> instead of being in support. That's a great argument. Why aren't we making it? Why aren't we making it and saying we should nationalize a couple of these, you know, factories, uh, make sure that they're going to produce it to high standards of health and make it available. You know, uh, we're just never taking the options that I think would be um, politically effective and actually do the right thing. So it's very frustrating right now. Let me ask you about baby formula. I was reading about Abbott, which I think controls like 70% of all the baby formula in America. It was at least 40% that this one supplier had, but it okay. could be even higher. I'm, I, I have to admit it's my son's 14, so I haven't been in the baby formula game for a while, right. but um, that's my understanding. Um, I was wondering if anybody could answer this. Seems to me before baby formula, mothers had two choices. They could breastfeed or make their own formula. I think <laughs> Professor Ann Lee can answer this question. I, so I looked it up, and the <clears throat> FDA and the American Pediatric Society says, no, 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 you must not make your own formula. You will kill your baby. If you can't breastfeed, you must buy corporate-made formula. Professor Ann Lee, what do, you, what do you think about that? Well, actually, I don't know much about that, but uh, 
I, I do think that it's a less a problem of, of home manufacture as it is distribution that has been thwarted for literally a, a couple of years now. This is clearly a market failure. And a market failure, as some people have said, that could have been addressed a year ago. And it, it is simply about industrial policy. It's very little about home remedies or whatever. It, it is a much larger systematic and structural question that could easily have been predicted because it's a commodity like everything else. Joe in Norway, while you're cooking, I, I hate to interrupt you. Did you just say that you you made baby formula for your kids in Norway? I didn't make baby formula. I made all of their baby food. Instead of buying pre-made baby food, I cooked everything from scratch and uh, carried it everywhere we went in little jars, jam jars. But what about making, and I've been told, you can end up killing your child through malnutrition if you if you try to make your own baby formula. I, I, I've not heard about making your own baby formula. Yeah. I think we call that breast milk. Yeah. Or yes. yeah. seems to me before, anyway, Professor Jonathan Bick, mm -hmm. the police, what did the police do in Newtown 10 years ago? Because the police seem to be awfully quiet right now when it comes to gun control. Yeah, well, I was there to collect my child from the school. And um, uh, there were a lot of police there, a lot of weaponry, um, uh, state police, tactical police. Uh, my other son was in uh, the school up the street. Someone had reported seeing someone <laughs> with, with a gun outside of that school. So they told all the children uh, in the school to go into the auditorium and uh, hide there while, uh, you know, police armed with automatic weapons came in and uh, swept the area. Uh, there, was, there was no one there, obviously. Um, but um, in, in the case of Newtown, the uh, assailant uh, killed himself uh, before the police, uh, you know, interacted with him. Uh, I, I have not seen any uh, school shooting stopped by police or armed security guards. Uh, what, what I'm hearing about this latest one in Texas is that the guy was in there uh, for an hour before the police went in, uh, which is really r remarkable. Uh, they knew he was in there. Uh, they were afraid to engage him. Is that Professor correct? I, I Lee, what is your understanding? You have to unmute, please. Sorry. Uh, there were delays. In fact, we're, we have a lot of disinformation being produced and a lot of uh, counter video that shows that the the local cops delayed. Uh, they wanted to wait. And, and this is sort of uh, uh, rules of engagement where they had to wait for the tactical team. Uh, and, you know, that that's what what 
you know, messed it all up. What messed it all up actually is uh, social media and video of parents getting angry at cops. And the and country. How big is this place? How big is this town? How it's a 20,000 20, people. It's a small town. So how long could it possibly take the SWAT team to, like, scramble? Well, it was, and, and it they, was federal. Actually, it, was, it wasn't it like uh, customs border enforcement. It was a federal. Yes, they had a border patrol t- uh, attack team nearby. But the fact is they were waiting for it to assemble. And it, it probably scrambles very quickly. But the fact is it was away. But they had to wait for it. Now, the, f- the fact of the matter is the local police uh, uh, uh it has they have a SWAT team? It's a it's an eight person SWAT team. You can see the pictures of the damn SWAT team, and why they didn't go into action right then and there is just uh, baffles me. It baffles me. They, they've at least thought about diversity. They have one woman on their SWAT team. I mean, it's it's like it. It just is as I mentioned before. It is just incredible. The the bad preparation or training they've had for this considering that it is texas well there wasn't an unarmed black man um right. you know, yes exactly uh, around right they seem to be you know able to leap into action and make all kinds of assumptions about what should be done uh, right. right away right in those cases right isn't it occurring to anybody that the more the police load up on a assault weaponry and military-grade weapons, like, the less capable they are of actually functioning as police. Well, guns make people lazy. You ever, yeah. I watch videos of Texas cops. They're overweight. They carry guns. They chase. When, they, when a motorist gets out of the car and starts running, these cops... They've got guns, but no stamina. They, they, yeah, it's, uh, go ahead, Professor Bick. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring to attention there, there seems to be a talking point going around on the right about uh, how we should harden schools. So uh, Ted Cruz, for example, was saying, you know, the school should have uh, had only one entrance and that entrance should have been uh, guarded by armed police. And that way the, the shooter would never have gotten in the school. Maybe, uh, you know, the guy in Newtown shot through the glass uh, sidelight of, uh, of a door. That's how he gained entrance. Um, it seems like a lot of money that we as taxpayers too. have to pay. So well, go ahead. Yeah, this this is the point, right? So what they want to do is anything but the right thing. They want to do they, what they want to do is turn schools into prisons. They want armed guards that the children see every day, or they want teachers like your interview earlier with uh, the, uh, the union organizer. He was from Texas. He said his teachers had guns. They draft teachers to, to have guns in the classroom. Uh, what kind of a message does that send when you see your teacher is armed? 
Uh, and, and you see that your school is like a prison. You see, in order for them to have what they call freedom, the rest of us has to have to be denied freedom. Right. We have to live in a prison so that they can go around and, and carry uh, automatic, you know, semi-automatic weapons. An, an armed te- teacher would have still, there would have still been casualties. Of and course. in fact, it, yeah. it's just insane. Uh, but well, it, it goes to the larger cultural structural questions. For example, they use the term, and, and I want the uh, media to get, get over using it, to stop using it. But when you say you lock down a school, that is that comes from penal the penal culture, right? Mm. It, it is exactly what is used. You, mm-hmm. it, 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 all it's going to do is remind us that school, quote-unquote, is a prison. You don't need to read uh, Paulo Freire to, to recognize that this is what it's about. The one-door entry to a, to a school is like a damn money bin. You know, that's a, just a whole wrong way of thinking about how to protect things. Well, I bet you that'll be in the next infrastructure bill. The one that Joe Manchin will vote for. Yeah. Well. And the other thing is, David, they're, they're doing these drills, you know, lockdown drills, which there, there is no evidence to show that these are effective in, in real life. But it reminds students every week or every month that they have these that they're in danger, that their lives are in danger because the adults in this country are not sufficiently aroused to stop this like every other country in the world, developed country anyway, has done. We know what works. You know, it's a whole array of things, but certainly restricting access to guns and particularly for young men for men under 30, they should not be allowed access to guns. You know, if they want to go to a shooting range and keep the weapons there, fine. They're not allowed to take them off the range. It, the, the cost is too high. This is insane. Just stop it. You know, young people's brains are not fully formed until their late 20s. So why are we allowing them to go around with automatic, uh, semi-automatic weapons? Well, that's the, that's the thing about uh, uh, the military, though, John. Uh, you know, we, we, we can conscript. Uh, that's who we recruit, right? We, I mean, we program them at 18 and prepare them to be killing machines. And we have an entire generation that has been sent off and is used to that and then comes back here after Afghanistan and Iraq and is creates their own kind of, you know, larger culture. I mean, that's exactly where the, the whole black gun uh, AR-15 pattern thing has come from. Yeah. Cracking down on guns in this economy suggests we would eventually start cracking down on arms contractors. We we are a war economy. We make weapons. We are not equipped to go after the guns in this country because 
That's how we fuel our economy. That's what we do. We make weapons. It's time to diversify, David. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Professor. We, we, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, uh, I'm just going to say we, we need to, uh, you know, start producing things that are actually beneficial for people, that actually help people, that don't kill and destroy. That's what we need to focus on. We have the largest military in the world. I think that's enough. We don't need to be sending all these small arms and, and heavy arms around the world to conflict areas to make things worse. And then say, oh, we have to go in and straighten things out. Violence on top of violence on top of violence. There is a, you cannot escape the class issue. We don't see these shootings at private schools. The richest 1%, they are immune to these shootings. Most of them don't even live in the United States. When this country gets too crazy for them, they get on their private jet and go to their ski chalet in Switzerland. They are immune from gun violence in this country. While profiting yeah. off it, Davos, all these hedge fund managers, all these mutual funds, CalPERS, all these pension funds invest in Smith & Wesson, in Sturm & Drang, or whomever makes whatever. Uh, Sturm Luger. Sturm Luger. Uh, these, are, these are hedge funds that invest in these companies. And it's time for especially teachers' unions to divest their pensions of any gun manufacturer. Thank you, Professor Adnan Hussein. Thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings. Uh, Guerrilla History and the Mudgeless Podcast. Who, who's on? Uh, well, uh, Henry and I just spoke with uh, two uh, Delhi based journalists and activists from a new platform called Workers Unity, uh, activist and covering. Uh, they covered the year, over a year long farmers protest. So we talked to them about uh, the farmers protest that should be out tomorrow. And Great. currently we have part two of our conversation with Professor Takia Harper Shipman about her book on ownership of development in West Africa. Um, and about China's role in development uh, politics in Africa and AFRICOM, the U.S. military command that is involved at all levels and in West the, Africa. So check that out. And the Mudgeless podcast? Yeah, the Mudgeless, um, hopefully tomorrow or the next day, we'll have this um, uh, conversation uh, with Dr. Pasha Khan from McGill University about uh, Indian storytelling and the romance genre in Persian and Urdu. For those who come uh, have been coming to office hours, I read um, from um, the Sira Dat al Himma, uh, new English translation published as the Princess Fatima, Warrior Woman. The conversation I had with Dr. Pasha Khan is about Urdu and Persian literature that's very similar to that kind of epic, medieval epic literature in, in Arabic. Fantastic. Thank you, Reed, Professor Ann Lee over at the Daily Coes under the name Annie Lee. 
Professor Marianne Cummings. Follow her on Twitter at RazorGirl, G-R-R-R-L. Professor Jonathan Bick, thank you. Uh, yeah. We'll see you tonight at uh, office hours. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you for all of you. Thank you. And it's, it's great when Professor Ann Lee, when you can hear her, she's a, she's a privilege. Joe in Norway, what the hell are you doing to us? What, like you were making those new. That's what, such an appetizing discussion. I know, I know. What do you got for us? So I made a glass jelly noodle salad. So these are noodles made from mung bean flour that I put into a slurry. And then you cook it until it just becomes gelatinous, basically. Mm -hmm. And then set it in a bowl, put it in the refrigerator for a day, and then you slice it up. So I created a chili chili oil sauce with uh, citron peppercorns and red chilies. And then I uh, sliced up some cucumber and the uh, pieces of uh, noodle and then drizzled the, the dressing over and topped off with peanuts. So a nice, cool summer salad. You're torturing Pretty straightforward. Me. You, you are torturing <laughs> me. Thank you. Well, it's time once again for Misky and K. They go together like PB and J. Like Thelma and Louise, like Mac and Cheese, like Sacco and Benzetti, like meatballs and spaghetti. Allen's in LA, Harvey J's in they got a lot to say Cause they're Minsky and Kay that Joe in Norway accepts recipe suggestions on Twitter. If you would like to see him cook something, 
follow him on Twitter at Joe Umame, J-O-E, Umami, U-M-A-M-I, Joe Umami. Well, joining us is- Does Joe do lamb chops? I think we, I don't think so. I think it's, we're pretty, we're vegan here. You're vegan there. I ain't vegan here. Do you eat Um, lamb chops? What? You, You eat lamb chops. I eat lamb chops. I eat hamburgers. I eat chicken. I would never eat lamb. I don't kill or eat the things I have sex with. Uh, I'm sorry. Dignify. I know. Alan Minsk, I agree with you. Here we have a renowned professor. His, they're reprinting his book on Marxist historians. It's coming out in the fall. And, and I'm making jokes like that. Professor Harvey J.K., author of FDR and Democracy, The Fight for the Four Freedoms, Take Hold of Our History, I Apologize, and Alan Minsky, Executive Director of Progressive Democrats of America. Well, we've been ta- I know we want to talk about what happened on Tuesday and what's going to happen next week on Tuesday, which I'm not talking about the elections, I'm talking about the massacres. We had a, a massacre on Tuesday. We'll get to that in a second. Please tell can I, me. Can I read? A, can I read something I got in the mail? Yeah, this is interesting. I went. I one of my former students who's finishing up. Well, he's doing a PhD at University of Maryland. Contacted me, and, and I knew he'd been eyeing a lot of my books over many years. And I still have my university office, and it's just filled with books. I mean, it's got all the books from when I worked on the British Marxist historian. It's got all the books from my Gramscian days. I mean, it's just like, you know, four decades worth of books. So, and not counting what I've got here in the house. So I said, yeah, meet me at the university. Uh, we'll go to my office and I'll, I'll let you show me what you'd like to take. And I, I gave him maybe three boxes of books. But while I was there, I was able to look in my, I haven't been on campus very often this year. So I, looked in my mailbox at the office and I had a letter from a a Lutheran pastor. Okay. Who heard me on radio. So he wrote, uh, professor K I heard you one night on the radio talking about Senator Ron Johnson. I could not believe what you were saying about our Senator. You said you could not believe that Senator Johnson was ever elected. I, and then he says, I still can't believe this state elected Russ Feingold who supported late term abortions. I still can't believe this state elected Tammy Baldwin, who, when she was a congresswoman, supported a bill that would allow people to check a box on their tax returns if they didn't want their tax money to be used for body armor for our troops. I can't believe she wasn't called to account for the Toma VA scandal, which I don't remember. Senator Johnson is right in questioning the effectiveness and safety of the COVID vaccine. He is right to question the validity of the 2020 election. The use of drop boxes and ballot harvesting in our state fosters voter fraud. And why would Green Bay be allowed to have Michael Spitzer Rubenstein or Rubenstein, if you prefer, from New York, be involved in running their election last fall? If Senator Johnson is not reelected this fall, it will be a travesty. If he isn't reelected and ballot harvesting and drop boxes are allowed in Milwaukee and Madison, that may be the reason we lose a great senator. Senator Johnson has to run not only against his Democratic opponents, but also against the mainstream media in this state who carry the water for the Democrats. And that, by the way, 
was a very clean letter. And they didn't curse me. It didn't threaten me. It was just taking issue with what I said. But boy, what can I say? A Lutheran minister. Pastor. Pastor. Yeah. Conservative, very conservative uh, synod calls them pastors. Well, I'm looking for some good news. Jessica Cisneros is down by what? 157 votes? 175. Can we find them? I'm just looking for 176 votes in the words of... Donald Trump. Johnson. Uh, Lyndon Johnson once found out he was down about 270 votes and there was one precinct left to be counted, which Johnson proceeded to win with hundred percent of the votes. 400 were counted there and that got him into Congress. That was his first election to Congress. And they called you know, him landslide. Funny, yeah. They called him landslide. I, when the first time that uh, Walker, I think it was the first time he won the governorship, they, it looked like he was going to lose. And then all of a sudden, from Waukesha County, which is where he's from, they found boxes of they found boxes of of ballots that had somehow been pushed aside, and somehow those votes put him up. I don't know if it was like the winning set of votes, but it was startling. So it's always amazing, you know, when you get a, a narrow a narrow window there. And as Alan was saying, I mean, Texas historically they could always find the votes for the well the candidates there's a great there's a great story about lyndon johnson i've told this on the show before he they used to go to the cemetery and write down the names of all the dead people and then they would (laughs) register them to vote and they would all vote for lyndon johnson and it was getting late at night lyndon johnson is there with his staffers there where there was ivy covering some of the tombstones and a young staffer said to him, uh, Congressman, uh, I can't read uh, some of the names on these tombstones. And Lyndon Johnson put his arm around her and said, young lady, those people have every right to vote as every other dead person in the cemetery. (laughs) Go ahead, Alan, I interrupted you, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Um, I, uh, as Harvey knows, I have to go out to Marina Del Rey, so I'm going to uh, make this exciting. I'm going to go join, hopefully, this call from my handheld and, and then uh, try to avoid traffic accidents as well. I join you and Harvey. Uh, I do want to say, though, uh, in case I can't reconnect or have a hard time communicating, um, just per the last conversation and the structures of U.S. power, um, I want to point out something that, you know, is certainly one way that I'm familiar with looking at, at um, wealth and power. And bear me out here for a second, folks. The top sporting league in the world is the British Premiership. There are two pools of owners now. There are very few clubs owned by English people. They're owned by people from the Gulf states, occasionally oligarchs from other parts of the world, one from Malaysia, and then American oligarchs. Oh, well, there's a famous Russian oligarch, of course, Roman Abramovich was just forced to sell his team. And it was purchased by the guy, an American, who owns the Dodgers. Yeah, this week, the championship of European football, Liverpool will play Real Madrid. Real Madrid is owned by the fans of Real Madrid, old school structure. Liverpool is owned by the same people who own the Boston Red Sox. The Glazers from Tampa Bay own Manchester United. You know, you're talking to somebody who owns the Green Bay Packers. We are. But here's the point about this, this league. If you want to understand what American oligarchs want, they want to be able to compete with the people from the Gulf in owning these franchises. 
right? This is one of the motivations for a significant portion of the contemporary American oligarchic class. They want to play with the elite of the elite. They want to have no barriers to their playing with the elite of the elite. And I think that if we look at the structure of American power, we have to consider how the United States has become due to the very easy capacity for people to avoid taxation here, the very easy capacity to offshore their assets in the United States. This has been true since the age of Reagan. It's been, an, uh, it's actually been a very rarely spoken about foundation of neoliberalism that the leading hegemonic neoliberal country, the United States, would be a place where the richest could come, own assets, have assets, hold assets, and anchor their companies and businesses um, and not have to be interfered with with what they get in all the other wealthy industrial countries, Western Europe, Japan, South Korea, Australia, Canada, et cetera, which is the interference of a social democratic system. And that extends all the way to gun laws and abortion too, as part of the logic of the right wing. But I think anchoring all of this is the capacity of American oligarchs to be unimpeded by the democratic opera, the faux democratic operation in the United States of America. So I wanted to throw that out there before. We are uh, the world's largest tax haven. We've replaced Switzerland. We've replaced the Cayman Islands, Delaware, one of the Dakotas. These are Nevada. These are tax havens for oligarchs, criminals, drug dealers. It's opaque. It's very conspicuous. The wealthiest foot, uh, sports franchise in the world right now is Newcastle United because they're owned by the Saudi <laughs> Arabian sovereign wealth fund, right? But the, the, the when when Chelsea, one of the elite clubs, got up for sale, it wasn't a golf, in this case, a, a golf uh, oligarch uh, from Petrodollars who was able to buy it. It was the guy who owns the Dodgers, an American guy, looks like, looks like the friggin' dude from Big Lebowski, you know? And they're and, immune, and, and they, they always threaten to take their money, pull a, is it John Gold? Who, who in the Ayn Rand threatened to go on strike. That's right. That's Galt, I think, was his name or something. To to go on strike, they're going to take their money someplace else, to which I say, you already did. Well, let's take their friggin' assets, man. That's what I say. If they're going to do that, you know, let's take their assets. But they've already shipped everything overseas. They don't repatriate their, their profits. They live overseas. They don't pay taxes here. They really hate America. They 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 just they loot this country and they hate America. And we need to call them on that. We have to call them enemies of the state. Jeff Bezos is an enemy of the state. No argument there. Um, so I'm going to join from this other thing. If I don't, if I can't rejoin Harvey and David, take it away, and I'll see you okay. next week. But I'll Thank try you. to rejoin for my handout. Okay. Uh, Liam McEnany, I just wanted to let you know you were scheduled for 7:30, not now. Just wanted you to know that. So we're going to have to reschedule you. You were on the bill. The invitations went out. It said Eastern, not Western. So I'm sorry. Uh, Professor Harvey J.K., I love you, Liam, but it was, um, I don't even think Liam's here. Professor. Is that the Liam who, is that the Liam that was with us at the beginning? At the very uh, beginning. No. I, I don't know if he's there. Are you there, Liam? All right. He's not uh, talking. Professor K., 
What has Tex got his hand up for? Uh, oh, that's Tex Zimmerman. Who's that? He, he, he left it up from... Uh, oh. Uh, so... Your I'm th- back, but uh, you guys still carry this. Consider me more. You're, yeah, you're not back. <laughs> I hope he doesn't get in an accident while he's talking to us. Right. Oh, I think I can avoid that. So it'll be dramatic if that does occur. And then, then we'll get a lot of hits on this stuff. So always happy to help the Feldman out. Feldman Shaw, however I can. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, Professor Harvey J.K., you're... you're Thoughts on Jessica Cisneros, your thoughts on uh, last Tuesday, next Tuesday, the shooting, the, the previous shooting before that, the shooting. I thought you that, wanted good news. You said something about good news earlier. I wanted to, somebody to tell me that Jessica Cisneros was going to beat Henry Cuellar in Texas. But Well, I, I thought she was. I think it, and I was talking to Alan earlier. I don't mean to misrepresent things, but... And I was thinking it's still likely that the the real progressives will increase in numbers. The better question is what happens in November when the Republicans increase in numbers? Okay. How do we, how do we get, I mean, right now my head feels like it's just, you know, I'm not going to explode because that would imply a lot of energy, but it's the case of just feels so deflated with all, with these election results. I mean, I know there are some victories, but, you know, it's like when you put that in the larger, larger picture, the way in which money is is ruling the airwaves and ruling, you know, people's attentions, because most people don't pay attention to the elections till, till, you know, late in the game. And then they go to vote and all they've seen is repeated ads for this or that. And I don't know. But I will say this, I will say this, and it's just too late that we got into this. The whole idea that progressives really should, I mean, this is, you know, forbidden talk maybe on the left, but progressives really should just focus on economics because most of the other stuff right now is going to get shot down in the Supreme Court anyhow. Just go all out on economic questions and start building a really, really progressive economic movement, okay, including labor and working people. Because we're, look, they're going to kill Roe v. Wade. They're going to just, they've destroyed everything. The Supreme Court is a massive obstacle, okay? The Democrats have been unwilling, and the Democrats have been unwilling to do what needs doing. Um, I think, Harvey, just supplement what you're saying with this. I think an emphasis on economics is a winning hand for progressives. And we, of course, will never waver on all of the social issues, civil rights issues, and all the other climate issues, et cetera. Um, And so the best way to achieve those things, and of course the the way to insulate against Supreme Court rulings is through legislation. And the only way to get to, you know, kind of just even approximate, even a post-Rezeveltian Democratic majority, or to try to get back to where we were in 2008, I think is through trying to reunify the working class with an economic message. And then we can achieve the other things more readily than we could if we don't lead on economics. So that's, that's, you know, I know that that would still be a difficult thing for a lot on the left to digest or want to digest, but I think that would be the way to go. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, Why is it hard for the left to, to embrace the economic bill of rights? What's the reaction been? 
to your economic bill of rights. Oh, it's been great, but we haven't, you know, the, unfortunately, I think we got it out in a way and then Ukraine happened, then Roe v. Wade happened. We really didn't have it in place enough to try to make an impression. It's going to take some organizing with some major players, sort of hinted at, by the way. I saw that people saw us on Majority Report and very happy to highlight that show on this show because of David's relationship with Michael Brooks and obviously Michael's relationship to that show. It was a really good conversation. But we really press the sort of pragmatic agenda of the Economic Bill of Rights and how to achieve it. And, um, you know, if you listen to what Harvey and I are saying there, it's pretty clear that we have to get buy-in from a set of players. So far, we've gotten buy-in from everybody we've spoken to, and it's probably about a quarter of the way to where we need to be to um, get the kind of buy-in such that uh, – and, and I think Cedar picked up on that, and he said, I think, even in the course of the interview, so you're talking about the 2024 election cycle or, the, in other words, the next election cycle, and I think at this hour it's probably true. Um, but I don't think anything that's happening in this election cycle does anything except strengthen the argument for it. So in yeah. that sense, it's good. Who's, who is Summer Lee is the breakthrough? Who else do we have? I mean, Summer Lee is good news, right? And, and well, Schrader we, lost in Oregon. Right. And well, so, Schrader, Schrader probably, um, McLeod Skinner probably won't be a full, fully voiced member of the squad. She's going fantastic. And she's very important, by the way. I highlighted her and Erica Smith as being very important because of their district being quite rural. And so a capacity to start drawing in people in small town and rural America around a progressive economic agenda that, you know, basically the people in small town and rural America are blind to even the possibility of such a thing. She does, by the way, however, that is a swing district. She's going to have a difficult race. Uh, I think she'll win, but she'll have a difficult race potentially in November. And if it is a complete landslide that could spill over into Oregon and maybe she won't make Congress. Maxwell Alejandro Frost in Florida is looking like he's going to probably take the primary. He's getting a ton of press. He's a, someone who speaks since taking the lead on gun violence. He would be, um, but Kassar and Summer Lee will definitely be in the squad proper. They're like members seven and eight. They're already going to be in They're in safe blue districts. So it's expanding. And then McLeod Skinner, Alejandro Frost will be significant victories too. We can pick up others as we go. Have to play defense with Andy Levin and Ilhan Omar. But uh, yeah, I say I'm confident we can win on Omar. Hopefully we can win on Levin. Huge race up in Michigan. Great. Well, Professor Harvey J.K., that's optimistic. I mean, there are some victories that we couldn't imagine five years ago. I mean, you couldn't imagine Elon Omar or AOC or... Richie Torres. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. Let, let me tell you some, some of my darker thoughts on that, however, okay? And it's this. Basically, these are all to be welcomed, but they're not big enough because it's the kind of thing that just feeds, it feeds the anxiety and fear of the, of the rich and the powerful, whether they're, whether they're the Republicans or indeed the corporate Democrats. And, and look, when millions get poured into politics the way it does, then, you know, I mean, it limits possibilities. And if you stretch that out over time, I'm going to, this is my pessimist. This is when I get into my pessimistic side. And I think to myself, the more success we have in this kind of limited fashion, the more we'll be picked off by them. Okay. That, that's my sense. Um, and, I, and, and the very fact that the Progressive Caucus isn't really as progressive as the name may imply 
is an indicator of just how much they've been willing to invest in recruiting, even into the progressive caucus folks who are not that progressive. So, I, I mean, that's that's the pessimistic side. My other pessimistic side is I really do wonder what what will be left of American democratic life if, in fact, the Republicans take back the House and possibly the Senate. Um, look, I mean, when you put together what they have done with democratic deference since the late 1970s, it is, a, I mean, it's an extraordinary long-term victory. And you can talk about clawing back, but the fact is they've reapportioned, they literally have redistricted Wisconsin so that, you know, they'll, they'll be in power forever at the, at the, at the rate things are going. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm saying this with great affection for Alan and great affection for you and all the other East and West coasters out there. But the fact is that I have seen Wisconsin for 10 years, 10, I'm going to talk about uh, almost a dozen years, literally get turned into almost, almost a Mississippi of the North. And if, and if they win the governor's race this coming year, because there are no, there's no Biden coattails, you know, to speak of last time, and there's no presidential campaign this year, then I, I'm, I can tell you that it scares the hell out of me to think the kinds of stuff they're going to enact with a Republican governor back in place because they've just done it over time. So I always have this feeling that my timeline is different than East and West coast timelines that East and West coast timelines. There's no, the horizon is different because East and West coast, you'll continue to allow abortions. You know, you'll, you'll protect your schools more effectively than we can protect ours here in terms of curriculum and teachers and so on. So I, I, I have, it's not that I'm, pessim, I'm, I'm not actually pessimistic. I think there are possibilities, but I do, I do feel that, that I just have a different understanding, a different timeline. And so it's all night. So I welcome these victories, but they're not enough. There just aren't enough of them to make me feel good. Have you ever seen a president so crippled? The speech he gave that night, Tuesday. We have to do something. Uh, we have to grow a spine. We have to... But no executive order, no action, zero. Yeah, this is right. And, you know, I mean, look, when I... was it two years ago when I said, you know, I'll vote for Biden is because, you know, I learned a long time ago that 99% of the time I had to vote defensively and I saw no, you know, a vote is a vote period, but it's just striking. It is striking how the pundits still let are letting this administration off. You know, I, I listened today to a podcast with, in fact, Alan, you hear me right now? It was Stephen Greenhouse with Susie on Jack. Yes, yes. Oh, Stephen yes, Greenhouse, the labor reporter yeah. for the New York the Times. The labor reporter. The and it, it was a really, it was a very good conversation. But late in the game, Susie asked him about Joe Biden as a f labor friendly president. And even now, these folks need feel like they have to say, well, we haven't heard talk like this since, you know, since when? Well, you know, they all reach back to FDR. But the fact is that talk is talk. Well, earlier. It ain't action. And the fact is that, you know, I don't care how many people want to attack FDR for whatever reason. The fact is 
in his first hundred days, he signed into law. He signed into law a National Industrial Recovery Act that, although later it turned out to be something that would have to be replaced, actually signed into law the right of workers to organize and bargain collectively, not just the right, but literally empowered them to do so and created the first ever national minimum wage. First ever national minimum wage. Okay, they couldn't even get a a fucking $15 an hour minimum wage today, Pat, a year ago passed. Okay. And, we, and I know there's little tinkering. You can't tinker with this system. They, 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 there were plenty of proposals as to what Biden could do in the first hundred days that would have made a tremendous difference. And we all grabbed it's, you know, is a grasp best straws or grabbed the straws because, well, he replaced this lawyer at the NLRB and right. he did this and he did that. Right. 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 Uh, yeah. So meanwhile, Meanwhile, they all lied to the to the squad. Well, the squad was smart enough not to just but they lied to the so-called progressive caucus. They split up the build back better package. Okay, and even now, as we all knew, so they passed the infrastructure thing. The only time infrastructure is going to matter to Americans is when they see it happening and improving their lives. And I don't see anything so far. I agree with you. However, we had Joe Thompson on. Yeah, who's Joe Thompson? They are running for uh, California State Assembly, 19-year-old union uh-huh. organizer, just won two votes at, a, at two Starbucks in Santa Cruz. Yes, now, yes, which is to take us back to the reality of it, okay? The workers aren't waiting, and let's hope that it becomes not the right metaphor, but contagious that they're not waiting. And the NLRB, and I said this to Joe, they agreed with me. The NLRB under Biden is a little more worker friendly than we had under Trump. The NLRB. A little more. (laughs) Well, well, I'm not laughing. I'm sure they are. You know what it would take to be a little more? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not a hell of a lot. You're not out of a lot now. Well, They're savage with Republicans. You yeah. know, an argument the, could be. You know be- that National Labor Relations Board back in 19, when it was created, was was literally created to, to compel employers to recognize workers' rights. And, for, and ever since 1947, that was killed. Okay. And the Democrats over and over and over again failed, failed, failed to undo that. However, 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 there was a vote in Buffalo. Hello. By a Starbucks. David. Yes. Did you unmute me? Yes, but you you screwed up again. It's what do you mean? It was seven thirty. Right, I'm here. No, no, no. Seven thirty, New York time. Come on, I know you're kidding now. Hold on one second. I, sorry, I was on the phone with my sister. Go, go look at the the invite. And we'll really, come, yeah, come back. We'll 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 come back to you, David. You never have me on a, uh, so early. Well, okay. We'll talk and let me wrap up with Professor Harvey J.K. Well, why do you have? Why did you bring me in in the middle of their segment? You know the fans love this segment, David. All right, so we'll you'll come on after I mean, this segment. Fifty percent of the segment is the theme song, by which I mean it lasts for fifty percent of the segment. Okay, you'll come on after Emil. 
Okay. Oh yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you. Sorry to sorry to crash your your segment, Professor. I think we should bring this to the National Labor Relations Board, guys. I do. <laughs> the the NLRB, Alan. There was a vote in Buffalo where a Starbucks shop voted against going union, and the NLRB stepped in. I think last week and said, "No, no, you're going union." That- it, was, it was a while ago. They, they they already did it once, and they 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 came down with a rather supportive. Uh, decision that was a while ago also in buffalo so they've apparently intervened twice in a positive way yeah Um, this is a union shop now you cheated i mean there the problem with the union movement so far we have a somewhat more inviting nlrb the union movement it could be argued is not making them do it as FDR. That's right. And I, no, exactly. By the way, that's true. And what I was going to then come back to with Stephen Greenhouse is one of the smartest things he was pressing, though I think I would have been more aggressive than he was in pressing it, is that the leadership at the AFL-CIO and the, and, the, and the major established unions are not eager and ready to embrace all of this energy. They just are either too... Sclerotic. Too, what's the word? Sclerotic. Sclerotic, yeah, yeah, and uh, they're lawyers. They're all lawyers. So, yeah. Uh, well, they're not all lawyers, but I get the drift. Don't worry. Yeah, the the uh, yeah, yeah. Professor Harvey J.K., it's great to see you. I'll see you uh, I, next week or Monday if you want to come on. I'm not. Uh, yeah. Next next Thursday, I'm, I'm supposed to do something for a, a, a Democratic Party group in California. They want to know about the four freedoms. And I'm hoping that I'll be done by the time we would normally start. OK, but I, I, I don't know right now. All right. You can bring Gavin Newsom on. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to rank. I'll try to wrangle this. I'll try to wrangle his ex-wife. Get her on the show. Oh, Gargoyle. Yeah, we can, Kimberly. Yeah, Gargoyle? We, can re- we can reunite the two. Yeah. Kimberly Gargoyle. That's all you need to know about Gavin about Newsom. Gavin Newsom. Yeah, that's for sure. He married Kimberly Gargoyle, who's now going to marry Don Jr. That's all you, you need kidding? to know. I, you know, I don't follow these uh, things. His <laughs> ex-wife is now going to marry Don Jr.? Yeah. See, it, it, that, doesn't, that doesn't even convey one-tenth one of what she's about. You got to watch her RNC speech from oh my 2020. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know, maybe California should secede, New York should secede, and Wisconsin can lead a new a new revolution. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, bye bye. FDR bye-bye. and democracy donate to the progressive Democrats of America. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the David Feldman Show, DavidFeldmanshow.com. If you would like to join us, if you're watching us live right now, go to DavidFeldmanshow.com. And hit pay-per-view. That's the tab tonight. It's on the pay-per-view tab. It's free. And it'll bring you into our Zoom room where you can talk to Leah McEnany. And we'll take questions if uh, from our audience. We don't... That's how we take calls. You have to come into our Zoom room. So if you're watching us live, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit pay-per-view. It's free. And it'll take you right into our Zoom room. 
Also, while you're there, sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every Friday. It uh, is a recap of the week in Feldman, and it has time codes, and it helps you navigate these exceptionally long shows. You can, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can click on the parts of the show you want to watch first. And it also includes an invitation to Office Hours, which starts every Friday night at 8 p.m. I hold down the the fort from 8 till 9.30 Eastern. I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Then the community of activists, writers, artists, chefs, musicians, comedy writers, teachers, 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 and more teachers, they take over. It's a great community, and uh, you'll meet better people. We all need to meet better people, and you'll find them at office hours. Go to my website to sign up. Speaking of better people, Emil Guillermo joins us out there in California. Hello, Emil. Hi, David. Hi, David. Emil, yeah. I, I'm going to tell you, I just want to introduce you as a columnist for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Read him over at ALDEF and listen to him on the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. So I had yeah. kale chips. Yeah, kale chips are fine. Did you make them yourself in the air fryer? Yes. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way. I mean, but I did put avocado oil. I was massaging the avocado oil into the into the kale, and I yeah. and you made me feel guilty. It well, was- you, you know, you you actually should. And I I started a new uh, segment on the Peter podcast called "A Meal in a Minute: Vegan Tips." Well, that's it's great. A, I love yeah, that. It, yeah, it's at the end of the of the segment this this week. Uh, I reprised a interview I did with Captain Paul Watson, you know, the Sea Shepherd guy. Um, and he uh, co-authored a book called Orcopedia. And, and I bumped into someone, you know, who said he was taking his kids to SeaWorld. And I said, you're taking your kids to SeaWorld? You know, instead of taking your kids to SeaWorld, just read Orcopedia and read about how SeaWorld enslaves all these orcas and so I thought, all right, we'll do that. We do the interview. And then I do my Emil in a Minute vegan tips. This week on the inaugural vegan tips, I, I talk about if you, they've done a study in Europe and they compare meat-eating diets, vegetarian diets, and vegan diets. And guess what? There is no difference between the amount of oil and the amount of sugars in those diets. None. I mean, very, very, very little. Uh, and the big difference comes if you go whole food plant-based and use no oil. And then that's when you see the health gains. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to like be the church of veganism or the church of whole food plant-based and may, try to make you feel guilty about this stuff. Cause you shouldn't feel guilty. You should eat what you want. It's not about, you know, being perfect. There's no judgment there's no confessional hours that you come and say, bless me, Father, I have had a bad meal. You know, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's just, hey, all right, you like avocado oil? Try to limit the amount you You ruin veganism once again for me. No matter well, what I do for you people, you, <laughs> no matter what I do, 
Yeah. It's never good enough. Never enough. Never. never well, vegan I, cheese, not good enough for you. Well, the, you know, the fat, you know, just it, like it, you know, the, impossible, the impossible and the Beyond Burgers, they're, they're nice things for alternatives, but they're loaded with fat. They're, they are processed in a semi-good way to make you feel better about not killing the animals. But think about you, yourself as the animal, because the fat and the processed part of that fake meat is going to maybe do more harm than good, ultimately, if you eat a lot of them. Eat one every couple of months. That's fine. How about uh, some beans? beans I, by the way, no, we don't have sponsors on the show. Yes. I was ordering from Rancho Gordo. Yeah. As I'm ordering, I look up and I see an email from you. Yeah. As I'm making my order that you had ordered from Rancho Gordo. Have, have the beans arrived yet? Yeah, the power of persuasion. I, I mean, you mentioned them. I said, God, heirloom beans. I like everything heirloom. I like heirloom tomatoes. I like, I even like heirloom Filipinos. I like, I like all the heirloom. I like heirloom white people. Well, no, not heirloom white people. Yeah. I, I like heirloom, but the idea of heirloom beans. What kind was, of beans were you eating? I mean, I, you know, if you, I, heirloom I, beans are the best. Can I admit, I look, Sometimes I eat canned beans. I'm sorry. Me too. Me too. I, I can't. I eat the organic ones. Sometimes eat the organic ones, right. and uh, sometimes you know, just any store bought bean that you know, I just throw oh, into you're, the. You're never going to go back. You what, once, once you uh, start tasting these heirloom beans, they're gonna, they're gonna blow you away. I did. I, they did arrive. We had some of the the white. They have all these different white the beans. Corona beans. The Corona beans. I I don't. I forget the name, but it was the one COVID nineteen beans. It's a fancy white bean that was creamy, and it made you think, "Oh my god, I'm I, I'm eating like cheese or right, something." Right. 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 And, and, it's not cheese. Now you said the other day that oh, it tastes like I'm eating bacon. The secret about wanting to eat or taste something like bacon, smoked paprika. No, the beans. I, I saw that. I go, what the hell is he talking about? These beans taste right. like bacon. I, they I, taste right. like I, scallops sometimes or chocolate. It's the. It's is it called terra? It's the. It's the. The beans absorbing the local. The, the flavors. Earth. The earth. The, earth, the, the way earth. wine does. I I think though you're you're right about the the white bean that I had it was a uh, very creamy and I had never experienced that in a bean and in fact everything that came out of me later was creamy too so you know it works it's that like, may be I, from something else yeah it but was good though it was good I I I enjoyed the experience Did you talk I, to the beans I uh, well you know I said hey heirloom hey this you know, is a this beans. It's a very spiritual transformation. The beans give up their lives for us. The beans are, they are seed. You're eating a seed. A bean can be planted to give you more beans, or it can be digested to give you life. It, it surrenders itself to you as you're boiling it. It's, it, it's, it's death. It's resurrection. It's everything that Easter is about. You should embrace beans. And when you talk about heirloom, you're not talking about these nouveau beans. Nouveau beans, you know, like the nouveau, it's heirloom. 
heirloom beans. After wor- during World War II to mobilize agriculture, we started making one bean and we let all the other types of beans die off. Nobody knew that beans had different colors or were multicolored. And Rancho Gordo goes down to Mexico and the owner walks with the peasants or whatever you want to call the farmers. Is that, that was rude to say peasants, right? Well, they're they're sort of workmen. The workmen, the they're uh, tillers of the earth. The tillers of the earth, the salt of the earth, and they take him to hillsides where he discovers five hundred year old beans that are still yeah. growing, and they're beautiful. And you see the universe. These are you eat these beans, and you're tapping into to something that's more powerful than all of us. And you add some vegetables, maybe some uh, starch, and you can live forever on this. I, I, I look, I, I had my first taste of them uh, the other day. I love them. I was saving the, the, we had black and white. We, I got the big, big box. So I had black and white. And I, I, but oh, I you got the, the sample small. box. I, I think, I, I don't know, they're all downstairs, but I, I love, I, I loved them. I love the ones that we had that, that had a creamy sense and I'm looking forward to more, but you know, I've, I've had this, uh, I had oral surgery the other day and I cannot, um, I, I can only eat everything. Everything I eat is pureed or liquid. So I'm, I'm, I'm on a kind of liquid food. When you say oral food. surgery. Yeah. For, I hope it was like teeth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they took a, it wasn't a, a wisdom to, it was an actual back molar. And, and I must've gone to a cut rate dentist or something. Cause he, I didn't get the good drugs. I didn't get the good gas. Uh, you know, he, he forgot to tell me, Oh, there's going to be like a big hole in, he took out a molar and he, uh, he just gave me Novocaine and, and then just yanked it out. And in the middle of the process, I'm thinking, Oh my God, as I, it looks like the tooth doesn't want to come out, but he made it come out and it came out in pieces. And so I'm here, but I'm okay now. I'm okay now. The codeine is, I, I gave me some codeine. I'm, I'm okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, to be on your show here to talk about beans, but you know, it's been a tough week. And uh, why did something come, happen? Well, coming out of the Harvey thing, right, and the Allen, and then I saw, you know, Adnan is talking about secession, and you were talking about Biden's speech and why we can't get anything done. You know, we have shootings in America to have the American shooting show, right, and so we can play somber music and have the anchors talk to the victims, and because I'm seeing the Uvalde thing happen, you know, and I swear... I, I swear, when I was driving through America in 2019, and remember Ned Pepper's bar in Dayton gets shot up, and there are all those people dying there. I mean, I I pulled over and stopped, and it's the exact same thing: satellite trucks, news vans, and they. It's like it's become the great American um, shooting show. I mean, that's what we we want to see. We want to see uh, the shooting show, and like I I did a column. Uh, in 2019, as I drove across country, and I, I just happened, I was going from Washington, D.C., back to California. Dayton happened, right? Ned Pepper's Bar. And I got a shot on my column of Dayton Remembers. And do you know who Derek Fudge is? Do you know who uh, Nicholas 
Nicholas Coomer is? Do you know uh, Monica Brickhouse? No. Those were all victims of Dayton. And how many how many times did people mention Dayton this week? Hardly, hardly any. I mean, that happened in 2019. And, right. you know, it's and I'm just saying that this is the thing in America. You know, we have this short attention span for shootings. And I, I know that they're just getting out all the names. I mean, look, I cried. I, I saw the New York Times. I saw those 10 year old kids, you know, the front page of the Times. I swear 10 is got to be like the best possible age, right? When you're 10 and 11, it's first time you're doing stuff. Things is in things are beautiful. You're with your parents. They love you. And you know, it's I, 10 years old. Look, life is great when you're 10, 11. I never had uh, I, my first baseball uniform at 11. I played football when I was 12. All those things I don't do now as an adult. I don't do any of those things, you know, later. I mean, life is then there to disappoint you later on in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. But when you're 10, that's life. And, you know, it's so sad when you see that they're in Texas, number one, right? They had all the security and this guy still gets in and gets in for an hour. And all those parents are saying, come on, what's going on? You're keeping us out here for now. Go and do your job. And the cops, the, the, the police force is concentrated on keeping the parents out and they do nothing about the shooter. And then, you know, the, the, the attack guys from the border patrol come in and they, they get the shooter, but not before he gets the kid. It's, you know, David, uh, I, I just, I just think that, you know, you want something to happen, but you know, you'll look at Dayton. And then if you go to my all deaf blog, my column in all deaf, I talked about the situation in, in here in California, in 1989 school shooting, the Cleveland school. And fortunately at the Cleveland school, they were able in California, they had the political will to pass the assault weapons ban. 1989 because of that Cleveland school shooting. And then because of that, it transferred into a federal law because we were still fairly democratic and talking to each other, you know, both sides of the aisle. And we had a sense of what was wrong, right? We knew what was right. We weren't, you know, jaundiced by the divisive politics, but they let the assault weapons ban at the federal level expire in 2004. You know, and, you know, frankly, look, here's the thing. We still have shootings in California, but we don't have those mass shootings where, you know, we have like shootings where like three or four people die. We don't get shootings where like 10 people die and 20 people die. That's because the assault weapons ban is, is pretty good here in California. And that's why if you read my column, there's this one Asian American guy, DA or attorney general, Rob Bonta, Filipino-American, appointed by Newsom. He's running again. He was appointed with last year. He's got to run to, 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 to get the, to, to make it permanent. But that's probably the most important race in California, the attorney generalship, because I can't imagine a conservative, although California is fairly liberal, as you know. We got uh, our vice president of the United States. Yeah, well, this is the thing about Bonta, uh, and he's uh, sort of the great hope of uh, Asian Americans. He grew up in uh, in the Bakersfield area. 
he grew up in a farm in a his, his parents worked for the UFW he grew up in a trailer near uh, United, Chavez. United Farm Workers yeah yes United Farm Workers and and he also he's got good education went to Yale Law School eh. and well, well, I'm just saying he's he's got a kind of golden story that makes him appealing to moderates. Not me. Well, I, I know. I'm just saying that he he is. I, I think he's going to protect and make sure that even though there are federal challenges in California to the assault weapons ban, he's going to make sure that it's intact, stays intact. A lot of challenges still. Last year, there was a federal judge in San Diego that put a challenge on that's been stayed for now. But, you know, to get back to what your previous segment, you know, they're talking about how the inaction and I know someone was talking about secession. I heard a fact today that was very, very, I mean, it's indicative of why we're not going to get anything. Ron Brownstein Atlantic was citing a fact that 20 States where the gun ownership is, you know, the per capita is the highest. They send two thirds of all Republican senators and two thirds of all states that voted for Trump, right? You take all that, that's 70 million people. That's a minority compared to the states with the smallest per capita gun ownership, 190 million people. But they all have equal weight in the Senate. And, you know, anything you want to get passed in the Senate's got to get through that filibuster threshold, which makes everything near impossible. So that's why we're going to see nothing. And that's why we're going to see the repeat of the great American gun show. We're live at Uvalde, just like we were live at Dayton, just like we were live at, you know, Newtown, live in Orlando. This is also May. It's an anniversary of the Pulse nightclub. You remember the Pulse nightclub? Yep. And um, Orlando, Orlando, I'm, I'm telling you, and, and they've they've made a memorial at that old nightclub that you can go by now and just, you know, it, it just breaks your heart. You know, what, what has been done? You know, nothing. Yeah, nothing. And and so um, well, let's, you know, let's, we're, we're, we're almost out of time. I want to talk to you about masks. You went masks. to you went to a party. Over the yeah. weekend, 50 people outdoors. This is your column in the, over the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Yeah. And to fit in, this was your first party in two years. Yeah. You took off your mask. We had Michael Osterholm on the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. They're going to play it this Saturday. And he says, put your mask on. Where the get the masks back on? We're not done yet with this COVID. I, I know this is the thing that that if you read the column, this idea, you know, it start the week starts off really pretty. I don't know, not not so well, great, not so great. You know, Biden with this strategic ambiguity, which may or may not be okay for Taiwan, but it's not a good way to have COVID policy, right? And you're hearing all these things that are kind of contradictory, but here's the thing, the point of my column is, it all comes down to peer pressure and conformity. And it's a lot stronger and a lot more persuasive 
than you think. So here I am with my mask, right? I'm, I'm, I got it in my pocket. I'm ready to go on uh, to the, the party. I, I'm ready to put it on and I don't because I see no one else has their mask. I, I, I think, oh, we're outdoors, so we're safe. And, and a lot of these people are teachers, right? It was a retirement party for uh, a teacher friend I know. And I thought, well, they got to be vaxxed. But I don't know. I just went on trust. But it was what, what bothered me was this idea of conformity, the peer pressure of seeing others and not wanting to stand up and say, I'm masked. I'm going masked. I've been in my closet for two years. I can go mask. And I'm, I've girded myself up because I'm taking a trip. I'm taking a trip. I'm going to Boston next week. And I'll be talking. If I talk to you next week, I'll be in Boston. And I, I created a kind of a matrix or a kind of gr- set of questions that I, I, I use because if I can't rely on data from the CDC, I'm going to rely on data that I collect for myself. Like, uh, am I ma- Am I vaxxed and boosted? Yes. Okay. Uh, are others? Are they required to be masked and boosted? Like, you know, you have to prove that you're, you know, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. Okay, so I do a yes, no, and I count how many yeses. I include also, uh, is it outdoors? I I have a set of five questions I ask myself and go to the ALDEF blog, A-L-D-E-F.org slash blog, and, and then see if your data will tell you, number one, if you should go, and number two, if you should mask. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm always safe if I mask. I mean, ultimately, it's really close margin of error. It's just to give, put some information in my head so it's not a question of I'm being cowed by people who are going to bully me into not wearing my mask, right? I'm, I'm not going to conform to the social pressure of no one else is wearing a mask. Why are you not wearing a mask? Or why are you wearing a mask? You know, I, we've we've been at this too long so that we, we have to be principled. We've got to stand up for ourselves. And if I've got some data that says, okay, here's why I'm masking, I can stand up for myself or wear my mask. Wear your mask. Wear your mask. Yeah. I, I got into an Uber or a Lyft or something two days ago. The guy was unmasked. I get into the car and it reeks of cigarette smoke. Mm. And I, I thought, man, you just don't want to live, do you? And you're going to kill me. But I didn't say that. I kept my mouth shut, but I wore my mask. David, that life or death thing, right? We're raising the stakes, right? I mean, the state, you, you have to, at least, you know, I try to get the data in my head by asking these questions. And also, I, I look to see where I'm going and what, what the situation is there. And I know I'm taking a risk, but I know I'm also maybe mitigating it somewhat if I am masked, if I am always masked. And I, I, one, of, one of the questions I ask myself if I want to go or if I, you know, if I want to mask, you know, is this a once in a lifetime opportunity? Is it a once in a lifetime kind of event or is it something that if I died because of it, I'd be willing to say, yeah, that's all right. This is good for my last chapter. And 
I don't know. I, I, that's a personal choice, but if you know, going in, then you can feel good about whether you mask or don't mask, whether you go or don't go. It just gives you some, some guidelines, which we need. Great. Thank you, Emil Guillermo, host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Read Emil over at ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, and follow him on Twitter at Emil Amuck, and live stream his YouTube channel. He has a loop. Or, yeah, or on amok.com, uh, which is the easiest way. I mean, YouTube... Yeah, it's okay. But amok.com, it's always there. More than okay. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. All right, thank you. Well, Liam McEnany joins us, and he was supposed to be here three hours ago, but once again, you know, I'm tired. Miscommunication, David. No, 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 you've you've done this before. I accept your apology. I haven't done this before. You have. Here's the thing. I, I am on Pacific Coast time. We're entering finals week at my school. Uh, it's, a, it's a little confusing. Okay, so a little. Pers- so I accept your apology. I'm I sorry. You made a- yeah, I'm sorry you screwed up. I apologize. Let's see. I'm looking at the the calendar. Everybody uh-huh. gets an email. They get right. A- well, here's the thing. I scanned it quickly because God knows if I start reading your emails, I'm I'm really in trouble. Um, right. And I saw David answers listener phone calls at eleven, and I thought, oh God. What kind of drunks and halfwits are we going to be sitting through for three hours? So I didn't realize I had my own segment. Liam McEnany is going to be on tour. The LLL, left-leaning liberals of left. Is this a put on? Who told you about that? You're you're doing the left-leaning liberals of laughter? Left-leaning liberals? Yeah, I didn't know we were announcing that. Okay, yeah. Progressive comedy for America. Progressive comedy for, you know, because... uh, because uh, you really we're well, it's me and a bunch of other comics, basically, like some of the top political comics in America, uh, the left middle political. Com- and we're going to be bringing com- like kind of like progressive left leaning liberal comedy to kind of cities across the country that need it. Mm-hmm. Because because uh, America, like, I feel like comedians are really the, the modern day philosophers, right? I, th- I call like, them the canaries in the coal mine because they have yeah. a brain the size of a bird. <laughs> well, we have to admit those old time philosophers were pretty funny. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like, uh, like Jean-Paul Sartre, mm-hmm. you know, he once very hilariously said, uh, what did the pro what did the leper say to the prostitute? What? Keep the tip. Ooh, I, that's right. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah. You know, Heidegger, yeah. Tim Heidegger? <laughs> no. Uh, Martin Heidegger. Oh, his brother. The, uh, the existentialist. Yeah. Yeah, he wants a... I, God, I have it somewhere in my computer because I'm a big fan of... Uh, you read Letter on Humanism? It's this amazing work about uh, just about how human beings kind of... There's no, like, other power that influences our decisions. It's kind of each human being is empowered to kind of create their own worlds and, right. and like kind of are responsible for their own actions in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So he wrote this uh, piece. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm fumfering while I find it. I'm like, okay. So uh, a man in Chelm once thought up a riddle that nobody could answer. 
what's purple hangs on the wall and whistles. Right. And so well, everybody thought about it and then they gave up and they said, well, what's purple hangs on the wall and whistles. And he said, a white fish. And then the people said, a white fish, a white fish isn't purple. Right. right. And he says, new, but this white fish was painted purple. And then the people said, but hanging on the wall, whoever heard of a white fish that hung on a wall. And he said, aha, but this white fish was hung on a wall. And then they said, but a white fish doesn't whistle. And he said, no, so it doesn't whistle. Right. And so that, kind of, uh, that was Heidegger's position. Uh-huh. It's just, uh, but it's yeah. like kind of funny too. Right. Like yeah. it's like a, it's like that was a past day philosopher. Right. Right. right? So the comedians are modern day philosophers. Right? right. Right. It's like, we all know what Confucius once said. Confucius had a lot of sayings. Right. They were kind of like a, you said, a man who sit on sharp tack quickly get the point, right? Right. So like, uh, so basically we want to take this idea that comedians are kind of influential thinkers, mm-hmm. kind of the canaries in the coal mine, if you will, and take that really to like a list of cities that just really need to have this progressive agenda introduced in a way that's funny. Right. You know, in a way that like right. they can, they can laugh, like they're thinking like we kind of sneak in the point. Right. While they're laughing, right? Right, right. I love you. You're doing the Lord's work. So we're doing like a 30 city tour this summer. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah, so we're taking it to like uh, Brooklyn. Well, oh, they Francisco, could use that. They could use that. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon. Wow. Washington D.C. You're going Oakland. in country. This is dang, you're, This is like enemy territory to try to push. Exactly. We're going to Boston, Ooh. Minneapolis. Minneapolis, you're going. Buffalo, Baltimore, Chicago, St. Paul. Wow. We're kind of going to red state cities like Austin and Asheville. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Texas. You're going to we're, Texas? We're going to Austin, Texas. We're bringing, we're bringing our message to, to wow. the red states. Keep the car running because it could get ugly in Austin. That, it could. So Texas. We're, wow. we're, Right. And yeah, exactly. Right. Cause right. we don't want people coming out with guns and shoot, shooting us up or right. I guess that's tasteless now that, uh, no, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that right. you're taking your progressive agenda. You're right. not an elitist. You're going right. out there. You're rolling up the sleeves. You're almost like Woody Guthrie on a bale of hay, taking it to the people. You know, the way I pitched this uh, to our sponsors was like Phil Oaks used to go and just do free shows at mining camps. Right. Um, right. Phil Oaks was a, a folk musician in the 60s. He was like right. contemporary Bob Dylan. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. Um, but he would go to these mining camps and just do these shows for the striking miners. Right. And you pitched um, that to your sponsors. This is sponsors. So we're going go to go to Louisville. Your sponsors must have loved that. Sponsors are, especially we have this amazing list of comed- like progressive political comedians. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Do you mind telling us? Like a, who's the sponsor? Well, everyone, everyone. So well, I want to tell you about who's on the show first. But, but who's the sponsor? I'll tell you who the sponsors are in a minute. Okay. Who's on the show? I can tell you about the sponsors, I guess. Uh, no, tell us who's on the show. I want to know who's on the yeah. show. All right. Well, I mean, make up your mind, David. I got to look well, in it the. It sounds like you're making up people's minds for them. It sounds like you are taking the message to the people. And right. So I'm going to let you make up my mind and you tell me. Barnstorming I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Sorry, what? We're barnstorming. 
barnstorming. Your barnstorm. It's like a comedy barnstorm session. We're going to like, yeah, we're just like, you know, like uh, the term I like to make up is the UFO tour because we're just dropping in on little hick towns, you know, like Atlanta, Georgia, where people just kind of look. Yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene is from Georgia. Deep South. Deep South. Where, where in Georgia? Atlanta. Wow. That's, that's like the heart of the old Confederacy. Are you sure this is safe for you to be playing Atlanta? Uh, You know what, man? It's not about being safe. It's about getting a message out. And, you know, it's kind of like a USO tour, Mm -hmm. except uh, what we're fighting is ignorance. Right. 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 So uh, that's why I was a very like, so we'll have guests in different cities. Right. You know, like, like in like when we do our L.A. show, we're hoping Eddie Peptone will drop in. Ooh, OK, that's good. Like when, when I don't know. He was pro- is he progressive? Uh, he's, he's left leaning. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, in Oakland and San Francisco, we'll try to get W. Kamau Bell. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is he on the left? He's a little bit on the left. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, a you know, whatever. It's, I mean, whatever. Uh, New York City, where my home is, we're doing like a big two night event. Uh, not just Brooklyn, but we're going to go right into the heart of Manhattan and do like a big, just like a ton of special guests. Um, I tried to get you on the lineup, but we just didn't have room. I'm sorry. That's okay. Like I really tried to try to squeeze you in, but we just have like a John Stewart. I love him. You know, big names, he's, he's a great prog- John Stewart's a great progressive, big union guy. Big union guy. Louis I'll tell him you said that. Louis Black, John Fugelsang. John Fugelsang. is he is he Never. is he a lefty? He's a yeah. He posts a progressive show on SiriusXM. Oh, okay. It's a lot like this, except people listen to it, right? <laughs> so we're gonna have uh, Jeff Chrysler, John Oliver, David Sirius, David Sirota, David Sirota, Liz Winstead, Janine Garofalo. I hear comments. Liz Winstead and Janine Garofalo. Great, great friends, Frank Conniff, Stephen Colbert. Right. Uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Oh, really? Uh, and Steve Marshall. So we're going to have Marshall. all the... Steve Marshall, all the political comics. Really? In New York? Yeah, and I wish we could have fit you in, but I guess uh, nobody well, it sounds on the show like a pretty. Me. It sounds like a pretty large lineup there in, in New York. Yeah. Um, so it's... It, well, I mean, I'm, it's not going to be all comedy, by the way. Right. But the, with COVID, there may be some dropouts and you could let me know and maybe. Well, we, could, in that situation, we'd probably want to give Steve Marshall more time. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm a I'm a, a comedian. Or we could end the show early and just everyone hangs out. Yeah. But, you know, just I'm just putting my name out there. It sounds like you've. Oh, yeah. No, no. Your name is out there. I, Again, I, I had to vet this lineup by the sponsors, and they'd never heard of you. These are all, you know, friends who could vouch for me, and oh, tell you how funny I tried that. Okay, a Jeff Kreitler, especially not a fan. Yeah, um, David Cyrus. Dave Cyrus does the show all the time. <laughs> really, He's doing he never. What's that? You're putting Dave Cyrus on, but you're not putting yeah. me on. Yeah, well, he's helping us write Triumph set. Like, uh, we really wanted to have the best comics possible writing whoa, whoa, whoa. for Triumph. He's writing Triumph set, but I haven't been asked to write for Triumph? Yeah, well, we were really just hoping it would be, go well. So, like, we were hoping that. That's cool. That's cool. Make way for the young. 
Make way for the listen. That's it's okay. not going to just be comedy at this event in New York, by the way. We yeah. want to have like a 10 minute just pause in laughter where nobody's laughing. So we also booked Trevor Noah. Um, okay. So, you're, so, so, so I don't understand Trevor Noah from the daily show. From the daily daily shows, Trevor Noah. But you also have John Stewart on the show. He's going to give you a 10-minute pause of laughter. Sprinkle, <laughs> sprinkle with the F word. Don't you want to hear the F word? Well, I mean, that's what that's what makes it so edgy. That's what's yes. going to, this, this is what's going to get us written up in the Huffington Post. Ooh. Yeah. You know, John Stewart's going to own somebody on the right, and then Good. it's going to get a big spread in the Huffington Post because as a result. He's, he's going to say the things that nobody has the courage to say, like Fox News is right wing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've asked him to take it easy on Sean Hannity, but there's no promises. The gloves yeah. are off. Gloves, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's going to be a big event, so we've rented out uh, the New York Comedy Club for two nights. Um, uh, those are, so, so that's just our guests, right? Do you have sponsors? We have a, well, first of all, I want to tell you about the comics that will be touring with me. Because we have like a lineup of just great political comics, David. Well, yeah, I thought you just went through the list of no. Movies. That's the New York show. Oh, the and New York the show, LA and Oakland show, right? But uh, we have some great political comedians who are going to be traveling with us, also, like myself, uh, Jeff Ross, Crystalia. Oh, Crystalia, Eliza Schlesinger. Well, go back to Crystalia. Yeah, he's great. He's, he's hilarious. Great. Kids love him. Kids, the especially young kids. They, yes, the, the, and he's the, very nurturing of, of young kids, isn't he? He's really apparently he has. I don't know too much about him personally, but I, from what I understand, he's cultivated a younger audience, which would be great. He will. He will often stop what he's doing in the middle of the night and reach out to young fans. And, and really, yeah, that's what Chris Lee is known for doing. I have no idea. I don't. I barely know anything about. Oh Crystal no, he's Lee. great. He just really is supportive of, of the younger generation. Constantly. He's like a political thought leader, right? Yeah, and, and he talks. You know, he texts with them, and you know, it's he's hands on. Crystalia. I've heard he's like a Pied Piper for the youth. Yes, he is, and he's funny, and he's great. His yes. act is great. I watched like a five minutes of it on YouTube. It he's had fantastic. me in stitching. He yes. He's fantastic. He's no Theo Vaughn. He's no Theo Vaughn. I like Theo a lot. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, Eliza Schlesinger is going to be on tour for part of the tour. Great. And there's, by the way, there's no guarantee which comics will be on which shows. Just right. if you're if you're in Minneapolis and you buy a ticket, don't be mad if Eliza can't make that night because mm -hmm. she has other commitments. Right. You know, um, Dane Cook. I actually I like Dane. We're going to be hopping on the Dane train. I like that. I don't want, don't make fun of Dane. I'm not um, making fun of Dane. He's like on the show. Dane. He suffered. He's, he's contributing his time to the cause, David. Dane has taken enough. Dane's great. He is great. Um, we're going to have the comedy duo of Lank and Earl. Ugh. I can't promise which shows they'll be on. So if you Are, like will it be Lank and Earl together or? Uh, there's no guarantee that they will be on the same stage at the could, same time. It could be Lank without Earl or yeah. just Earl and Lank. Earl with the puppet. Like we, we can't guarantee yeah. 
So the comedy team of Lank and Earl will be involved Lank with the show. Earl. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Mencia. Love him. Big Shane fan. Gillis. Big fan of Shane Gillis. You should put him on with Kevin Kataoka. Who's that? Very funny Japanese-American comic. I know Shane oh, yeah, Gillis. We don't have any of those. Shane Gillis is a big fan of the Asian community. Maybe Tony oh, Hinchcliffe. Yeah. Why don't you bring Tony Hinchcliffe on? He's also big with the Asian community. Well, I don't want to make any promises, but we are stopping in Austin, and maybe someone named Joe Rogan will be dropping in to do oh, a set. Oh, okay. That's a, this no. a big, I didn't know he was progressive. Oh, he, dude, he smokes weed. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. No, and he, he's kind of open to a lot of different ideas. Right, like he, you're right. He is an extremely, what we call an extremely open mind. Yeah, he doesn't trust science. That's pretty progressive. Well, no, he does his own science experiments right. is what I am led to understand. Right. You're right. He's, yeah. he's so he makes his own science, which is great. That's progressive. That's it's what extreme. the Enlightenment was all about, the scientific method. He's a Leonardo da Vinci of, of comedy, right? Yes. Like at all. Yeah. So uh, we'll have Michael Winslow on mm. part of the tour. Guy from Police Academy. Makes I know, Michael. He, I would love to have him on my show. He's brilliant. Well, I can't give out his contact info, David. I'm sorry. Okay. It's kind of a policy I have with my celebrity friends. Yeah. Um, and we will have Dennis Miller. So it's going to be a full lineup. Oh, Dennis. Of great- Dennis is progressive. Dennis is politically minded and has an audience. He's got long hair, or he ha- used to have long hair. He used to have long hair. He, he says the pro- F word a lot. That's progressive. He curses, <laughs> right? So that's progressive. Um, well, he's politically minded, and he's he's definitely up on the politics of the day. And he's got a lot to say about it, right? And he's you're saying progressive, progressive. This sounds like a pretty interesting tour. Uh, I mean, he hates Hillary Clinton as much as you do, so he's got to be progressive. You, you're right, that's right. And he makes fun of Nancy Pelosi's Botox, just like you do. Well, that I don't do. Um, so I almost forgot our sponsors. You were asking about our sponsors. So you're being sponsored. That that must have been a a hard thing for a progressive comedy tour to to settle on a sponsor because you have a purity test, obviously. Obviously, we have done a lot of thinking about whose money we're going to take because we don't want to just take any big corporations. There's dirty money and clean money. It's totally clean. We have a we have a like a handful of just sponsors where you can be like, oh my god. So the, the so left leaning liberals of laughter or LLL. This is right. This is your progressive comedy for America. Who who is right. stepping up and sponsoring? Well, first of all, I want to thank Whole Foods. Uh, Their slogan is Whole Foods, Whole Food, Whole Planet. Right. Good people. Um, Mackie, the owner of Whole Foods. Uh, I believe Jeff Bezos owns Whole Foods. He bought it from Mackey. He didn't didn't believe in Obamacare. He doesn't believe in unions. Uh, Well, can I just just interject and say when your workers are eating as healthy as Whole Food workers were, you don't really need to worry about health care. I agree with you that being being progressive, it starts with your diet. I agree with you. Exactly. You don't need Obamacare if you're eating... At Whole Foods. You're right. And when, I, when I think of healthy, I think David Feldman, Liam McEnany, really healthy lifestyles, right? right. So like, uh, so Whole Foods, Whole uh, whole Food, Whole Planet. Yeah. 
Um, and that's Amazon now, right? Yes. So they're progressive, right? They're starting to unionize. Uh, well, he's not unionizing. but Well, the workers are. Like, they're wearing Right, you're right. And it, if it weren't for Jeff Bezos, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be unionizing. Or someone say, if it wasn't for Jeff Bezos, they wouldn't have a job to unionize. Exactly. And if he... Like, He's they good for the out. he's great for the union movement by treating his employees so poorly they've decided to unionize. If he was generous, there it would be bad for the, the union movement because then there'd be no need for unions. So he yeah, he's progressive. So that's good. You're getting what well, what's healthier for a worker to work in? Right. A nice, clean, regulated warehouse. No sun. Or- or some crappy, dirty little store on some weird main street in right. the middle of a town. Right. And in the, you're never in the sun in a, in a right. fulfillment center. You can get skin cancer. You know, a lot of people get UTIs by going to the bathroom too much. Right. So Amazon has figured a way to cut that down. Yeah. yeah. So you don't need healthcare. Again, again, these guys, so Whole Foods is one of our major sponsors. Good. Uh, our, our media partner is the New York Times, America's most libtarded paper. I the think most is what? their libtarded paper. Lib, lib, I, I never heard that term before. Uh, well, that's from their media uh, press room. I don't, I don't know what it oh, means. Oh, that's they call themselves the the the, the lib. Yeah, the libtards. I didn't know that. Uh, right. and you know. Gas can be expensive. Yes, it is. So, but you're progressive and you're concerned about the environment. And so we've you know, got uh, ExxonMobil to come on and be a sponsor to kind of defray the cost of traveling cross country. That's like, that's great. That's like a carbon uh, trade, right? That's like, a, it's a carbon offset. In other words, it actually, I, actually, believe it or not, the cost of this tour is paid for out of the, out of the carbon tax that they, that they owe at the end of the year. That's that's amazing. So they're they're you're helping Exxon lessen their carbon footprint. I would say Exxon is giving back right. by helping us to spread this message across the country. We're like NPR. Exactly. Or PBS. Now, NPR and, you know, now is progressive. And ExxonMobil, you know, like like those companies have their oil gas sponsors. We have our oil and gas sponsor. Right. And you're taking money from ExxonMobil. <clears throat> which means they have less to spend on drilling. They're not giving us money. They're actually giving us these uh, 30% off gas cards. Right, but that's taking money away from ExxonMobil and less at, money. You're kind at of- participating it, Exxon stations, yeah. I'm sorry? At participating Exxon stations, So yeah. it's kind of like divestment in a way. You're, you're saying- Exactly. And so- You're defunding right Exxon. You're actually, a lot of people like the Sunrise Movement- they just complain about ExxonMobil, but you're actually rolling up your sleeves, getting in there and actually taking money from Exxon. Like, like a lot of universities yeah. won't do that, but you're, you're, you're actually going in and taking money away from ExxonMobil. That's, I think that's the, go ahead. Here's the best part is yeah. they're actually supplying all the comedians with material about Exxon. Because they've got a good sense of humor about themselves and their oh. mission. So they're going to write material. Exxon is giving you guys. Well, that's free. For free. For free. So you're. And, all, and, and the comedians are all going to use the material written 
by so you're weakening, you're diluting Exxon's strength. You're you're taking their their eye off the game. They, instead of drilling, instead of polluting, they're, they're writing jokes for comedians, right? And that means less time spent ruining our planet. You're taking it. You're taking it to the the corporate pigs. They're setting up booths outside of every show yeah. to hand out free information pamphlets to all of our audience members. So they're educating. That's see, see, see. That's I see that. So they're gonna. So Exxon, your sponsor, right, is going to educate people. They're they're getting out of the oil business and they're getting into the education business. Exactly. They're diversifying. They realize that the fossil fuel, it's a dead end. They need to get into the education game. So they have these little booths. And who better to educate than modern day philosophers? Which are comedians. Like I, a lot of people, and I, I don't, you know, I hate to say this about myself, but a lot of people call me modern day Aristophanes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Uh, you know, some called me the greatest of all time, whatever. I don't know what that means. Aristophanes. Yeah. The yeah, birds, like, clouds. Like, yeah, yeah. The playwright. The funny yeah. guy. He was a funny Greek writer. Uh, yeah, he wrote this hilarious thing called Oedipus Rex. I believe so, that all about a guy who doesn't know who Oedipus is. What? Was it? I thought that doesn't was Sophocles or Euripides. Yeah, Euripides Trousers, which is a great... Old Italian. Greek joke. That was an Italian Roman. That was an Italian Roman joke. Yeah, yeah. No, but you do remind me of Aristophanes. Yeah, I'm very educated. And mothers uh, don't want their young boys around you. Well, I mean, hopefully, we attract the kind of younger audience. Right. Right. Well, the, I have you know, to say, this comedy tour, I, I'm a little envious that I haven't been asked. To, to to be on it, but it does sound like it's. Uh, well, you don't really have the same political profile that Michael Winslow does. Okay, I, I disagree, but uh, you have a. Uh, I mean, you just don't have that same like. I don't know, just that it factor, you know. Mm. But I'll tell you what: if you want to do an audition right now, uh, I'd be happy to hear your uh, siren sounds into the mic. I don't have my, I didn't know, I don't have my sound effects. Uh, actually, Michael Winslow is brilliant in all series. I actually am a huge fan of Michael Winslow. He does this impression of Neil Young that genuinely blows me away. Because he does like the guitar and he does the voice. It's amazing. All right. Well, this was hey, fun. I, I, this was a total surprise. I was not expecting to talk about the tour. Uh, thank you for, I guess, for giving me a chance to promote it early. Yeah. How do people buy tickets? Uh, well, we're partnered with a company called Ticketmaster, which is very customer, uh, customer or, you know, customer first. And I guess 1% of all proceeds will go to Ukraine. I don't know. And then, and, uh, okay. That's good to know. Ticketmaster. They're good. I, I never heard of Ticketmaster. Um, yeah, they're a small startup. You probably wouldn't have heard of them. Right. Joe in Norway says, Liam, time to wind down. You came here to hear Rodrigo's rant. <laughs> I don't think there's time for Rodrigo <laughs> tonight. Oh, all right. Let's listen to Rodrigo. But uh, Rodrigo, are you there? 
Let me bring Rodrigo in. Uh, all right, and then we have, but we have to keep it short because uh -huh. the, the show is uh, going along. Hello, Rodrigo. He's our correspondent hey. in Mexico. Since I don't have time, a quick shout out to the new YouTube mods, Lexi444 and Chokinona, she's 61, who are regulars from the Majority Report chat. And thank you. Let me, let me thank the, the mods. They're, they're moderating on YouTube, right? Yes. Right. They've been helping to delete the spam bot stuff. Hey, Rodrigo, this is Liam. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time, but what do you think about gun control in America? It's a very hot button issue. I just happen to have a page written about that, but I don't think there's time. I, I think there might be a little time if you give us a taste. Why don't we Hello? do your... Uh... Why don't we listen to Rodrigo usually prepare something? So yeah, he said he's got a page on gun control. Well, let's hear your thing on gun control, but we can't we can't interrupt him. Okay, I'm going to mute myself while he uh, while he talks. Okay, uh, a couple of days ago, one of the pictures of one of the murdered kids had 700 million likes, two times the U.S. population worth of likes. I'm not ready to say conservative voters are lucky they can find their own noses, but at a certain point we have to admit the main reason we don't call them mentally deficient is because leftists love our purity and our ground too much to risk being called ableists or worse for liberals elitist. Certainly, there's a few million brave mavericks who consider themselves good people and the only reason they don't say maybe gun control isn't so bad in front of their friends is that they're scared of being made fun of. But the vast majority of people voted, voting against their own interests have decided that they love white identity, even if it's made up. They love white yeah, identity brother. so much, they don't care if it makes them scared of their own shadow, scared that the world will decide they're no longer relevant. I recently saw a video of cops shooting a young guy. The guy put his hands up. They gave him orders he couldn't follow, so they shot him again. This isn't hate, it's fear. And conservative voters love their white identity so much they'd rather keep voting for the guys who haven't allowed the minimum ways to go up since 2007 than join the Democrats to vote for Bernie. If you ask a competent sociologist or psychologist why anyone would love a made-up identity that kills their family and keeps them oppressed, they may have different answers, but they do have them. There's mysteries in the human psyche, but this isn't one of them. Meanwhile, a Texas trans girl age 17 got assaulted by four assholes 
who believe a trans person did the Uvalde shooting because the GOP picked up this rumor and Paul Gosar started repeating it. So I do wish you'd stop talking about people being asexual or having OCD as proof that they're despicable. I know it lands with your audience, but pointing people out for being different makes conservatives feel good about marking people for bullying, abuse, and murder, and doesn't actually help in any way beyond pushing simplistic analysis skills with your audience. Pointing out that Lindsay Graham is a closeted gay may be relevant for LGBTQ issues, but pointing out that Lapierre is asexual and has OCD is neither leftist nor actual analysis. And this crap is the reason I don't pay attention to a certain podcast that pretends to be more leftist than you. Which one's that? Uh, have you heard of Left Reckoning? No. Good. David, you're muted. I, I did some cheap shots about Wayne Lapierre being asexual and not having kids. And it did occur to me that maybe it was a low blow. But, you know, I just feel like the people who respect Wayne LaPierre should uh, know that stuff about him. Die in a fire? Well, that too. But uh, I, I, my feeling, Rodrigo, is... I agree with you, and I had second thoughts about it. Well, I wish you wouldn't interrupt him, David. Please continue, Rodrigo. That's very rude of David to no, interrupt. No, but I, I, I felt that I, I mistakenly feel that if somebody is the enemy, you go after them in ways that well, they they don't think you would go after them. Who has OCD, by the way? Since since we're talking about Wayne David, Pierre, he's a hoarder. He. Really? Yeah. So he's mentally ill. Yeah, but Rodrigo thinks... Rodrigo's been trying to cancel me for a year. Wait, so would you I say have that... OCD. The, lots of people have OCD and lots of people are asexual and... Uh, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not asexual, but the way I've been dating the last few years, I might as well be. Well, you should try getting OPP instead of OCD. <laughs> Do you think maybe uh, the, the NRA gun fetish is just an extension of his hoarding? I think his asexuality and his wife, uh, her obsession with guns is linked to his, uh, his asexuality. I don't think you can separate, or I don't want to separate uh that stuff. I, I want him to be. Uh, I, I uh, anyway. Well, you know, I I consider myself pansexual, David. Really? By which I mean I have sex with cookware. Ah, okay. I appreciate you not laughing at that. By the way, pansexual. I have sex with cookware. Anyway, I'm sorry that David interrupted you, Rodrigo. But I just wanted to know. I'm rude. You're right. I'm rude. I apologize. Rodrigo's done. Oh, he's done. Okay. Yes. Am I canceled now, Rodrigo? <laughs> Is he allowed to get out of comedy now? David can go to get his MBA finally. Hey, how's school going? Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you very much. Um, 
School's going great. I'm graduating a uh, community college. I had, oh, that's right. We haven't talked in a month and a half. I had an interview with USC a few weeks ago and uh, haven't heard anything since then. So, uh, but meanwhile, I watched Title what about Nine Caltech? videos. What about Caltech? <laughs> well, no, not Caltech. I'm tired. Where, where were you? Northridge. I was, I'm in Northridge. I'm definitely in in Northridge. So go I, there. I watched, I'd watch uh, Title Nine videos for 90 minutes last week. Did you know, David? You know, after watching these, I learned a lot from watching these Title Nine videos. Why did, did you, you watch know? Title Nine videos? This is about e- like men and women and equality. That yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a romantic comedy. You're right. Right. But I learned a lot. I learned, and apparently the kids consider sexual assault on campus bad now. It's not like when we were kids, right? Okay. That's they showed you a video telling you that sexual assault. No, David, no. They showed me many videos. Why? Uh, why? Um, you know, actually, I got to say, in all seriousness, there was uh, some stuff in there, actually, that I kind of wished I'd known with my 20s, uh, like what an abusive relationship was like, because <laughs> I had to learn that the hard way. They're showing this to college kids. What it- They showed us what emotional abuse looked like. Um Actually, so here's the thing. A lot of it was very good information. Um, like, apparently, you're not supposed to leave uh, your drink unattended at a bar, you know, unless. Uh, yeah. uh, never mind. No, I don't want to finish that thought. Um, I think we're, I think we should wrap it up. I had something slipped in my drink once in Scotland, in, uh, in Glasgow. Um, that's true. Uh, I was at a bar after a show with this guy and suddenly he got very weirded out. I guess there were like, I looked over, there was a table of guys just doing Coke openly at this bar. So uh, I got back to my hotel and I felt very weird and I immediately passed out in my bed. And in the middle of the night, I had this, this like very vivid dream that I was at a party and I had to just piss super hard. And I asked someone at the party, where the, where the bathroom was. And they said, just go down that hall out the door and to the right. So I went out to the door and suddenly I was surrounded by this bright light. And I realized I was in this hotel lobby wearing only my tidy underwear. Huh. And I still had to piss super bad. So I went to the elevator and I just, there was a potted plant by this elevator. Mm-hmm. So I just peed into the potted plant. That's how bad I had to go. And then and I was Harvey like, well, fuck it. was jerking off into it. <laughs> I thought about that. I thought the story when I read that Weinstein thing. So then I had to go downstairs to the lobby again, wearing only my underwear and ask for a key. And I guess they just get that all the time because they didn't even look, think twice. They're just like, <laughs> I re- so I, I, I understand how serious it is to have someone slip something in your drink. Well, you know what happened to me. Um, you know what happened to me. What's that? When I drank, no. I was drinking whiskey, and, and somebody snuck something into my my whiskey. An ice cube. Oh, what was that? An ice cube. 
Oh, hey. Folks. Folks. How dare you? Folks. Um, well, the good news is someone, the bad news is someone's substituting with my drink. The good news is I can say I opened for Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> you opened everything for Bill Cosby. Well, we have. But you know to. what's weird? Actually, you know what's crazy? So they were running down a list. So one of the videos was like, here's a list of red flags that this person that you just met might be an abuser, like a checklist before you even go on the first day with them. And some of it was like, okay, like they're very controlling or they have a bad temper or whatever. But one of them was, does not like to obey the rules. Hmm. Just like this kid, who's, like the, the sample video is just like some kid who was told to do something and he, he just, he said he didn't want to do it and he walked away. Right. And I was like, well, that's, you know, I don't know what they're, t- you know, so, I think we should. I think we should revisit. We have to wrap it up. No, we don't. Yes, we, we got a only a ten to nine. Yeah, you were supposed to be here at seven thirty. Well, I didn't realize it was seven thirty your time. I usually come here seven thirty my time. Yeah, so. you, you didn't read the instructions. There were three me- emails. We got to wrap it up oh, because it, it's that is a red flag. All right, I did not want to obey your rules. Well, anyway, thanks for having me on. I love you, uh, buddy. Come back more often. I accept your apology. Well, I answer my emails. I'm sorry you screwed up. It's uh, and congratulations on doing my show. I'm graduating cum laude, which the ladies can definitely tell you more about. When is graduation? June sixth. I expect you to be there. Is that D Day? (laughs) I think June sixth is D Day. Hopefully, it'll be a C plus. Okay. Hey, it's at the Greek theater. If anyone, I have tickets. Oh. If anyone wants to come, at the Greek theater, the Greek theater. I'll be uh, I'll be on stage at the Greek for the first time in my life. The Greek theater in Berkeley? Uh, no, the Greek theater in Los Angeles. Oh, haven't you ever seen this movie called Get Him to the Greek with Russell Brand? Yes, the Greek theater. They only have entrance in the rear. Hey, oh, hey, folks, folks! I think it's time for us to call it a night. That's not, considering I'm hungry and tired, uh, on a scale of one to ten, I give that a one. That's, so we're going to take some listener uh, phone calls. No, and then we're, we're, gonna call we're, we're wrapping up. Come back next week. I love you. I got to wrap uh, up. I love you too, man. I don't know if I can make it next week, but okay. I'll talk to your people. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That's our show. Way, 730 would be a much better time. So okay. uh, your time. So let's let's talk. All right. Thank you. Liam right. McEnany. Uh, I want to thank all our guests. Greg Barak, pick up his new book, Criminology on Trump. Are you trying to ruin? Oh, Liam's muted himself. Okay. Muted myself. Okay. And I want to thank, who else did we have on the show? We Can had, I tell you a rumor I heard about one of your guests? No. I know. Was, I heard Alan Minsky's Jewish. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I, I don't see religion. I only see, <laughs> I only see race. Joe Thompson, go to Joe for assembly right now and give him money. Uh, the Hershenfelds, uh, go uh, download Thug Thug Jew or stream it on YouTube right now. I can barely talk. I'm so tired. Liam McEnany, uh, catch tickets for the LLL left-leaning liberals of laughter tour. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, go to barrywlynn.com. 
I want to thank the professors and Marianne, Professor Marianne Cummings, Feel Better, Professor Adnan Hussein, listen to him on the Mudgeless Podcast and Guerrilla History, Professor Jonathan Bick, I'll see you at Office Hours, and Professor Ann Lee, reader over at the Daily Co's, her handle is Annie Lee, and Joe in Norway. Uh, thank you, Joe. If you have any recipe suggestions, go to Twitter. Can I tell you, Ann Lee is underratedly very funny. Yes, she is. She, uh, I don't think she gets enough props on your show for being Anley, Professor Anley is brilliant, and her microphone is much better now. Uh, I, I don't need to hear from her. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I read Annie Lee over at The Daily Co's. And if you want recipe suggestions or give Joe, I can't talk. Joe in Norway, if you want him to cook uh, one of your suggestions, on Twitter, you can follow him at Joe Umami. Professor Harvey J.K., read him. Read FDR and Democracy. Follow oh, you, Joe, Joe Mommy. Hey, don't bring my mommy into this. Alan Minsky from Progressive Democrats of America. Emil Guillermo from the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Listen to the PETA podcast. And I think that is it. That is the show. I'm exhausted. It's a long night. Long, long night. If you would like to attend a live taping in our Zoom room, go to my website. Subscribe to my newsletter. I will see everybody at office hours. We start at 8 p.m. Friday night. And uh, let's end with some... Oh, Okay. I'm David Feldman. I'm really tired. I'm David Feldman. I'm Liam McNini. I've been your co-host. Thank Liam you for uh, tuning in. Thank you, everybody. The 117 people watching on YouTube right now. Thank you. Don't don't stop sending in those super chats. We're not done yet. Okay. Thank you, Liam. Uh, who's afraid? <laughs> Be strong. Protect the weak. Who's afraid of Catherine Lou? I'm a little bit scared and you should be too. She's coming after us, she got our number. Keep one eye open if you want to slumber. Cause we're card carrying members of the professional managerial class. Nam, cause we didn't want to fight. We got solar panels and a Tesla car. But we think the Black Panthers went a bit too far. Cause we're card carrying members of the professional managerial class. Managerial class. There's no sound. Now you can hear it, right? Wait.
and everybody that's on the right. We take advice from a spiritual llama. Still got a crush on Barack Obama. Cause we're card-carrying members of the professional managerial class. Managerial class. We make politics erotic We launder our reputations We want to raise a minimum wage As long as we can keep our vacations And we can take along our maids Cause we're card-carrying members of the professional Managerial class Managerial class I must admit I don't know what to do All I want to do is stick to the man Turns out the man is who I am Cause I'm a card-carrying Thank you.